Dietz and Watson's been making meats and cheeses the right way since forever. What's that mean? It means never cutting corners, ever. It means cooking, not processing. It means our Virginia brand ham that's cooked to perfection, then twice baked to layer the flavors. It takes more time, but you can taste the difference. We come to work every day to do it the right way, even if it's the hard way. Because if it's not right for us, it's not right for you. Dietz and Watson, it's a family thing since 1939. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Before we get started here, I want to tell you about this. We've already probably seen it in your feed, the trailer for the Hollinger and Duncan NBA show. That's right. That is John Hollinger. Just spent seven years with the Grizzlies. He's back in media now. This is going to be his main podcast endeavor that he and I are doing. I'm going to run the first couple of episodes here on the Dunked On feed, but also, of course, we're starting our own new feed. And so I encourage you to just go subscribe to that right now. Hollinger and Duncan, just search for that in iTunes, search for that in whatever podcast player you use. We'd love a review. We'd love a share on social media as well. First episode is coming on Sunday night, Pacific time. Please look out for that, and thanks again for your support of our independent NBA journalism. All right, time to talk a little Golden State Warriors, my hometown team, although uh, probably not going to have a hometown take uh, on this season if you've been listening to us since the Warriors uh, offseason. You'll probably hear that, but the Athletics' Anthony Slater, one of the best beat men in the business, is on the line here to talk Warriors. How are you doing? I'm good. You could be like a pessimistic home fan, right? I mean, there's plenty of them, especially in football. <laughs> I feel like that's more common in football than uh, basketball. Yeah. Well, football is easier, too, to just be like, oh, this coach is such a moron. Like, they're... And I think that the coaches kind of screw up the simple stuff more often in football too, of like going for it on fourth down and challenges and stuff like that. Whereas like, and the average fan just has no idea of like, you know, what the nuances are, the play calling or like doesn't really understand the sport. In some ways it's easier to be more critical that way. I think like of all the sports, people probably have the greatest understanding strategically uh, of basketball, especially they, if they listen to this podcast. Of course. Yes, they think they're the uh, the experts. And they, they probably blame GMs a lot more, I think, sometimes than coaches in the sport of basketball. Yeah, football is more just like you're at the bar, you're kind of talking to people, you look up, you see the quarterback throwing it deep downfield, you have no idea about the blocking scheme or like, you know, what defenses are, you know, are they in a zone or a cover two or this or that. Uh, and then you just, but you just still form very strong opinions. Yeah, well, it'd be nice, too, if they actually, like, zoomed out a little bit so you could, like, see what the coverage is. Anyway, this is not a football podcast, thank God, uh, despite the, the efforts of some people on this show to, to well, make it so not to uh i don't want to go again <laughs> i don't want to keep going down the road but they actually i can't remember it was like a thursday night football game i think it might have been the first thursday nfl game of the year they did the zoom out cam and it was like okay this is terrible for like the just normal <laughs> casual viewing experience like you know you could you can't really see the players up close and it just didn't work yeah all right uh, fair, fair enough um so let's talk about some of the new additions to this roster uh you know we, we know what their restrictions are with the hard cap after receiving d'angelo russell in trade very very new team and so i think where i want to start is just talking about 
how D'Angelo Russell has looked in the preseason, how you see him fitting in to this group, uh, given, you know, maybe the questionable fit with Steph Curry, but obviously he's someone who has a lot of talent as well. Yeah, um, he doesn't play like uh, the Warriors typically do. You know, he's slower. He's, he's prodding. He's, um, you know, obviously like the big thing everyone's been mentioning is the pick and rolls. I think he was maybe like number one in the NBA and like, you know, pick and roll usage last year as a ball handler. Uh, that's kind of his best quality. And everyone also knows Steve Kerr over the last five years has run the least amount of pick and rolls of anyone in the league. You know, that's not his preference. Even when he had maybe the most deadly potential pick and roll combo ever, Durant and Curry, all Although, I mean, we both kind of know KD's uh, maybe aversion to screening. Um, but, I mean, even the, the Draymond-Steph pick-and-roll could have been used and used and used. And that's just not how Steve Kerr uh, liked to dial it up. Whereas he is openly admitting this year he's going to have to run more pick and roll and, and that's not just a D'Angelo Russell thing that's a rest of the roster thing they don't have nearly as many playmakers as in like you know uh, fringe spots in the rotation and you know Sean Livingston gone Andre Iguodala gone David West obviously has been gone for a couple of years now um, so with Willie Colley Stein and D'Angelo Russell, particularly to start the second and fourth quarter, I think they're going to be heavy pick and roll, uh, with them. And that's when you'll really see like a Warriors team that is, that is so foreign to the eyes, I think. Um, and, and that's probably where I think Russell matters most. Otherwise, I think he's really going to have to just hit some spot up threes to, to, to be effective around Steph Curry when they're both on the floor together. Yeah. And quicker decision making as well. I mean, I, I don't think he's going to get a lot faster once he actually starts his attack, but making a quicker decision to shoot pass or drive initially upon getting the ball instead of just backing it out to half court surveying the defense letting everyone recover line things up you know he's kind of like a mini lebron in that way where he just wants to kind of have all the chess pieces on the board make his move so i think that's one place where he can improve uh another one might be coming off of screens you know uh, though we haven't really seen him do much of that and also like he's kind of too slow to really get that separation like that's not a skill people look at a lot but like steph curry clay thompson like jj reddick like those guys sprint off of screens and russell doesn't really have that type of stop start ability to get open off the ball so i'm not sure how well that can work what do you think of that well he's not very athletic you know he's, he's kind of slower yeah. um it'll be it, it'll be interesting because what i always with kerr um remember a couple of years ago when they had that really veteran second unit with west living yeah. and it was like curry would play the fir- full first quarter um and they would play a more steph curry style where you're right where you may, need to make quick decisions you can't just like you know swing swing to d'angelo russell and he's just sitting there kind of you know stalled out on the perimeter but in the second unit i think they can completely flip how they play and he kind of can play that lebron type style because they don't have very many scores that aren't no. steph curry so it's like you know d'angelo russell just completely control uh you know the first six minutes of the second and fourth quarters it, it, it's more about how his brain can kind of meld into the curry minutes and that's yeah i mean look he's not clay thompson uh that's something the warriors i think need to get more used to i don't think it's even smart to tell d'angelo russell hey you know let's try you coming around screens to me that's going to be more jordan Poole, especially if we'll get to jordan Poole, i'm sure but especially if he can actually really contribute in year one where russell i don't know you know it's we've seen three 
three preseason games and Russell only played two of them. Uh, it, 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 we're probably going to need to see 20, 30, 40 games to just kind of exactly see where it makes the most sense, where it's not necessarily his turn, my turn, but in a lot of ways, sometimes it might need to just kind of be Russell as a, as a spot up shooter when Curry is operating. Uh, and then other times just kind of Russell operating. I mean, Curry's deadly as a, that's the, that's the main thing with this offense. Like Steph Curry can do so many things. I, I know sometimes the fan base wants him to just be the pick and roll operator, but as an off ball cutter around Russell, as a spot up shooter, he's, he would scare a defense more than any other spot up shooter. So, uh, there's different, when you have the, as much skill as they have, you can use these guys in different ways. Yeah, and I, part of the reason I was critical of the signing, I don't think Russell is that good uh, overall. You know, he just has not been that efficient, uh, and he's kind of a floor raiser. And when you've got Clay Thompson and Steph Curry, you don't necessarily want to be taking opportunities out of their hands when you're at full strength. Of course, Clay Thompson uh, may not play this year, and you know, even so, Steph is going to be the main guy. And it seems like when they've been on the floor together, that has been the case. You know, Curry has had a relatively explosive preseason. He had 40 points in 25 minutes against uh, what is not look to be a good Wolves defense but when you look at their second unit that even when Kevin Durant was on it frankly they struggled to score with that group at times basically the entire tenure that Curry has had even going back to the Mark Jackson era they just have not been able to score with Steph Curry off the floor and so maybe that's where Russell's floor raising stylings can come into play now he's going to have to uh you know it's going to be a pretty heavy floor to raise with some of the groups that are going to be out there at the start of the second quarter but he did do similar work with the Brooklyn starting unit where you remember he was really the only ball handler with that group as well so he does have experience in that situation at least yeah you you actually probably can remember a couple years ago that unit I mentioned that was you know the West Livingston Iguodala they had like a 95 offensive rating but they had a defensive rating that was like the best of any like even average Averaged, yeah. you, you know, used lineup across the league. It was like 79 or something. They just, you know, they'd go into the second quarter leading, uh, you know, maybe like 33 25. And then six minutes later, it would be like 40 to 33. You know, it was like, yeah. and then they would just hand it back to Curry and, and, and bring Durant in with him and, and kind of explode from there. Uh, whereas it's what you're like, they don't have a great defensive unit, uh, to put on the floor. I mean, I, I'm curious because Steve Kerr's always loved to, to kind of handcuff Curry and Draymond together. Uh, but you, this year might want to have Draymond within that second unit, especially if they struggle as, as more, you know, a playmaker, a guy that can lift the floor of the defense when you need to stop the team from scoring if Curry's not on the floor. But then that takes away, you know, the Draymond Curry pick and roll and just their, their combo. So, uh, there's a lot of challenges here i it but again uh if if russell can just efficiently score against you gotta remember he's going to be playing opposing benches typically at the start of the second yeah. and fourth if he can efficiently score against those type of units and, and hand it back to curry as like a net zero basically uh, on average uh, i think that's him doing his job yeah now uh defensively there will also be uh some concerns there yeah. uh, how, how do you think it ultimately ends out do you think they're smarter to bring curry and dream on together uh, or do you think they should separate those guys up i think they should start the year uh pinning them together handcuffing them together like always um you know and, and hope to just really kind of use that offense defense star power to to you know have, be a good first quarter team always get off to good starts and, and the the start of the second you uh quarter unit i was thinking was really going to be heavy d'angelo russell willie collie stein pick and rolls 
Again, Willie yeah. Cauley-Stein's going to miss the first, whatever, you know, let's say eight games. Um, so that's a challenge there that might kind of retoggle the rotation. But I, <clears throat> knowing Kerr and knowing this is such an experimental year, which means it's going to be an experimental first month, uh, I think he's going to try to survive with Russell and other bench fringe pieces. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe Looney will get some minutes to start as he's not really a pick and roll guy. Yeah. I, I could see Chris. I mean, if, assuming Chris yes. makes the team, that he, he might be with that group. He might start at center. Uh, yeah. I mean, at this point, uh, no, I, I, although I think Looney will start at center if he's available opening night. Yeah. That, that, that's probably true. Yeah. Um, but you know, Chris, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, and I, again, we'll probably get to Marquis Chris. I, nobody preseason was kind of, uh, calculating him into the rotation, but at this point, it seems like an obvious thing, at least until Collie Stein's back. He will basically play that Collie Stein role. So yeah, the Warriors second unit, uh, will be thriving off D'Angelo Russell and, uh, Marquis Chris. Not what we expected to be, uh, saying uh, a few months back. <laughs> No, definitely not. So let's talk about some of uh, the other new additions here. Um, we can start with uh, Willie Cauley-Sanio. He's going to be out for you know eight games or so with that midfoot sprain that he suffered before training camp even opened. That was one of the big surprises as soon as we got to media day that uh, he was going to be missing all of the preseason. But how does he fit in with this group once healthy? Um, JaVel McGee, basically, from a few years ago, you know. Um, yeah. The Warriors have always loved uh, lob threats with Curry, um, you know, because it's just Curry's going to just blast open the space, bring the defenders, clear the lane, and then, you know, it's the vertical spacer uh, that they've talked about. I mean, JaVel was probably the best to ever do it for them. Uh, they always were saying, well, Damian Jones is kind of going to become the second coming of that. Never could be. Although, you know, you actually go back to the first 10 or so games of last season when Damian Jones, while Steph Curry was still healthy and it was before Damian Jones tore his pec, um, and Jones got a lot of lob dunks. Now, look, he he was a problem defensively. He's a bit unaware out there. You know, he might drop passes, different stuff like that. But uh, Steph Curry should be able to get Willie Cauley-Stein theoretically four lobs a game. And not just him. I mean, you got if you got D'Angelo Russell spacing on the other wing, they no longer obviously have Clay and KD also bringing the other guys out. But uh, that in you know in theory is, is what they envision him to to be. I mean defensively he coming out of it remember coming out of kentucky he was like and that was his strength was gonna be like more of like yeah a, seems like a long time ago yeah it really does um he's not a shot blocker he's averaged you know below a shot block per game for a guy who started he started 81 games last year um so their hope is they can uh this new environment that he's going to be in which is a lot different from the four years that he experienced in sacramento and you know maybe ron ron adams will probably kind of take him on as a pet project um can maybe bring out more of the defensive potential that we always thought he might have um but mostly look they just think he's going to crush in maybe four or five lobs per game and then uh do some pick and rolls with d'angelo russell yeah, a couple of things to add about Cauley Stein. Hopefully on this team, he will be disabused of his problem in Sacramento, which was trying to do too much. You know, he thought of himself, oh, I, I could be an all-star. He's going to take mid-range jumpers. Yeah. He wants to, he, he wants to post up. Um, you know, hopefully he'll get rid of that. But I also think once he gets back into shape, which could take some time, he's an excellent lane runner and transition finisher. So sprinting the floor, getting these guys out in transition, they have played an extremely fast pace with Curry on the floor in the preseason. And, and you know, obviously their transition attack is pretty legendary. So defensive glass, he, he's, uh, you know, not a great box out guy, not a great defensive rebounder either. That's, uh, been a bit of a problem as Kerr colorfully, uh, explained that they're a little bit behind the Shanghai Sharks and Maccabi High 
FIFA in uh, yeah. defensive rebounding rate uh, so far he, this preseason. Yeah, I think he'll be good against bad defenses, um, which yeah. was always with JaVel. JaVel would sometimes Kerr couldn't even keep him on the floor. Then they'd be playing the Knicks. And their defensive rotations were so sloppy or they weren't getting back. And JaVel, similarly to Willie Cauley-Stein, really is a rim runner, uh, can get out very fast for a big guy, uh, and, and, you know, can catch it above the rim pretty, you know, adeptly. And JaVel would have 17 points in, you know, 11 minutes, basically, because he just continued to, to find little pockets above the rim to just kind of uh, guide in easy dunks. And to, to me, that's Cauley-Stein. And that's, like, beating bad to average teams is, like, so important for the Warriors this year uh, because of of just their talent drop off and the fact that everyone still believes they can maybe power their way into the playoffs at maybe 40, 49, 48, 49, 50 type wins. Um, and so they're just going to have to uh, kind of abuse the bad teams. Yeah, Cauley Stein also is not the finisher on non-dunks or on the rim uh, that JaVale was. That, that's kind of a, a weakness is he doesn't really have uh, the touch there. Um, how's the f- small forward rotation breaking down? I mean, on paper, certainly this looks like one of the worst position groups in the league, but uh, they got to start someone at the three. Glenn Robinson, uh, who I think uh, has emerged in this competition, it's... You know, you're right. It, what's crazy about how bad it is is how good it was. You know, I mean, you're going from Kevin Durant and Andre Iguodala, which, I mean, has there ever been a, a, a better, like, one-two uh, on a depth chart at small forward um, to right now, I mean, it's Glenn Robinson, Alec Burks, who are two veteran minimum kind of flyer guys, and then Alfonso McKinney, who they plucked out, you know, who was Luxembourg to Mexico. They they kind of found a diamond in the rough. He was in the G League, uh, who, at this point, I would maybe guess is not going to make the roster because they got to force Mark Keith Chris on the roster some way somehow so um I think it's gonna be Robinson he started the last two preseason games uh he's proven to be kind of a pretty good slasher you know former dunk champ he, he doesn't have the athleticism he once had because he had some ankle troubles but he's finished a few alley-oops in transition from from Steph he's hit a couple threes you know they they believe he can be maybe a 36 ish percent three-point shooter uh which is good enough um, yeah, that, they would be very pleasantly, uh, I would be pleasantly surprised. I think they'd be very pleased with that kind of a performance. Yeah. Um, and they seem to think that, you know, like last year, I, I've talked to some coaches said, well, he was kind of unfairly in the Dwayne Casey doghouse. Um, not necessarily used uh, to the best of his abilities as far as, hey, just go stand in the corner instead of Steve Kerr. And this is what Glenn Robinson is saying, that that in this offense he feels like he can actually, you know, he's allowed to slash and, you know, make a read on a back cut. And, and if he catches it, do a dribble handoff and uh, just do a bit more stuff that kind of uh, better fits his game. He said this summer he watched a bunch of tape of Andre Iguodala. And, you know, he wants to be in that Andre Iguodala role. Um, we all know he's, you know, not nearly defensively as good. The basketball IQ is, I mean, Iguodala is one of, uh, you know, the smartest basketball players ever. He's not there, but uh, I guess, you know, I think Glenn Robinson in their ideal world would be kind of poor man's Andre Iguodala starting, probably getting in the 20, 25 to 30 minutes per night, depending on how good he is. I guess Alex Bur- Alec Burks is your scorer off the bench at the small forward yeah. position. Maybe he plays with Russell on that second yeah. group. Yeah, because you're going to need to score, but he doesn't really defend and he doesn't efficiently score. He'll just, you know, chuck a bunch of shots and, you know, some nights. Alec Burks will probably have eight nights this year where he helps a win, where it's like, wow, Alec Burks had like, you know, 15 points in 18 minutes, uh, but he'll probably have some really bad nights for them too. Uh, Jacob Evans, they're, we're talking all summer about making him a backup point guard. Uh, and I still do think when Curry comes out, he's going to kind of play somewhat point guard, although Russell will mostly handle yeah. the ball. I, I, I really 
don't like him on on that second unit with Russell. I think he really uh, causes problems for the theory of that, which is let's try and run some spread pick and roll with D'Angelo. Yeah, because he doesn't space it. I mean, he's not a three-point shooter. Uh, he looks a little better. It a does. little better than he it did looks, last year, at least. It looks better, but as you know, sometimes it's not about as much is it going in from three, but like do, do defenses, are they concerned if you are standing behind the three-point line? And in a spread pick and roll, defenser, defenders are going to gladly collapse. Uh, off Jacob Evans and, and Jacob Evans prefers to shoot like an 18, 19 footer. In truth, he wants to be Sean Livingston for this Warriors team. He wants to be, uh, you know, technically considered a point guard, but doesn't really handle the ball that much. C- gets a few mid rangers off per game, plays decent defense. Um, and the, bringing back to the point you're talking about the small forward they are now more since camp has started talking about him as part of the small forward competition whereas before camp started it was like point guard point guard backup point guard yeah and they don't really have other than kai bowman a traditional third point guard on the roster um but yeah i mean it does seem to me gr3 i mean just i think sad as it is to say he's probably the best spot up shooting option now the statistical record on that is not particularly in his favor the most three-pointers he's ever taken per 36 minutes was last year at 3.7 he shot uh 29 i mean that is a very low number i mean he really needs to be up around six or or seven there in the role that he's going to be playing where he has to space the floor for uh, steph curry and d'angelo russell uh, i mean we saw you know how effective that triangle of two and the box in one was in the finals i think we're going to see a lot of those types of alignments uh, against this team that really only has two threats off the dribble and if they they need that third shooting threat um, and also, he's got to be more efficient for two-point range. I mean, someone with his athleticism, it really, the only two-pointers I think you should be taking are dunks and layups. And he shot under 50% uh, for his career from two-point range, which uh, that can't fly on this team again, because you have, I mean, I still expect them to be a, a very solid offensive group uh, as any team with Steph Curry would be. Yeah, I don't think Glenn Robinson's going to like try to create shots for himself in the half court at all this season. I think his only two pointers will be on the break. He's running with Curry and like as we've seen in this preseason and they're just alley oop kind of finishes uh and stuff. And you know, they have enough, you know, I guess other offensive weapons where Glenn Robinson just uh, again, it's threes and layups for you and, and only wide open. So all right, we we got Steph D'Angelo Draymond Green, Cauley Stein, this is when everyone's healthy, Cauley Stein, Looney, Robinson, that's probably your top six guys. Who would you say are some of the favorites to be, you know, seventh and eighth on this team in minutes played this year? I think Jordan Poole. Um, and it's only been three preseason games, and the third one he just went three of 14 shooting. Um, so kind of tells you where the depth is right now. Um, but he, you know, like it, if you've watched the game, like the, the offensive feel, I think looks a lot more advanced than I expected. Uh, he did hit seven of 16 threes in the first two games. Uh, and they are viewing this season as so much of a fast forward, like it, you know, a longer view season where the 2021 title and beyond that is to me, uh, more the priority. And he is the highest ceiling young guy they have. They, they're, they're taking flyers on a bunch of different young guys, but he is the first round pick they got. He, to me, has already shown the most promise of any of their young guys as far as not necessarily star potential, but like upper level rotation potential um so i think they're going to give him a ton of opportunities i already saw in the second preseason game when it was kind of more of an up and down game with a bad wolves defense as you mentioned they put him out there in that small forward spot he is not a small forward he's six five he's small he can be pushed around by bigger shooting guards he's spectacularly unathletic as well he had one of the worst athleticism scores at the combine as well yeah i mean he said to to me like as a leaper or as a speed guy no you're right i mean he's he's a lower level athlete what i've been impressed like the way he moves 
moves off ball, which like it's a different yeah. type of athleticism. You know, it's kind of like the more the Clay Thompson athleticism, um, where he he can curl around screens. He really kind of has like uh, smooth movement on that type of stuff. But uh, so again, he he's not a small forward at all. I mean, you could even argue he's a little bit too small and 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 frail for for a two guard at least at this point. Yeah. Um, and he's not making up for it with like his defensive competitiveness no. at this point either. No, but they put him out there in a. It was a Curry, D'Angelo, Russell, uh, Pool backcourt. It was against the Wolves. Again, you can't do this against you know the Lakers. LeBron will just eat all day. But um, he and he, they they played offensively well and like he he can kind of fit in that I guess three guard lineup. I think Curry's going to try a lot of stuff like that, especially because the alternatives aren't like you know great. Uh, so to me, yeah. I, you know, I think he could be seventh in minutes played on this team. I think he could be fifth in points scored because he's going to get up a ton of shots. You know, he took 14 shots last night in 20 something minutes. And uh, I think he had taken like 36 shots in the first two preseason games. Uh, and they are giving him the green light and they're, they're pumped about him. And one thing I do see with him, I do see like, it, the the body looks very young he's already I, I believe added nearly 20 pounds of muscle since the draft and you know for example first preseason game he has a really nice night we're trying to get him you know to talk post game uh they want to put him on like the podium because the warriors love to just put anybody on the podium basically um but we <laughs> we had to wait like an hour because right after the game they had him in the weight room uh you know and he's he, he's doing you know bench or whatever type of weightlifting stuff he was doing and then he comes into the thing and he's drinking a protein shake i mean like they're on a big time like strength gaining program for him and that might not be necessarily great for like how the shot you know goes how efficient it stays throughout an 82 game season but uh i think in the body you see growth potential yeah i I don't see it as much uh, with him i think he's just gonna be so bad defensively that it's just it's gonna be tough and they're they're gonna have to be really careful about the minutes they play him in you know especially if they want to play him with the main guys I mean, they're already really small and frail in the backcourt with d'angelo at the two curry at the one i mean curry has been underrated defensively but he had also you know four of the best defenders of all time sitting around him in some of these groups so you know he's gonna be i mean i think it's been telling that when they've gone uh, up against uh, teams uh, in these first couple of preseason games that curry has actually been the guy that they've put on the point guard instead of d'angelo right like they used to hide curry and, and no more he's actually the best defensive option they yeah. have in the backcourt which is not a good situation uh to be in right now so especially given what his offensive load is gonna be so uh, i mean i think and Kerr also i mean he's gonna have to grow more impatient this is a different kind of team they're gonna be focused on development uh but i think early on it's gonna be tough to to play pool maybe if uh things evolve over the course of the year and their injuries or uh god forbid they fall out of it uh then we could see more pool um i think they would love to find more of a role for eric pascal to who to me defensively you know might be like what the fourth best defensive player on this team uh, at this point maybe even the third best yeah. defensive player on this team I, uh, amazingly i mean i would still probably like i would probably say steph at this point is more i mean again if we consider steph average i don't know about it you know we'll see with eric pascal it's so hard to say that about a rookie now 10 games in i might have a, yeah. a better idea i mean he's, he, he tries and he can't yes. get 
completely run over, I mean, that makes you like maybe the third best defensive it, player. It is team. true. But for example, <laughs> Lakers last night didn't play Anthony Davis. They started Pascal because Draymond Green did not play. Um, and Dwight Howard was just too big for him. You know, I mean, Pascal is six, oh, sure. yeah. is six foot seven, six foot eight. And, you know, he got two quick fouls that the Lakers were really posting him up. Uh, Dwight Howard had 12 first half rebounds. The Warriors hit, you know, we, you mentioned it earlier, that quote Kerr had, but they've been so bad rebounding, defensive rebounding in the preseason. And, you know, that's because of, the, it's because their centers are injured right now, but guys like Pascal are out there and they're just, that is where he's not necessarily, at least at this point, even anywhere near Draymond. Like Draymond can be undersized, but he's like just a, one of the oh, best yeah. box out guys you'll ever see. You know, he just would, remember him just wiping out Clint Capella, um, you know, in that Rockets game. And Pascal just, he needs to start to learn those Draymond Green tricks of how to use the body and the strength and timing and, you know, when to, when to bump a guy off his spot. Uh, and Pascal is not even close to being there on that. Now, he swatted Jared Dudley in transition last night. He's got long arms. Uh, he would be the opposite of pool where like the body is already about as, you know, as strong and sturdy. He doesn't need to get on some strength program to, to, to bulk up. He's already kind of, I think 22, almost 23 for a rookie, you know, played, uh, four years. I mean, Villanova, he, he's played in a winning environment, which they really like, you know, as a role player at Villanova. Um, so he is definitely a, just, just a drop and play option. And yes, I would consider him in that, um, you know, seventh, eighth in the, on the team in minutes type thing that we're talking about here, um, with a low ceiling, but a high floor to me as an NBA player. And I think he's just going to be solid. You know, he's going to be, he's going to be a solid player. He attacks the rim with some confidence. Uh, more confidence than maybe you'd expect, although he struggles to finish in traffic because he's undersized. Uh, he is a willing shooter. Now the jumper, it's kind of got a, yeah. like a dolphin-y type like form. He kind of like flips the feet at the bottom a little bit. It's, it's not, <laughs> it's not pretty, but he's willing to shoot it. And it, okay, you know, it's not, you know, it's not Andre Robertson or something. Like it occasionally goes in, um, but he's not going to scare anybody out of three, three point line. So he's, he won't be a spacer. Yeah. I, I think that that's going to be the key to his career is what can he find something to do offensively within the limitations you talked about. And the other problem is, you know, he's not a three he's he's too slow for that he's not a good enough shooter and Draymond Green happens to play his position and then if you want to play those guys together now you're taking Cauley Stein and Looney two of their other like actual established NBA rotation players of the five that they will have available hopefully at the start of the season uh out of there so it's tough to find him enough minutes I mean if they just had an equally skilled guy at the three that they could plug in I I think they would love that but uh you know it's just uh, unless somebody's hurt uh, I think uh, taking advantage of his like relative competence might be difficult um we talked about alec burks uh, i guess now's a good time to discuss uh, this final roster situation here and i can start just talking about how they are of course hard capped uh they can only have 14 players the first day that they can sign a 15th player because they're only four hundred thousand dollars and change below the hard cap at the league minimum would be march 3rd and so they basically have to soldier on with 14 players and the other problem that they have here too is well if somebody gets hurt you can't even replace them right i mean even if you get an injury exception you can't exceed that for any reason so they really uh, there's no way to move on from these guys they've used up all their cash so they can't get off of any guaranteed money 
And so all of that means the one non-guaranteed guy that they have in camp, I guess there's two, one is McKinney, the other one is Marquise Chris. And so they just have to decide between those two because they literally have no way of getting off of any of these other guys on the roster if they wanted to keep both of them. So how is that competition shaping up at this point? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think if in their ideal world, I think they would love to maybe get off Spellman for Chris right now uh, because Spellman's had a really rough preseason. He's obviously still kind of, he's lost a bunch of weight. He said he was at his max up to 315 uh, down, you know, I think in the, what do you say, like 270 range. Uh, but he wants yeah. to, he, wa- he really struggled to finish uh, inside. Yeah. He wants to get to 260. You know, he's still not the, the ideal playing weight. And I mean, he's just not shooting it well. He's not moving that well. Uh, meanwhile, they really need help at that center spot right now. And that's what, that is what it created this opening, right? Because Willie Cauley-Stein goes up for an alley-oop, well, however, let's say a week, two weeks before camp, really, you know, injures his foot. And then the Warriors reach out to Marquise Chris. And it was no longer, hey, Marquise Chris, we don't really have a spot for a center. It was like, hey, we really need a center in camp. And because Willie Cauley-Stein's probably going to miss part of the start of the regular season, uh, you have a chance, if you perform decently at least, uh, to make this roster and, 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 and we'll find a way to put you on it. And Marquise Chris, to his credit, has come in and looked like a completely different player. Um, and I know you've been as critical as anyone over him over the years. Um, I am shocked at what I'm seeing. He has 12 assists in three games. They're yeah, using that. That's very surprising. Yeah. I mean, he showed a little bit of passing ability in college, uh, but you know, nothing, nothing no, like what we've I seen talked so to far some, yet. I talked to some of the people in the words. They're like, go look at his assist to turnover at Washington. It's like embarrassingly bad. You know what I mean? Like, and even into his first few years, I mean, like, he wasn't, he wasn't used like the, you know, you know, the Warriors offense with Kerr, they use their big men, you know, kind of out of the high post as like hubs. Sure. Um, but they did that when they had Andrew Bogut, one of the smartest passers, uh, in the last couple of decades at the center spot. David West, who, you know, is, is, is so sharp on back cuts and stuff like that. Marquise Chris, he's, he seems to know exactly when to do the dribble handoffs with Steph. He's doing these like volleyball kind of taps. You know, Zaza used to catch it, another good passer out of the big man spot. Yeah. Used to catch it and kind of throw it through his legs. Like, Marquise Chris is doing his own unique way of that with these dribble handoffs. He's even a couple of times perfectly kind of caught it on the roll and then pinged it to the corner. And it was like, it, it, it just does not look like the player you expected to show up at camp. It's not the player we saw in Phoenix. He didn't really play much in Houston. Cleveland, I mean, I didn't watch it. By that time, did, do you remember watching any of his games in Cleveland? I mean, they were so out of the playoffs, I didn't pay attention. But Yes, of course. I watch every yeah, team, yeah, Anthony. Right. Um, but And it's not just me who's surprised. Like, Steve Kerr is surprised at the player that showed up. You know, they, they thought they were bringing in the former eighth overall pick that was talented, that was bouncy, that could kind of be the alley-oop threat um, that they weren't going to have in camp with Willie Cauley-Stein out. And he would just kind of help in preseason to mimic Willie Cauley-Stein, in a sense, for a Draymond Green. So, he you know, he would have that outlet on when, when Draymond Green's coming down the lane. And instead of just being a body, he has convinced guys like Draymond Green that he is needed going into the season. And, and the reason guys yeah. like Draymond Green want someone like that is because, you know, a Draymond Green or an Eric Pascal they are too short they can't really finish at the rim they love throwing that lob over the top when the shot blocker comes over so uh yeah and, and you know he's not he's not uh terrific defensively but he hasn't been just completely unaware you know he at least seems to know the concepts and when you talk to him in, in interviews like he he's mentioning like their schemes their rotations you're like you know 
I don't know. He surprised me. Yeah, I mean, I I read Marcus's piece, Marcus Thompson's, your your colleague at the Athletic, that called him. Oh, he's a real cerebral player. And I was like, Marcus, what the hell are you talking about? Like, he's not. But he actually, he's completely surprised me as well. I mean, I still think he's going to suck defensively. You know, he's one of the least aware players in terms of defensive rotations. So I mean, it's going to take a lot of work there. But uh, you know, he's, he won't stand out on this roster in that regard. Um, so yeah, I mean, it, it certainly seems like he's. You know, I, I would have said, hey, keep McKinney, but McKinney it's just can't shoot it well enough he's not a, a defensive solution at the three he's too slight so uh yeah. ultimately i think it does make uh, the most sense to hold on to chris uh, at this point i um, would i would say with mckinney like mckinney made a lot more sense on last year's roster as like hey you don't need the small forward uh or another wing to do any type of creation or uh much except for McKinney would just come in and just get a hustle offensive rebound. And that is by far yeah, his best. They needed that yeah. regular season energy last he year got, throughout the malaise. He got one of the biggest rebounds uh, of the season for them. I mean, although they probably would have, you know, they definitely would have won this series anyways. But game four, the clincher of the West Finals, um, twice in the fourth quarter, he, he got behind Lillard because, you know, the teams like Portland would put Lillard on McKinney because, of, you know, that hide Lillard on their worst offensive player and Lillard would forget to box him out. And McKinney, is relentless attacking little cracks and then kind of flying in he's kind of fearless flying and catching it right put back he, he had right down the stretch in, in that game four he did that because he made sense for that roster now they just need more out of the wing and he's just incapable of giving it i mean there's a reason why uh, yeah. his career path went from not even a draft prospect to luxembourg to mexico to, to where he is now um I, and I do think he could be a fit elsewhere in the league, but to me, the smartest thing they can do at this point probably would be to give Chris McKinney's roster spot, ask McKinney if he wants to take the two-way, and then you could bump out Kai Bowman. Uh, and if McKinney will take the two-way, then, you know, you essentially have McKinney on the roster still. Uh, if he doesn't take the two-way, then keep Chris for the first, we'll say, 15, 20 games. He'll get minutes early on before Cauley Stein comes back. And if Cauley Stein comes back and Chris is completely out of the rotation, and if Chris proves to kind of still be the player we always thought he has been, uh, then make sure his contract's non-guaranteed. And you can cut him and go get another wing. And you can find a you can find a wing in the D League or the G League or elsewhere uh, that can maybe help. Yeah, I mean, they, they have not had the greatest player development. That's going to be something that's going to have to turn around. I know they've been focusing more on that. They've added a couple positions on that this year. But, you know, some of these guys at the end, other than Looney, uh, haven't quite worked out for them uh, to date. Um so Steph Curry and Draymond Green, right? I mean, that's that's really still what this team is built on. A lot of the people who are saying, hey, this team is still going to win 50 games. Steph Curry and Draymond Green are that good. Doesn't really matter who's around them. Now, I could start by saying you know, that, yeah, it matters, especially because like replacement level might be a new thing for this team, right? You're always like, all right, if somebody's so bad, you just cut them, you get someone in the G League. Well, they actually don't have the option to do that, right? Like they only, they only have one roster slot where they have any flexibility, this Chris McKinney situation. So they're actually just stuck with all these guys, you know, like your, your Smiley Geach, your Spellman, just guys who are, are not even close to being ready. Uh, and so, you know, they're wasting a lot of roster spots if they're injuries, like they could really get dragged down. But if this team does make the playoffs, Curry and Green will be the ones to carry them. So let's start with Draymond Green. Uh, how is he looking in camp? Uh, and how do you project him to play this regular season, given that, you know, the last couple of regular seasons, he, he's kind of eased into things to, to be charitable? Yeah, it's interesting. His, so his first interview at camp was like, um, what was it? It, it was about, um, one second. Sorry, I had a video going on here because I'm looking at his stats. Um, he His first interview going to, uh, 
was about a week in and he was as frustrated as I've seen him in a long time. You know, he just it had experienced the slowest training camp uh, in five years where, you know, they're, they're stopping practice every five minutes to, to talk to a, to a young guy about, well, you know, this is the proper concept or this is what you should be doing. And that these really tedious drills. And um, so there, I think there's a frustration level because he's such a like, uh, you know, smart and demanding player and he's been around you know Iguodala's and, and Durant's and, and Curry's and Clay Thompson's these guys that not only know the system but they know it it's just they've just mastered it uh, and it was just hit the ground yeah. running they just know how to be professionals I mean a lot of these guys yes. don't even know like they, they don't not only do they not even know they don't even know how to teach themselves to know yeah so um and there's such a balance because I think in an ideal world, Draymond Green really is the perfect guy to really like force these guys, uh, you know, to into uh, a quick professional like learning situation. Um, but he has to be patient enough to do it. Uh, and I think we'll see. You know, we're, we're talking at such a young part of the season and, and they're zero and zero and there's no criticism around them. They haven't, you know, lost three of four and it's because the, all these young guys are making mistakes. Uh, but I already kind of see the frustration bubbling within Draymond. And the question to me this season with him, particularly because he already locked into this hundred year, hundred million dollar extension, um, is he going to kind of go, you know, oh, well, you know, whatever, Clay will be back and fully healthy in the next season and uh maybe we can make some tinkering and get some veterans to come in maybe Iguodala will come back next year and uh we'll kind of just punt this season I you know I'm not going for a contract like we thought he might be going into a contract year or is he gonna really try to uh kind of you know drag these guys out of the mud and 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 show them uh how to fight through a losing streak and is he going to erase big mistakes down the stretch of games and um you know is he going to be locked in all 82 games I don't know Uh, I to be honest, might lean towards no, uh, but some of that might be early yeah, on. Didn't come in in unbelievable shape either. No, he, to me, he's not what he was in, you know, whatever, February of last year where he later revealed he was about 25 pounds overweight. He's, he's not there. I mean, sometimes that yeah. happens within the season. You go through the winter months and, uh, you know, spe- like talk about lack of motivation. Last year, the lack of motivation was like they were just waiting for April to get here. And the, and the other thing with him is um, he's so he, he's so mentally strong that he ca- he knows he ca- can lose 25 pounds in a you know, month and a half period. Um, and last year he knew as long as he could lose those pounds before April 15th, all that mattered was April 15th. Uh, this year, I don't think he's gained that, you know, he does it. He, he didn't come into camp with that many pounds because he can't afford to wait that long this year. Um, yeah. we'll see. Uh, again, to me, the, the fact that they locked him into a hundred million is good for the long term, but I think is bad for this season. I, I just, well, the motivation level just isn't as strong as it would have been. Well, and I'd kind of be thinking if I were him too, hey, the organization basically punts it on this year by hard capping themselves and having no depth and moving Iguodala, this Russell thing. We'll see how good Russell actually is, but uh, that could be you know something where they either move him he's not a great long-term fit you know we'll see whether they actually end up keeping him for the long term here but you hey the organization put it on this year like you know and once he just sees how many fingers there are or how many holes there are on the dike and 
and uh, how few fingers he has to, to put in there. I mean, I think number one, there's his effort level, but also, you know, I'm not, we haven't seen him playing outside of a great defense. Can he raise a defense that has this many holes in it? You know, I don't know if he's quite a Rudy Gobert type where, okay, just funnel everything to me. I'll take care of it. You know, he's kind of more destructive within a system that doesn't have as many holes. And then there's one hole to, to fill and he fills it. But, you know, just making him sprint all over the floor, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that's within his capabilities, especially now as he moves into, you know, getting close to 30. Yeah, two things I'm looking at with his game this year. Uh, how much does he, especially when he's frustrated within a game and a, an opposing forward or even a guard sometimes is lighting them up. You know, uh, does he say, I'm taking that assignment? You know, because in past years it was like, well, yeah. Iguodala. But, but he can't, though. Like, because he, he's the only guy who could be a help defender, yeah. too. Well, I, I'm again, I remember in the Minnesota game the other day for about three straight possessions, he was really hounding Carl Anthony Towns. And at one point he picked Carl Anthony Towns clean. Now he took that steal, went to the other end, and botched a layup. Um, yeah. Uh, the offense is, that, is another, that's where another problem. I, I was going to go after they, that. They need more from him there. Yeah. yeah. I was going to go there after that. But yeah, I just, you know, I do think there are times where, especially if it's a one-man band, you know, if Lillard's yeah. really giving it to him, I could see him being like, you know what, Steph and D'Angelo, like, go go find the wings. One of you, I, you know, I guess Steph take McCollum, I'm taking Lillard. I could see him doing that if it's like, hey, I really want to win this game tonight. And I do think there will be nights he'll do that. I just don't think they will be all the time. It, yeah. it can't be all the time. Um, I, I mean, I, I think it's just, there's just so many other holes. It's like, if he switches out, I mean, that's part of why, like, he's so good switching when you have all these other guys around him, and he could be this superlative player, but like, you can't switch because then like, you know, Jordan Poole or D'Angelo Russell is going to be like trying to defensive rebound or in the post yeah. against someone. It's not Sean Livingston or, or Andre Guidal. They're just, they have so little size at the one through three that I think, you, you know, I don't want to say he's going to get exposed because I think he's still really good. But yeah, I, I'm not sure. I mean, and I don't know if he's really has quite the quickness to like play, like he can switch onto Lillard. But he can't like get over a screen on Lillard in like a conventional style. I don't. Think. No, you're in. That's probably more like important possessions than like full right, yeah, quarters. Yeah. You know, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah, like hey, they're up three and they really need this win. Like he's taking Lillard right out of the timeout. Um, yeah. but and I mean, you mentioned the offense. To me, that's probably question number one. I mean, preseason opener in 18 minutes, he didn't take a shot for like the first 12 minutes. He only took three shots total. Didn't score in the preseason opener, and that was fine last. You know, he could have scoreless halves in the last few years especially once Durant came on board um and you know we wouldn't even barely notice it was like you know just be kind of you know the playmaker sometimes you know you wanted him to shoot the three when he was wide open there was that point especially last year when teams were just sagging off him completely and it became like he had to solve it and he did it by doing you know where he catches it and then he runs over and does the dribble handoff uh this year though you know he needs to go back to what he used to be maybe not you know he's never going to be 73 win season again where what did he average like 13 14 points a game yeah he shot threes at 38 percent uh and like shot a lot of threes and made 38 percent that season to me that offensive player is gone i i think uh his kind of yeah. chronic knee issues he had the shoulder he had a sh- bad shoulder bad toe like but, the- but he looked a lot better in the playoffs last year finishing than he did in the regular season and like and they need him to like be able to do those like quick push attacks up the floor when everyone is falling asleep or, or bust out be able to find russell or, or curry running the lanes you know that to, for threes i mean they at least need that you're, level you're right him. you remember the portland series where it was like every single defensive rebound he was jolting up court like you know and that created so many it was either layups for him or layups for somebody else sometimes he just missed the layup but because like the defense is frantically like you know trying to recover then Kevon Looney's just coming right behind him getting an easy putback 
essentially from it. Um, so yes, they need that on a consistent, you know, everyday regular season basis. But the problem is he really is going to need to keep his body in good shape to do that because that's like, you know, an every other night thing. Hey, you're playing back to backs. You need it again. Uh, and you know, again, I think maybe the smart thing they can do this year is, um, if, if they're tired on the road and they're about to play, I don't know, like they're in Philly, let's say, maybe punt a game. Uh, punt a game that you feel like you're going to lose anyways, and then just you got to hammer the bad teams. And Draymond, it might be more important for him to bring that type of energy. I know it kind of sounds like counterintuitive, but bring that type of energy against the bad teams just to make sure you get those wins and don't waste uh, those type of nights losing by six in Philadelphia, even though it was like a valiant effort. Yeah, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. I, I agree with you there. Um, Steph Curry, on the other hand, to me, looks awesome. I mean, they had a 150 offensive rating when he was on the floor against Minnesota. He had 18 points in the first half against the Lakers. Struggled a little bit uh, in the most recent game, and he's going to take the next game off. But, I mean, to me, he looks like uh, the same guy again. I mean, it's I was very surprised that in ESPN's NBA rank, he was number six overall. I mean, you saw how soon people forget that this guy, like, put up 47 on a great Raptors defense with nobody around him in game three of the finals and averaged like what 37 a game in the West finals in a sweep uh, of the Blazers. I mean, he's, this is going to be, he's going to turn 32 this year. So the decline has to be coming, but I mean, the guy still looks pretty damn good. Yeah. I mean, you should like anyone listening, like go back and watch him in like 2015. I mean, he's an MVP by that point. Uh, and look how skinny he is, you know, compared to now. Um, and wh- where the body looked and, and to me, that is maybe the almost underrated part of Steph Curry's greatness is how he has uh, built himself for the long haul. You know, I mean, obviously everyone knows like how, how he, um, you know, survived all the ankle issues and, and, and retrained, I guess, like his lower body to, to how to fall and different stuff to make sure his, his ankle troubles didn't, uh, you know, kind of derail his career. But the way he has built, you know, bulk, you know, in the upper body and, and the core and the way he's become like, you know, not a negative defender because he's, a, he's much stronger in the base. Um, and clearly like, you know, the recovery level and, um, you know, he, he, yeah, it's just an awesome shape yes, too. I mean, he just never stops running. No, exactly. I mean, I mean the, the cardio, uh, in the off season, I mean, he's playing golf all the time. I mean, he'll, they will let, like, it'll be a five game road trip and they've had three rough games. And this is, you know, I'm talking during seasons where like, not only are they playing these games, but they're playing it under crazy spotlights. There's so much drama around, uh, you know, uh, just like the relentless this microscope and they'll land and it'll be uh you know it'll be kind of winter time let's say they land in phoenix uh, on the fourth game of a road trip and he will like go out and play golf and, and well meanwhile everyone else including myself if i'm on the road trip like i need to get a nap in at this time like so he he does have unbelievable stamina uh just does not really ever seem to get fatigued at any point in life i mean you should see the amount of interviews and like requests he does in autograph sessions and hey it's an off day Steph, you need to go do this event with aisha um that that to me is like it, it's the most impressive part about him and it's what makes me believe that you know he is going to be Steve Nash good in my opinion until it, you know barring a really bad injury into mid when was like Nash's last great year like thirty six like, like probably probably thirty seven thirty I mean like right the, that season before he came to the Lakers and I think he finished up at forty after like three years in L A so I think uh, yeah it was probably his age thirty seven season in Phoenix I mean he was still quarterbacking some pretty good offenses even after Stoudemire left, I think so, I think yeah. that's where Steph's headed uh, personally now yeah. look. I do think there'll be small declines, um, but... 
Yeah, I don't at, think that's at some point he's going to have to he's going to have to be you know playing thirty minutes a game in the regular season instead of thirty six. You know, yeah, and, that that's going to happen at some point or thirty two minutes. Yeah, and and can't happen this year. <laughs> well, it, maybe it can. You know, if they if yeah. they don't start well, uh, it's they are going to really they're going to readjust expectations by the month this season, and I definitely could see them pulling the plug if it makes sense to pull the plug at some point. Yeah, they got the top twenty protected pick, which if it doesn't go this year to to Brooklyn. Then it turns into what, like a 2026 second rounder yeah, or something I like think that? I think 2025 second rounder, which is, I mean, obviously yeah. a huge difference, especially for a team more concerned about the next four or five years because they have Steph and Clay and Draymond locked in than they are about their 2025. So, I mean, yeah, I can't even, we may even be talking about that late in the year if let's say they have like the ninth best record heading into the last week. And if, as long as they aren't playing themselves out of the playoffs, I mean, they, it might, you know, cause that's probably where they're going to be, right? Right around like ninth, tenth best record. So that, yeah. will be very interesting just from a Warriors future standpoint to, to see if they can protect that pick. You think Clay Thompson plays this year? Yes. Um, but I think we are um it's it's being talked about as too much of a given by people. You know, it's just like pencil them in for February. Uh you know, and maybe not you're not thinking that way, but um again when we're talking about pulling the plug, you know, if they're twenty five and twenty five, um, you know, around that time, uh it, i in an okay, in an ideal world, I remember I looked at this. Remember, okay, so Paul George breaks his leg in um what whatever month that August first, twenty twenty fourteen. Okay. I, I remember watching it. Yeah. yeah, and in everybody's mind, like Paul George missed that whole rest of the season, right? That's how it's like remembered. Yeah, but but he, but he came back. Yes, yeah. he came it, back. It, I believe six games. Yeah. yeah, I believe he was like April like fourth or something played the last six games the Pacers did not make the playoffs they didn't bring him back because you know they were trying to rush in and somehow make a run like no no well actually that's not true they they missed the playoffs that year on the the last day of the season the Nets made it in instead I remember kind of being bummed out because I wanted the Pacers to to make it but uh no I mean they're actually like playing him real minutes and real games it just you know he obviously was struggling but they they just needed something he's also at a position as Clay is where you know any kind of just three and D stand there and like don't be a turnstile on defense you can actually help the team yeah i I guess more i'm talking more just like how properly that was like probably handled in the sense of yeah he just played about i I remember looking at the game log he's playing i don't think he ever played more than 20 minutes in those last six games he played about 15 to 18 minutes all six they didn't make the playoffs even if they were trying to they didn't make the playoffs and then he went into the offseason with probably a little more mental confidence but the body wasn't overused late in the season uh and then that that kind of boosted him into the offseason and and clearly we've seen he's come back unbelievably well what we thought was a horrendous injury worse than what you would consider clay's but an ac Uh, yeah i actually i actually disagree with that it's uh, sorry to be combative but i i just a broken bone with no associated ligament damage even if it was way more i guess it, yeah it just looks worse yeah exactly yeah I, I mean that's actually like bones heal you know i mean it's a, like ligaments you get this uh more atrophy uh around it there's more instability like I, I think it is a little bit of a different animal in terms of an acl yeah. than uh than a broken bone if you know it's not like gordon hayward where it's like right on the ankle joint uh, 
as well so i don't know so so you think it is more likely than not that he does play though yeah i think so uh one thing but 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 one thing that has made me pause on that is that you we've always considered clay thompson like crazy tough i think he's i think he had only missed like 20 something regular season games is yeah bind his entire first like eight years um so there was the i've always had the thought man he's really gonna push back i mean think about what he did in the finals maybe part of the reason he injured the you know tore the left acl is because he came back from a pretty bad looking hamstring injury you know tried to play the next game just sat there stewing on the bench angry that they didn't let him play and then does come back in four and obviously later tears the left acl and you know maybe that's part of hamstring stability but anyways so my thought was like man he like i think he might try to like you know push his way back by january he's been talking about how he he's been studying acl injuries and saw that adrian peterson came back in seven months and how impressed he was by that um so Part of me was thinking that, but then at the same time, now I'm hearing him talk about, uh, taking the cautious approach. He's going to do what the team says. And, and I think again, like we were talking about earlier with Draymond, he's seeing the way that the, the franchise is attacking the season. They didn't make sure they brought Iguodala back and used the mid level on a veteran and, and were, you know, pumping out to the media that, Hey, we're still going after this year's title. Uh, so I think, uh, again, I think it's so dependent on circumstance. If, if a couple of these young guys hit, if they look like they have a seven deep rotation, if they're sitting there in the five, six seed come, uh, February, March, uh, and they think, and they look around and go, well, the Clippers don't look that good. And Paul George is still dealing with, and Kawhi's dealing with some injuries. The Lakers aren't really coming together. The West is there for the taking. Um, then I, and, and of course, Clay feels healthy enough. I could see them bringing them back and really maybe trying to make a run for it. Um, but if, if the young guys don't work out that well, if they are, you know, hovering around the eight, nine, 10 range and, and it just looks unrealistic to go win a title, I, I could see them just bringing him back. Like I said, in that Paul George fashion, just get a little bit of, uh, you know, usage late in the year to get, to, to get your confidence back in your body and then just only worry about next season. I'm going to predict, actually, I, I don't feel incredibly strongly about it, but I'm going to predict that he doesn't play. Uh, and the reason being that, you know, it's really... Uh the average return to play has been about 11 months or so uh, from ACLs recently. It used to be a little bit quicker than that. You know, Adrian Peterson football, football is a little different. One thing being that you're only playing once a week um, and you're not, you know, you, you only have 25 plays a game where you have to like make a move and stuff. Mm. Whereas uh, basketball, you're doing it on every possession. I would say tw- yeah. 25 Adrian Peterson plays are about as hard on your knees as you could possibly <laughs> be. The way that guy cuts and gets hit. But yeah, yeah. But right, he's a freak. Right, he's anyway, a, I mean, he, yeah. he's, he's crazy. And not yeah. that Clay is in, but like Adrian yeah. Peterson. And, and, and also, you know, football players aren't trying to play until they're 37. Uh, no. But but anyway, aside from that, so so that's one aspect. I mean, yeah, there is this idea, oh, Clay Thompson, he's so tough. But it, but it seems like, I mean, if he were anyone other than Clay Thompson, if he were just any normal player, I think it would be very clear that he was probably not going to play, right? I mean, you look at like Derrick Rose was in this situation. Yeah. You know, there's a, a lot of guys who have been in this situation. They're talking about KD. I mean, realistically, KD could return in terms of like the normal return time for Achilles, he could return more easily than Clay could. We've seen guys actually come back, you know, seven, eight months or so, Wes Matthews or Kobe from that. Uh, so that's part of it. I mean, they said he he's going to be reevaluated at the All-Star break, essentially. They'll have an announcement then. So they just don't, when is the truth yeah. is, the truth with stuff like that, though, is they're reevaluating him every day. You know, they have these, oh, yeah, yeah. they just, 
especially Steve Kerr now, especially after last year's playoffs where there were so many like medical mishaps and like they were saying stuff that was, you know, like the, them and the training staff wasn't necessarily on the same page. They purely said that. So we couldn't ask. And, and, and when we did ask, Hey, how Clay's doing today, he doesn't have to give an update that th- again, like that's just yeah. what they were saying is don't ask about him till the all-star break. Yeah. Now that being said though, when has it ever been, Hey, we'll give you the next update. And the next update is, Oh yeah, he's coming back tomorrow. No. You know, like, like it's, it'll be Clay Thompson has progressed well in his rehab and is now moving towards basketball activities. And, you know, it's, it's going to be that. And then, you know, maybe a month after that, he could potentially yeah. come back. But the one thing yeah, I would yeah. say, though, is we are going to get eyes on him a lot. We already are. He was, at, you know, I met youth practice at UCLA today. They're out there. Uh, he's on the court passing basketballs to his teammates as they're shooting. You know, I mean, you've been in yeah. there after practice where guys are doing individual work. He's out there looking like he just practiced clearly he's not running or jogging or doing anything strenuous but he's so number one he's so stir crazy and two he like he'll just he doesn't necessarily mind the reporters yeah. being around so i think although yes there's not going to be an official what you said this like uh you know um you know prototype update for us until the all-star break we are going to be you know you're going to see hey clay thompson's out shooting today you know it's maybe mid-december hey he's like kind of jogging so um we'll get a better idea as the season goes on and again how the team's doing will give us a better idea of if it even makes sense yeah. well and that's the other reason why i don't believe that he's going to play or if he does it'll be this kind of runt of the season doesn't matter at the very end um you know, and, you don't and, think they're gonna be we, good yeah because you do not think they're gonna be good I, yeah i'm waiting and, and, for your we, predicted yeah. record by the way i know how you do these things i'm curious what you're going with number wise <laughs> yeah no i mean I, and i think we could probably uh, get into that right now i mean i think we've hit on all the main strengths and weaknesses of the of this team here uh, unless anything else uh, pops into mind that you, you haven't mentioned i yet. mean yeah look i'm starting to worry about them rebounding uh my, my uh i guess my question of the year is will they not be a bottom 10 defense to, to me like that's such an important number because they're kind of you know steph curry will this version of steph curry should always be a top 10 offense i would assume no i don't think i don't think that's gonna I mean, be top when he's set, on the floor six i think when he's on the floor they'll be top five but i think they're gonna you know as always struggle pretty badly when he's off i the floor. bet they are in the top 10 in offenses offensive rating this year now i don't think they'll be in the top five i think they'll be somewhere around six seven eight nine ten um but he's so good and he just creates so many lanes and again like an ankle tweak by him that knocks him out two weeks completely changes that but yeah um i think they'll be a still considered an above average NBA offense. Now they have what some would consider the best defensive player in basketball, but it's going to be very hard for Draymond Green to keep them out of the bottom 10 in defensive rating. Uh, and to me, I mean, beyond strengths and weaknesses, I'm just curious if, if Draymond Green can drag this defense somehow to a 17th rate, you know, type rating, um, then they will be a solid, I think. And if he just can't, then I mean, this season may fall off the cliff. Yeah. And, and I think defensively, you know, if Looney starts, Draymond, GR3, maybe you could give him like average defense on the wing. Uh, you know, maybe they can be slightly above average defensively when they have their absolute best lineups on the floor. But how often are those absolute best lineups uh, going to be out there? You know, maybe they're scoring enough that they're not getting killed in transition. That helps the defense uh, a little bit. You know, maybe they could uh, at the end of games be passable 
defensively. Uh, but whenever Draymond's off the floor, they're going to just get completely destroyed. I mean, they've got all of these weak links that you can go after. I mean, it's going to be for a team that, you know, had so few weak links in the past, you know, now they have like one or two strong links with most of these units out there. So many rookies who just, you know, most rookies are awful defensively. Maybe Pascal could be passable. I think if Poole does play as much as you think, I think he's going to be atrocious. Russell is, uh, has gotten better, but he's still, uh, not any good on that end. So, you know, I kind of see them being around, you know, I, I went through and kind of just tried to eyeball it. You know, I, I have them in a tier, uh, where they could be a little bit higher, but I'm projecting them to be the number 22 defense in the who, NBA who is, right now. Who is right above them and below them in your projection? So I've got Minnesota, Charlotte, and Brooklyn below them in a different tier, and I've got like Memphis, Portland, Sacramento, Dallas uh, around the, 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 the same the level. The Portland comparison is interesting to me because I do kind of see their backcourt very Portland-like with, you know, two... Yeah. Uh, premier scores that that do it a little bit in different ways they're undersized and, and they don't really defend that well um yeah well the other thing about portland though is they have these big centers they at least uh, against a lot of teams they'll force you into the mid range they'll make you take shots from the right areas and, and i think steve you know they don't really have that kind of a scheme to fall back on they're installing a new scheme you know they're the coaching staff has been honest that they're kind of searching for what their system is going to be defensively. They don't have that institutional knowledge of, all right, you know, we don't may not have the most talent, but we're at least going to force you into the mid range and just like count on the math to at least like make us not terrible defensively. Did, like, I don't know if they have that. Yeah. I'm again, I think a lot of it is just if you have a belief in Draymond Green to just jump a team that sh- should be about 22nd ranked defense to 16. I mean, and to me, that's yeah. very much about his motivation level and his effort level. Yeah, and uh, how many games and how many minutes he plays, too. Yeah, and at this point, they're saying, you know, no planned rest for, for those guys. Obviously, that you know, that can pop up if, you know, your, your groin's a little sore or whatever. But at this point, you know, the plan is to play them pretty much every game and, and to give them normal and sometimes even above their normal minute loads of uh you know 34 probably on average but i I would expect uh nights that they're chasing wins they would go 37 38 with their main guys which you know may not be the smart thing especially when we're talking about how they probably at this point should view it as a next season proposition not this season um but again their first two months will tell us a lot all right so prediction times i I know you are greatly awaiting my prediction so i will uh, go first here I'm going to go with 45 wins for this group. The last I saw over under was 48 and a half. I think that is wildly high. You know, I could see them when Steph is on the floor being a top five offense, but you know, they do have these spots where if you're playing Draymond and Looney together and you don't get any shooting out of small forward, you know, that starts to make things really difficult for him. So maybe they're not that good. And then when he's off the floor, you know, I expect them to be a bottom 10 type of unit. That's about where Brooklyn was last year in those Russell minutes when he wasn't playing with Dinwiddie and Levert towards the end of the year. So, you know, I don't, I think he could make them slightly passable in those times without Steph on the floor. So, and then defense. Defensively, I think they're going to be, you know, not a bottom five, but I think they could be a bottom 10. And certainly the preseason has done very little to dispel that notion, although obviously, you know, their two best centers are out right now. So that's, that's part of that. But again, I think they're just, they have zero ability to withstand injury. Uh, they have zero ability to get better as well. I mean, I think that's another reason why I kind of think Clay wouldn't play because, you know, if you're right there, we say, oh, Clay comes back. And then if we could just trade for a small forward, you know, like a Jay Crowder type, we could actually, you look at our playoff rotation, we could actually pull the upset. Well, they don't have any flexibility to get someone like well, that. They can't exceed the hard cap. You know, well, yeah, what were we going to say? They, they're, they do have that March 3rd date and they will be an appealing, you would think, buyout 
destination because yeah. because you know bio guys love minutes right i mean west matthews last year might have come to yeah, the warriors but but, but a, a rotation level small forward is a yeah. big a starting small forward is a well you know their dream right uh dallas or somebody trades for andre goodall in the next month dallas flames out andre goodall gets bought out and they become that'll never it happen won't, it will not but uh you know i you know what i can see i can see somebody like bogut coming back in march you know especially if their center spot still kind of up there maybe with collie stein's not having a very good season um yeah but you know again uh their dream scenario would be maybe a jay crowder like uh, yeah. uh gets bought out so i mean i would all i would say is there is a best case scenario where they can maybe do what you're saying where they do have more flexibility under the hard cap once march arrives yeah, I mean, I think this team will still be dangerous at home. I think they can compete with the best teams in the NBA when they're at home. Their game's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. I mean, Steph Curry, you know, is, I think he could average over 30 points a game this year. Uh, and, I mean, he's still probably, to me, the best show in basketball uh, when he's really on fire. So they're going to be fun to watch. They're going to give up a ton of points, too. They're going to be in just some massive shootouts this year. But I think on the road, you know, they could really struggle. Their young guys uh, are going to struggle. They won't defend as well. I mean, they're going to be kind of, you know, your middling team you know we're not going to see this oh they're actually better on the road than they were at home like they were the last few years so it's going to be uh it's going to be a bit of a a wake-up call so what's uh what's your prediction if i if i had 45 uh i'm probably you know i haven't done anything official i'm probably saying right around 47 i think uh is probably what i would lock in um and the 48 was the eighth seed last year so that would i mean i again that doesn't mean it'll be the eighth seed this year but since you've done pretty much predictions for all the teams do you, I mean, that 45 would have them on the outside looking in in the playoffs, right? Yeah, let me see. Um, I'll have to go back and do that. I'll, I'll publish that for it's, Patreon subscribers later. But yeah, I mean, it's it's right there. I mean, yeah. there, there's, I have a bunch, you know, Portland, uh, Spurs right there. Pels, I have a little bit below them. Dallas, I have a little bit below them. But I mean, I think they're going to be closer to the level of, you know, your Dallas and your New Orleans than the level of like, you know, a Houston or a Clippers or a Lakers or a Utah Um you know, those, those are probably the top four to me, uh, pretty clearly. Yeah. So maybe I'm talking a little bit out of both sides of my mouth because I'm saying 47 wins and 47 wouldn't. Oh, Denver, Denver, yeah. I threw in there too. I think they'll be well below Denver. Yeah. So that don't excoriate me there, Denver fans, but yeah, go ahead. Um, there, I'm saying 47 wins, which wouldn't have gotten you into the West playoffs last year, but I just, I'm not ready to say I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. Yeah. I, I, I think if they're hovering in that range, um, knowing the way that Draymond would be embarrassed by not making the playoffs has already kind of come out and both really him and Steph Draymond did it in yeah. a more like I'm disrespected way. Yeah. Steph kind of just shrugged it off, but clearly it was kind of bothering him that people are saying they might not make the playoffs. He's like, Oh, do we still have Clay Thompson? Do we yeah. still have Steph Curry? Yeah. We're, you know, we're still a championship there. He wouldn't even talk about the playoffs. Yeah. So much I know. Right? Early on. Um, so I do think if you are winning 47 games, like I'm saying is my prediction, that means you would be sitting there in early March, yeah. very much in the mix. And I think if they're very much in the mix, I think Draymond Green's going to be behind the scenes. Uh, as long as he's healthy and Steph's healthy, telling Clay Thompson, who, as we know, with Clay Thompson's, once his knee feels like it's, you know, NBA playable, uh, they're going to all kind of come together and be like, let's go chase it. Uh, that would probably be my guess at this point. I don't know if that's the smartest thing, as we've talked about. Uh, and then if they go chase it, I think they're going to, uh, you know, kind of just force their way into the playoffs from them knowing that 
Uh, how scared is whoever, Denver, Houston, who has horrors of them over the years, going to be if they look down at the bottom of the bracket, even if Kevin Rant's not on the team, even if the home team will and should be favored, uh, but to have to play a 2-7 or something like that, where it's uh, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, and, and just their playoff experience and confidence, uh, it, you know, that's that to me is probably what I would guess. And I'm not sure they'll win a series, but I know that a top seed is not going to want to see them. Yeah, and it, I mean, when Clay comes back to I me, mean, it's gonna be fascinating to see how Russell then would fit into the, that mix uh, as well. You know, I mean, I, I think he's he can kind of get them through because they just need another creator desperately. You know, he, he fits reasonably well on this team now, but then when Clay comes back, uh, it gets to be a little more difficult. I mean, Clay can guard the three, but uh, you know, they, they have a way that they've played with those three guys uh, for the last five seasons that, that Russell may not fit into. But yeah, I mean, I think if Clay really comes back, you know, yeah, he's not going to be the same guy right away. You know, take another year to get back to that but just like competence on defense and they're sure as hell not going to leave clay thompson open on offense uh and he's got some gravity like you know he just having that one guy make a huge difference i mean this is not about Draymond Green and Steph Curry are not that good, particularly Steph Curry. I have more respect for what Steph Curry has done, I think, than just about anyone in NBA media with the effect that he can have on a team and an overall offense, even with limited pieces around him. But uh, I do think that uh, if he and Draymond don't play 75 games, uh, you know, Russell could get hurt too. I mean, that's a, another issue. I mean, I, I'm lower on him, but they they really need him. He's like one of their five rotation players. Looney has an injury history. Collie Stein has an injury history. And so, I mean, they could have games where they're going in with like, four and three qualified NBA rotation players. And it's just so hard to win games that way. And so that's ultimately why I'm going to go with the 45. I do hope they make it. It would be fascinating to see them uh, in that scenario you described. Uh, but uh, I think they're going to be too bad defensively and just too little depth. And just, again, just absolutely less than zero flexibility to upgrade until, you know, that one buyout guy uh, on March 3rd. Yeah, no, it's it's um, true. Um, you know, especially looking, like, I'm, I'm curious ab- about, like, you know, maybe the last few weeks, if they have to, like, rattle off a bunch of wins to get in. But, you know, I was just went to their end of the season schedule, yeah. their April schedule at Houston, at San Antonio. They do get the Cavs at home, which is nice, but then at the Lakers, at the Clippers, Portland Kings. Uh, those are, you know, especially Portland Kings. Those are teams they might be battling uh, late. But that's, they actually, they have a somewhat tough second half schedule because um they the nba kind of backloaded a lot of their national right. tv games because they're waiting hoping clay will be back you know and, and well and, and generally just they put more of those matchups after the super bowl yes, as well that too um but also you just you know the warriors are, are a lot more appealing draw when clay thompson will be there um so you know they, they do have a tough kind of final couple months and, and um, you know, that could, while other teams will probably be piling up wins against, you know, tanking teams who, who have kind of given up on the season by then, they won't have as many games against those type of teams. Yeah. All right. So, uh, 15 minutes on Alan Smilagic and I can get you out of here. Hey, you didn't, we didn't mention, uh, you know, the, the, uh, the Serbian, uh, prospect who is, who is just, he's just walking around in a walking boot, uh, just looking so confused, uh, at this new NBA lifestyle, uh, walking around San Francisco in a walking boot. He sprained his ankle on the first day of training camp. Um, yeah. very much a long term play by the Warriors. I do not expect Alan Smilagic to, uh, have any impactful moments on the Warriors this year. 
Yeah, well, uh, I mean, he may because he just has to play because they don't have anyone else. I mean, Spellman falls into that category too. I mean, there's, there's just so many guys. I mean, they, they got to get something out of Jordan Poole. They got to get something out of Jacob Evans. I mean, there's just, I, I mean, if you're more likely than not, there are just so many roster slots on this team where you're just like, yeah, that's a guy who's probably not going to be even remotely able to contribute to winning basketball uh, more likely than not, at least to me. So that's, uh, yeah, uh, that's this is probably the hardest that any team has ever been hit by the hard cap and i think you know we're seeing it already with this training cap thing and just the complete inability to make any moves even just these little back at the end moves where you could get you get a guy on a 10 day or something and bring him in and he plays for for two weeks like you know even that kind of stuff it, it just they can't do it they can't even if they have like get an injury exemption they can't use it i mean it's just incredible they can't stretch guys they have no cash to offload anyone they've got one second round pick in the coffers their first round picks are impacted it we've never seen a team enter the season with this little flexibility it's unbelievable when's the last time a hard cap mattered this much to a team can you even remember um the 13 14 clippers really struggled with it a lot they uh made the trade for uh sign and trade for jj reddick they picked up jared dudley in that move as well so they got hard capped uh, they used a bunch of their mid-level. I think it might have been on Spencer Hawes, maybe. No, that was fourteen fifteen that that they got Hawes. But uh, so so yeah, they were they were really impacted that year. Um, they had to like do a bunch of like stretch Jordan Farmar and like they, or you know pay it. But they at least had some second rounders. They had some cash. I mean, the Warriors using up all their cash to get rid of two guys who actually would have helped them in Shaz Napier and Travion Graham. Travion Graham made more plays at small forward in that preseason game than like anyone on the Warriors has made. Uh, you think at, Travion at small Graham would start so at small forward over Glenn Robinson? To me, that'd probably be a better. Uh, yeah, it would be. I mean, which it says Graham funny. is better defensively. He's got more energy. Maybe, you know, he doesn't have the same explosiveness that Robinson does. And, you know, eye of the beholder, who would be a better shooter between those two? um but but i mean to pay money to get off of those guys who yeah. have minimum salary contracts i mean that's just that was just insane to me and they have no they have no third point guard now as well i mean i think like napier could really he's he's like you know an average backup point guard they paid the wolves all of their money to get off of him and they paid more money in the Iguodala trade in addition to giving up a first round pick for a good player to get off of I mean, it was absolutely insane it was it was much, a mayhem like, start of that month uh with with the k you know it, just like the set of events that the durant departure set yeah. off for them uh and you know they're they if if russell pans out it was all worth it if russell doesn't pan out it turns into a disaster move you know even if russell's like oh you know he's average uh you know and he's okay for them like that's not enough Be- not because of no. what they sunk into him which is four years 117 million a, a large contract for him but just 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 the dominoes that it just knocked over yeah, I mean, and if they want to trade him this year, you can't take on any more money in that trade. You're very inflexible in that, you know, that they would be able to normally you'd have 125% of his salary that you could go to, but uh, they they can't do I, that. So even if they wanted to trade him in season, I would be absolutely stunned if they traded him this year. Now, I, I, I would I, be too, unless somebody yeah. just uh, actually, I, mean, I think it's more likely they traded him this year if they just start off sucking and they're like, oh, well, hey, we can't keep him around any longer. He's going to lose more of his trade value we better just move him now and uh but yeah i mean i think they're not going to get someone who's going to help them more on the floor than him this 
easier because they just have no other creation. Yeah, I mean, look, all bets are off once once July 1st hits last year. Next uh, year they have the Andre Iguodala trade exception, which is about $17.2 million, I think, Yeah, um, which allows them to maybe go get another piece. It, you know, D'Angelo becomes on the table, especially, you know, if they can somehow get in the Bradley Peel sweepstakes. I think that would be uh, intriguing to them. Um, but to me, we've talked about the hard cap. We've talked about what they've sunk into Russell and what it costs them. I do, I really, they're going to give him at least a one year trial run. And, and I, they're even curious about how it'll fit yeah. with Clay Thompson as a small forward. Now, long term, do they want four years of those three guards making over a hundred million? Probably not, but I, I will guarantee almost that they'll, they'll get one year of it. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you. I don't think it's likely that he gets traded this season. He could be part of a move that involving that, uh, a, a remake next summer. We'll see how Steph and, and Draymond make it through this season too. Are we still talking about Draymond as like really a top level of player after this year with his age be, being undersized? So, uh, last question here. If we're sitting here two years from now, will we be looking back on this D'Angelo Russell move as a smart move or not? Yeah, it's, it's so hard to predict because like what, sure, you know, I mean, if uh, Russell, everyone knows my yeah, opinion on it. But. If Russell leads to Bradley Beal or, you know, you know, dream scenario for the Warriors, Giannis, if like Giannis gets unhappy in Milwaukee and like a sign in or even like a sign in trade once he becomes a free agent, um, you know, if Russell is leads to that, then it's all worth it. Um, but I probably, I would lean slightly towards no, but there is just so unknown about this team and where it's going from here. Um, that it's not a hard no to to me it sounds like to you it's like a hard no you're almost ready to like call it in well well i just i just don't believe in the player i mean that that's ultimately what it is i I don't think that he has enough athleticism uh and uh, you know enough ability to get to the basket and enough defensively to really be the player that they're paying and to be i think they sunk all of this in there to give a guy something that's going to be a bad contract and yeah do do you think it'll be viewed as like a negative contract like as early as next summer because i think right now across the nba like if he was on the open market right now he can't even we'll, be we'll see no no i agree i mean if, if they tried to trade him on december 15th or something to the wolves they could probably you know get some kind of a package um you know i, I don't think he's gonna be valueless but but i think he's more of a floor raising maybe get you to the playoffs at best kind of player i don't think he's got a way with the the lack of getting into the free throw line uh to be that ultra efficient guy who really drives efficient offense and then I, there's the defensive limitations as i well. would say if but but if we really kind of wide scope it i don't think you even really calculate the andre iguodala loss in like the long-term view because if andre iguodala no. was on this team this year that you know we're not talking about them maybe winning a title so you take that one final andre iguodala season kind of wipe it away in a in a, in a wider scope yeah. view but 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 i mean but it does it is nice to like you know be the four seed and have like a couple of playoffs and not waste a year of steph curry and Draymond Green's prime and, and you know maybe if clay came back if they had traded you know used two first round picks to try and do something else instead they actually had some flexibility uh, to add pieces they could have used the mini mid-level as well i mean like they could have actually built a real team and then if clay came back they could have been like legitimately dangerous instead of like pie in the sky dangerous yeah that's um, you know what's a big unknown or, or what if in a lot of this if clay thompson if if, if the Warriors just lose game five in toronto you know which they should have lost they're down six with like two minutes left yeah um clay thompson doesn't tear his acl and he's coming into this season 100 percent healthy um and i don't think that they do make the Russell sign and trade if Clay Thompson's coming in. Cause then I think they believe they're still title contenders with Iguodala and a hundred percent healthy Clay Thompson. Then I think they use, you know, the mid level elsewhere to go try to get a veteran, use some of the other stuff. So, um, to me, that's their yeah, calculation and, that yeah. this, this season was already a wash. So why not go get R- 
Russell at the cost of really only a top 20 protected first round pick because in their opinion the Iguodala's final season already was irrelevant yeah I mean if you want to look at like D'Angelo Russell think of just what two first round picks could could have gotten you for this year instead of him and not being hard capped I mean that's you know we'll never know the counterfactual but I mean it comes down to the player right if he's if he's worth that contract and he's a good player whether it's for them or his trade value it was all worth it ultimately because I mean you know this year was kind of a wash they probably weren't going to be contenders this year I mean it is nice to be a playoff team and and be more competitive like that's not worth nothing but you know they are shooting for championships if he's not that good of a player then i uh, uh, this turns out to be a mistake i lean towards the latter but uh it's gonna be fun to find out uh, this year so uh thanks man i appreciate you coming on anthony v slater is the twitter handle follow him at the athletic one of the best beat reporters in the business and uh makes really good animal analogies for uh players jump shots so uh thanks again you, for joining you us. like Appreciate the it. dolphin comp huh you, you got dolphins dolphins on the brain here with be, being a <laughs> miami dolphins fan don't out me not this year jeez <laughs> <laughs> hey, there. I mean, at least a, a football team is finally brazen enough to tank. They should be doing. I know. Fast forward two years, and I want to know if that was a good idea. So, all right, we, we could take my dolphin fandom off the air, though. <laughs> <laughs> all right man thanks yeah. again now that the season is upon us again i want to welcome back a longtime sponsor goat.com the safest way to buy and sell authentic sneakers online i was unaware of this i've become a little bit more of a sneakerhead in the last few years as i've gotten more into nba coverage it's like kind of a job requirement i didn't realize that fake shoes was such an issue if you're gonna buy an expensive pair of sneakers you better be sure that they're the real thing there's a lot of money to be made by faking it but there's no money for people who fake it to make on goat Goat goat.com guarantees that all of the shoes they sell are authentic they have thousands of styles from yeezys to jordans to gucci's goat gives you access to everything you're looking for and even those shoes you didn't know you had to have i got a pair of nice sean kemp kamikaze twos from goat just from looking through their incredible inventory and then the way it works is they only work with trusted sellers they inspect every detail on the shoe the trusted sellers send it to them they inspect it they have people who know what a pair of jordans is supposed to smell like they know how much all of these shoes weight they know what the stitching is supposed to be they've got over 15 million users around the world buying and selling verified shoes every day at goat and you'll find exactly what you want at the best possible price find the perfect 100 authentic sneaker at goat.com slash cap space easy remember slash cap space we talk about all the time here on the program that's g-o-a-t oh yeah i think you know how to spell goat goat.com slash cap space sure you check it out before the sneakers that you want are gone goat.com slash cap space don't forget that slash cap space url to let them know that you came from us time to talk denver nuggets i intentionally left them towards the end because i think they are a fascinating team this year wanted to get a look at the much hyped michael porter jr we're going to talk about that we're going to talk about how they match up in the playoffs where they went wrong last year all sorts of stuff with adam maris and uh adam can you tell us about uh your new venture before we get started here yeah it's kind of a cool thing denver's very provincial right like we're caught between the coasts um and because of that i think the city of denver really likes to have their own things um not be part of broader networks and so me 
and a couple other people started a company called DNVR, um, which is basically it's a subscription service that covers all of Denver sport, sports, Denver culture, lifestyle, um, and, and a bunch of cool stuff. So um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a new venture. We have some stuff bef- in front of the paywall, some stuff behind it, but it's just kind of a cool, very very Denver website um, that that I'm really excited about. So will it be growing uh, basically like doubling in price every year then? Yes, exactly, tripling in price in some in some instances. <laughs> hey, I, I live in the Bay Area. I can't talk, but uh, yeah, yeah, no, I I, I love Denver. Uh, looking forward to checking that out. Uh, let's talk a little nuggets here. Um, I think the place to start is with what they were last year. Obviously, number two seed, uh, their seeding manipulation worked perfectly. They got themselves <laughs> a, a pretty easy bracket, but then a perhaps harder than expected series against San Antonio, which in my mind was a flawed playoff team, uh, which I picked on a win in five, but it went seven there and they, they barely scraped by. And then uh, obviously the very disappointing last two games against Portland, losing at home uh, under a CJ McCollum club. I, I thought actually to me, the more disappointing aspect of their postseason, especially towards the end of those series, was their offense. I thought they could really dominate against teams like San Antonio and Portland, which were not yeah, yeah. great defensive teams. You know, their defense actually might have been a little bit ahead of where I thought it was going to be in the postseason. But what can you take away from their postseason performance, regular season and postseason performance, really, as we go into this year? What I think is funny about how we talk about the Nuggets, it, like that series sort of nationally and locally, is that, to me, it was a very positive playoff experience for them. I mean, you're talking about a team that nobody really thought was the two seed, right? I mean, they had a very good regular season. They had some things go their way, you know, with close games and whatnot. But they were one of the youngest teams in the NBA. And I thought that they grew up a ton over the course of their 14 games, two seven-game series. And yeah, they came up short. It would have been, it was disappointing because I think in a vacuum, Denver was probably better um, than, than Portland. But it was one of those things where, to me, it felt a lot like one of those necessary learning moments for for the Nuggets and, and one of those necessary failures. So their offense did struggle at times. They didn't shoot the ball very well in Game 7, which I think is kind of a common thing in Game 7. But for the most part, I, I, was, I was impressed with what they did, and I thought a lot of the important players learned or, or went through some of the things I think they had to go through in order to take the next step. Yeah, I would agree with you as far as the, the two seed, except that I thought the team they were going against wasn't really the three right. seed. And I thought the seven seed, the Spurs, was you know a much weaker playoff team than they were a regular season team with their uh, their high-end stars uh, being kind of flawed players. DeRozan, uh, they relied a lot on their bench. The bench isn't as important in the playoffs. So I, I agree with you in one sense. They, they were young. I mean, there's this feeling that young teams can't succeed in the playoffs. There is some evidence that teams with more playoff experience uh, do better in the playoffs that could be kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy too because you you acquire these veteran players because you're already a good playoff team sometimes um but yeah i I think it was definitely a mixed bag certainly overall season uh, very successful uh and that to me started with the continued emergence of nikola Jokic into a pretty clear top 10 type of player in the nba yeah definitely i mean that was a big piece of what happened last season he had shown those flashes and i think the advanced stats had always liked him even since his rookie season but i think it wasn't until this last season and really in the playoffs that he kind of proved that he can take his game to another level i think when you watch him closely like i do watching every single game you always saw like 
when the when push came to shove, he did have another level in him. And I think sometimes maybe that got lost if it wasn't on national television or, you know, you look at the box score, you didn't see it. But I always thought he could, as, as a scorer, he had a lot more to offer than what maybe he does on a night-to-night basis. And maybe that's part of his genius is that he's always, you know, he, he, he kind of always knows when he has to turn on the scoring and then he just prefers to facilitate the rest of the time. In the playoffs, he proved that. I mean, every every night he came out and put up some big numbers. He had that 43-point game, a career high, um, in, a, in a pretty big pivotal game six against the Spurs, even though Denver lost that one. So, yeah, I think that was a, a big, not coming out party, it was more of just a proving, a proving that he can be his best self consistently when he needs to be. And, I mean, you look through the 14 games he had in the playoffs, I don't think he had a single bad game. He had, you know, games that were like, okay, that was an okay game, and then he had some really great games. But I don't think he ever had a single bad game in that 14-game uh, run. So what is uh, where could he realistically take the next step uh, as a player this season? That's a great question. Um, I, I think a lot of it has to do with more of almost the intangible things. I mean, obviously, defensively, he can become more mobile on the perimeter. I don't know if he will, but that's that's an area of weakness for him that, that is something that could be improved upon. But I think for him, it, it, it's probably more about just the mentality of it. He's still a guy that can get rattled and get frustrated, not so much about by other players, but by referees. He's still a guy that picks up really dumb fouls. Even in the preseason, in this last game, he picks up three fouls in the first quarter one of them intentionally and it's just one of those things where you look at yeah. and you go okay this is your five are you is this just who you are and you're not going to ever change this or is this an immaturity thing that you're just still working through and unfortunately if it continues through this year it might just be who he is he might just never have the self-control to to sort of not get rattled by really silly things yeah i mean it's the fact that he like gives euro fouls and transition is absolutely ridiculous considering his importance right. to this team and a lot of it i think is just for frustration maybe fatigue not wanting to get back i mean yep. i i do think that the concerns about him like not being in good enough shape maybe can be uh yeah. dispelled somewhat uh although you know some of those games where he's playing the entire second half he wore down but hey that you could say that about a lot of players you know so uh yeah. and that might be more on the coaching staff for not getting him a blow here or there uh in those instances i mean the other thing that sticks out to me is just shooting a little a little bit better from yeah. three-point range i mean yep. i think that while I love their offense, I love the fact that basically the offense is, hey, we're in the half court. It's not really, unless you have a shot right away, throw the ball to Nicole at the elbow and he's going to go do something and yep. guys are going to cut off the ball. We'll run our, our DHO game. I, I love that aspect. But there are times, you know, especially after he does that handoff, if he's not rolling to the rim where he can really space out at the four, they don't have a ton of spacing. Millsap, Grant, I mean, those guys can shoot at three every once in a while, but they like to operate around the rim a little bit more. So actually providing that floor spacing. And I mean, there's also a lot of guys where if he's not going to post them up, he can be a, a lot better uh, just spacing them out to three and either draining a bunch of shots or letting other guys go to work. So 31% from downtown to me. I mean, I, I thought the number of attempts is reasonable, you know, right. four per 36 minutes. You don't want him shooting many more than that, but it'd be nice if he could make a few more because I don't think he would take them, but I don't think teams were like deadly terrified of him shooting that shot. And you hope he could get to the point where they are. Here's the funny thing about it. And you're going to laugh at this take, but I 100% believe it. I, I think a lot of his three-point shooting has to do with just focus and, again, mentality and attitude. And this is what I talk about when I'm, when I'm talking about what a weird and strange player he is from an emotional standpoint. I He shot 39% in the playoffs, and I'm not per- surprised at all by that on four attempts. And, of course, we're talking six, 14 games, so smallish sample size. But I am not at all surprised 
surprised by that because in the playoffs, he was focused for 48 minutes and he was only taking the good shots and, and whatever. I I think in the regular season, he often gets in a point where if the team isn't playing the way he likes, his, his style of dealing with that is often to like make really like it almost looks like he's making a point out on the court and so a lot of times when I see him have like six seven three-point attempt games it's almost like he's sending a message to, to, to the team or he's pouting on the court or something like that and so I feel like that 31% while it's not good and it is sort of I don't think he's an elite three-point shooter I think he's solid but I think he's better than 31 it's just that his focus in the regular season is just so different and I always feel like in fourth quarters and when push comes to shove he's a, a 37 38% three-point shooter yeah and I think just his overall efficiency I and mean, when you consider how good he is from two-point range you know to really in terms of his own offense I mean obviously he drives so much of what they do from an efficiency standpoint but his own offense you'd like to see him get over that magic 600 true shooting yeah. number and the easiest way to do that is to just shoot 35 percent from three instead of 31 percent, and it'll be yep. right there uh very easily um, i predict he will this yeah. year just just yeah. for the record i think he will be okay. over 35 percent um it's funny I, again when i talk about this pouting he had a game this season as great as this player is he had a game this season where he took one shot one shot and it was a total it wasn't because of the game flow it was like he was sending a message or or making a point a statement so he's this is what i mean about the maturity when you're young maybe you can get away with that but if he's still doing that now at 24 25 years old it might just be who he is yeah so he is a career 34.5 percent three-point shooter although it's been oddly distributed where he had the one year where he's 40 percent that was 17 18 yeah and i think that it really obscured what steps 40 took last year i mean obviously he made the all-star team they were better but uh you know if you just consider the three-point shooting went down by 10 percent, and he had a much better year i mean that's pretty it's <laughs> pretty impressive um so he's not even close to the second most important player on the team but the person that i had the most curiosity to talk to you about uh was michael porter uh, way back in april before the end of the regular season i saw him work out uh i came on your podcast i was not complimentary of the way he looked i thought he looked pretty stiff at that point but obviously you know it's been six months since then he did have the knee sprain a mild knee sprain in summer league we didn't get to see him there so give me your impressions uh, of michael porter jr drafted 14th uh overall in that 2018 draft so all of this has to be with the caveat of it's been i don't know 40 preseason minutes i mean i'm i'm operating yeah. off an incredibly small sample size because Agreed. unlike you i haven't seen i didn't really watch him a whole lot in in high school and certainly not in college because he didn't play um so but in these three preseason games i would give him an a plus plus i have been so impressed with what i have seen in these limited minutes um he's shooting something like 65 percent in these three games on some difficult shots but i think what's most most impressed me about him the talent obviously pops off the screen he's tall he's very fluid he's got a beautiful jump shot but the thing that has impressed me more than anything and the thing maybe I was most worried about he has fit into the Nuggets system really really well and it's so clearly a point of emphasis for him to not be what his reputation I I think um sort of said about him which was that he was a the ball sticks in his hand he he's uh wants to be the number one guy at all times or whatever he's been a fantastic off-ball 
mover, um, floor spacer, cutter, offensive rebounder. He just has great instincts for getting in position to receive a scoring pass, right? And that to me is the thing that stood out, stood out in training camp. Jokic had a quote where he said he thinks that Michael Porter Jr. can be the best cutter on the team and that he's sort of like been talking to him one on one about certain things just to get on the same page and like, Hey, if you do this, I'm going to find you. And watching these first three preseason games, it's really jumps off the screen at how much Michael Porter Jr. is sort of always thinking about and, and, and in the spot he's supposed to be and always thinking about ways to cut to the basket to get an open look. And, um, so that's the part. He's a good tough shot maker. Clearly, I think that was well documented as a high school player, but what's impressed me is how well he's gotten easy shots. Yeah, the jump shot to me looks really good. I, I saw his game against Portland, uh, was not able to see some of the later games other than just the, the highlights. So yeah, I mean, I think that part looks good. His size at 6'10". Um, I would say that I was very impressed with just how hard he played against Portland. It, it was very clear that he was just so happy to be out there after yeah. as long as it's been. I mean, he was going after every rebound. He was running the floor. Now he can't get over a screen defensively. I mean, I yeah. think he, he really, um, you know, he's really a four defensively. Part of why I was so intrigued by him at the lower levels was I thought he had some pretty good shot blocking potential. And that's the one thing that to me has not come back and has been a disappointment. He is not the same to me athletically where he was just a nuclear athlete in that crazy hoop summit week where I saw him, where he was just dunking all over guys, getting to his right, making ridiculous moves, just throwing shots into the stands. Um, I mean, he had one play where he tried to get up and goaltended a shot on an and one, but he, he is, and maybe that'll come. I'm not foreclosing on that, but I do think that uh, to some degree that ridiculous athleticism has been sapped to where it, I do worry that he's not going to be able to do much other than score uh, mm. at this point. Um, and now the Nuggets could use that, right? I mean, I mean, one of their big For problems sure. is they didn't have anybody other than Jamal Murray who can create a shot on this team. And, and you might say, hey, you know, the mid-range jumper is kind of inefficient. He's only one out of four from three so far in the preseason. But in, when you look at this group in the long term, having somebody with the size to just bump into the mid-range, get their shot, you know, Jokic isn't a great one-on-one -on -one shot creator either. So they do need that as a role. Maybe he profiles more as kind of your scoring six man. He closes some games. Um, but I, I still am not quite sure he has that nuclear style athleticism that so intrigued me. I think he can be a, a quality rotation player and maybe even a starter in the league. You know, I'm glad to see that he's back. I'm just not, he's not quite the same guy where I was like, oh man, this guy looks like the number one pick back when I saw him in high school. Hopefully that'll come. I, I do have some skepticism there though. He had two really impressive block shots in this last game against the Phoenix Suns, both of which were, you know, containing on the perimeter gets beat a little bit but but was able he's so long that he was able to still block the shot in fact he timed it really perfectly so i think there might be some of that there the one thing i'll say about him he is he looked better in every single game so that portland game was the first one they went and played the clippers i thought he looked a little bit better in that one and then the phoenix one was by far his best so i do think there's a little bit there but i i to your point his athleticism i think translates a lot more on like cuts and open court you know moves yeah. and things like that than it does on the defensive end where he got beat off the dribble who was it uh i think frank kamitsky um beat him off the dribble on a play so yeah. so i do he's think he's very upright the lateral yeah. movement has never really been there. He's always kind of been more of a 
a straight line type of athlete yes. than a side to side athlete. And the drop foot injury, you know, he was dealing with drop foot over the summer. Um, he still wears what, a brace. What is drop foot? So it's, I, and this is, I just had Jeff Stotts on the Locked On Nuggets podcast to kind of explain this and, and go over some of the details, but it's a nerve damage where the nerves stop responding. And it's very common for people who have had, um, you know, traumatic injuries to the back, sometimes to the knee, anywhere where you can have like, um, uh, you know, a, a highway for your nerves. And apparently for him, it, it, it's that his foot is not lifting up um, or is, is is just slow to respond when you try to lift it up. So it's almost like his foot stays in a stable position. You wear a brace that kind of keeps it in a stable position. So you can imagine with that injury and athletes have had this apparently Dwayne Wade had this at one point at like the peak of his career. And it's a thing that tends to stick around anywhere from a few days to a few months. So he's probably coming out of it by now. But um, but yeah, his foot just not having like a full responsiveness could be a part of why he's so slow on the defensive end. Although I think that kind of fits also his high school profile, which which said some of these similar things. Yeah. And obviously there's also the concern uh, of future injury with, with some of the issues Huge that, concern. that he's had. So we're a little bit out of order here, but how do you see him fitting into the Nuggets rotation this season? Well, I think he's definitely a, a part of it, um, which was a big question because Denver at the small four, I think he profiles to be more of a small forward who plays the four than a four who plays the three. Um, part of this is he, he's very long and athletic, but I don't think he's very strong, especially right now, you know, still getting yeah. his body where it's going. High to be. base as well. Yeah. So I, I think he's going to struggle against a lot of power forwards with just any type of strength and that height. I do think defensively he can really sag off of people because he does have a great vertical and he has a long reach and six foot ten, six foot eleven. So he can give a cushion to smaller wing players and still contain. Um, but the small forward position, Denver has Will Barton, Torrey Craig, Juancho Renan Gomez, and Michael Porter Jr. Michael Porter Jr. the most important going forward, and I think will will be you know will will certainly be one of the top two guys even right from the start. But it is a position that there's just a lot of players, so I don't think he'll start. Maybe by the end of the season, there's a chance that he will start especially if he plays like he did in the preseason throughout the entire season if he's shooting 60 percent from the field or you know just being the type of scoring threat he is he will certainly start at some point this year but I do think he'll be at a lot of minutes so I think he will start out somewhere around 15 minutes per game that would be my guess and depending on how his body responds and just how he performs that number could could go up um but again I think it'll be as the backup small forward to start out well so Will Barton is going to start at the three right that would be my guess that's my hunch he had a horrible season last year and he had a pretty bad preseason but I think that spot was for was sort of earmarked for him and again I think Denver's small forward position is going to be a fluid um, one throughout the season but Will Barton would be my guess for opening night starter yeah it does seem like he had a a lot of equity built up obviously that Spurs series turned around Mm. when they went with Torrey Craig rather than Barton they do have you know Barton is just too undersized to guard small forward there are more of those small forwards in the west uh, as well especially if you get into a playoff setting uh you know if they have to go up against the clippers i think you just you can't start will barton i don't think in that series i think uh, you know he's just gonna get destroyed from a a size standpoint um so i i mean i i've always felt like he never really quite fit to me fits as more of a bench guy and you know john hollinger's preview on the nuggets it's like hey you know if this guy's not that efficient you know should he really even be one of your primary options uh off the bench so i I think it's going to be fascinating right i mean i i 
just from like kind of the way it's been with Mike Malone, I'm skeptical that Porter, I mean, they're going to try and find minutes for him. I know it's probably important to the front office, but I think mean, Tory Craig has this equity. Will Barton has this equity. I can definitely see Porter being ahead of Wancho in the rotation. I still like Wancho as a player when he's actually healthy. Um, but yeah, I mean, having him be the backup small forward, your projection would be that Tory Craig would kind of be the odd man out in, in that instance. And, and Wancho as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, I, th- I it's tough to say, you know, Denver started Tory Craig, I think 17 games last year. There was a moment in basically the entire month of December and half of January where Denver was missing three starters. It was Jamal Murray, Nikola Jokic, and then a bunch of the backups in the starting position. And Tory Craig, when he was in there um, throughout the season, really killed the offense and really killed the Nuggets just um, flow in general. There was a month where he was starting at the small forward position where Denver started 10 points behind every single game. And I think the same thing will happen. He's a guy that just the the smarter teams just don't guard him because his ceiling sort of caps out it he might hit two threes he might hit three but if you give him 10 you, you know you, that's a great offensive strategy is just to say hey let's see if you can make you know four out of 10 or whatever um yeah so well, I, well he did he did hit the five of seven in uh that spurs yes. game four that was that was massive so i mean I, I did think he took a step forward with his shooting last year even, even I, I understand what you're saying it wasn't the percentages weren't great but i thought he was more aggressive looking for a shot of me was he didn't just look like okay maybe i'll take this in the corner if you put a gun to my head which is where he was two years ago right you know he actually is like now uh willing to take that shot so maybe he can take another step forward this year and he does add a, a an athletic element that they didn't have it in that position where just to, and i thought his defense actually yeah. got a little bit better too i thought he was a little overrated defensively two years ago and i, I thought he was able to make an impact there so it's it just i think yeah. he's very good defensively against smaller players um yeah you know like he just uses his length and his athleticism to to bottle them up and he is you know he gives a hundred percent effort uh all the time and the problem is our team's gonna guard him that, that's yeah. that's the big thing is he can knock down shots and Denver will win games if he does but as they did in the playoffs I think he had one game a pivotal game five I believe where he hit four or five three-pointers in that I, game. I think it was the game four against game the Spurs four? the one that the, the where they saved their season for the second time in right. that series <laughs> right um so he so he can do that but the other part of this is and this is what sort of what baffles me with how Denver uses him he was a 30 point per game scorer in Australia and I know it's Australian league but he was a scorer that was his that was sort of what he was known for and Denver never uses him in their offense and their flow offense and this is the number one reason not the scoring not anything else for whatever reason they have actively avoid him so you know their offense is Jokic looking for guys to run pick and roll with over and over and over again right he goes from one pick and roll to the other one DHO to the other and every time he turns and sees Torrey Craig he just turns back around and when there's Millsap on the court that's one player you're not going to go to when Torrey Craig's on the court with him that's a second player and their offense becomes a little more predictable because you're basically just running the same pick and rolls with Gary Harris and Jamal Murray. I think he can handle it. You don't want to rely on him running, you know, 20 pick and rolls per game. But if you, for whatever reason, if Jokic turns, you know, turns from the right side and decides to reverse the ball and he sees Torrey Craig, why not let him just turn the corner and see what he can do and have him make basic reads out of it? Don't try to get fancy. But if you can turn the corner, go. If you can't, keep the ball moving. Denver doesn't do that. Yeah. If you watch, they actively avoid Torrey Craig in those moments. And 
I think it actually is the number one reason why he's a tough fit um, because it just cuts your the court in half at all times. Yeah, that's that's interesting to think about. And, you know, it gives you a hider for, you know, say if you're playing the Spurs and DeRozan is out there. Yes. Um, you know, and I thought that's part of why these guys could be so hard to guard is that anyone can do a DHO with Jokic at any time, right? I mean, that's and it's just you can't necessarily hide someone like a DeRozan who's just never going to get through a screen or a Lou Williams who's never going to get through a screen right against these guys for that reason when they have you know and maybe that's why you could say hey that's it's better to have barton in the starting lineup other than just hey he's will barton he's prideful we gave him this contract we have to start him um but yeah i mean as long as you are able to set the screen so you can't go under on craig you know maybe that's something they could look at a little bit more but certainly a lot of mouths to feed on this team back back to Porter I just think he's just not going to defend well enough like when it really push comes to shove Mike Malone just he, he favors the defensive guys you know yes. when it finally when it comes down to it and just you know he's going to feel like all right we got to get Mike disciplined I mean I like you I've been encouraged by his effort level in the preseason but he's also he's still he is what he is he's a scorer he's not a natural uh defensively so and they need someone in that position who can defend because you know Gary Harris and Jamal Murray just don't have the requisite level of size so Jamal Murray I mean I've been higher on him than you over the years as we've talked uh you know I thought Mm -hmm. he had a pretty solid playoffs uh, all things considered uh again as they're really their only guy who can create off the dribble um you know he's taken incremental steps forward defensively at least from where he was as a rookie but still probably a liability defensively um and then they gave him a no-brainer, <laughs> at least in their mind, max contract. I, I'm guessing that you were not approving of that because even I thought that was uh, a little aggressive to start things off here with him. I, I guess I, I don't know whether I am approving it or not because that comes into – that question really has more to do with like what was Denver's options with it. Um, I certainly think it's more than what he's worth and I think it puts Denver in this position where he better – you know he, he better make another leap in order to be worth that contract. But Denver, I think – the reason I say I don't know how I feel about whether it was right or not, Denver was always going to succeed or fail with Jamal Murray and they need him to be the player that he was at his best in the playoffs. They need him to be the best version of himself and when he is that Denver's really really good when he's not that um you know you need one of these other guys to, to sort of play above their head so um I don't think he's a 170 million dollar player as is but Denver at least felt like they were in a position of we have to have a second star and he's our closest our best bet for it um so we'll lock it up now yeah I mean they you do get the fifth year at least now perhaps that could be a curse uh, but <laughs> right. yeah i mean it, it, it ultimately uh, at the numbers that we're talking about here I and mean, he certainly has not played at the level where that's just like a, a no-brainer now, you know similar players like devin booker is is probably a lot of people would say that he's relatively similar yeah to murray uh you know he got the initial one as well but the you know phoenix they're at a different place that than denver is right they're just trying to build a culture that have Booker stick around for the long haul. He's the centerpiece. Murray is not the centerpiece. And we've seen uh, a little bit of reluctance by this team uh, to pay the tax. Um, <laughs> so, and I mean, oh, the, the repeater tax four years from now, like this is a five year country. They could be the repeater tax four years from now. Um, but no, seriously. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, how about you pay the tax once first yeah. before before you start talking about that? Uh, but anyway, so uh, and uh, and get a G League team. So 
I think Murray, they're just going to be in a, in a tax crunch going forward. And, you know, $5 million in Murray's salary. I mean, also, let's say if they wanted to move him for, you know, a Bradley Beal type this summer, you know, that's if he is making $5 million a year less and he looks like more of an asset on his contract, that's a, a big deal as well. So, and it just, it seemed like, man, this is pretty aggressive. First day of free agency, we were going to agree. Yeah, you didn't give him the player option, but he's not, you know, Booker didn't get that either. Jokic didn't get that either. So, uh, I'm uh I've definitely thought that they I mean and you know we've uh, I think we've both been critical of this team they take care of everyone they love yes. their culture um you know I mean I think they go too far in that direction with some of these guys uh Barton and Plumley being the the biggest two there for me so I'm well it's interesting yeah. there was uh Jonathan Abrams had a great piece out today on the culture in Indiana and just the idea of how you like build an organization in a small market or mid market and Denver I think is the exact same trying to do the exact same thing which is as you mentioned you know we're going to pay all of our guys right away you got Mason Plumley off you know he's going to be a bench player but we give him 12 million a year for three years which when nobody else was betting against him Will Barton sort of the same thing yeah um, he may have had something in Indiana but but my argument would have been hey you know what like just let him go he's not he's just too redundant here he could be a good player but right yeah I I mean I think last year kind of proved that I mean it really yeah you know the, I, I think that they they probably would have been better off not playing Will Barton a single minute last year the the way that he played obviously he was hurt right but last year was supposed to be the good year there but but anyway the, but, we're not here to talk about their salary but, cap today. but well I did want to a lot of that well but. I did want to say that it's interesting because and then you pay Jamal Murray like this I think when you go to Jeremy Grant this year and say hey you're in a contract year you're kind of a rising you know your profile is rising in a in a summer where there's going to be tons of cap space but for him to agree part of this is just his personality i think he's a very team oriented guy but for them to say hey you're we're going to bring you off the bench but look Plumley came off the bench and we paid him you know above mark we we took care of him we're going to do the same for you and i think that denver now has the equity to be at least able to say that and have him buy in maybe not maybe they would have had that anyway but at least that's their thinking and i i think it's going to pan out with him so uh murray i mean i guess we've talked about him uh enough obviously he needs to get a little bit more efficient himself here um and the hope is that he can just make another incremental step forward i'm not expecting some quantum leap but you know above league average and efficiency this year might be nice to be sure i mean i thought their offense was slightly disappointing last year to be number seven and granted with the the number of injuries that they had they also you know i think paul Millsap you can argue makes them a little bit worse uh offensively but obviously is incredibly important yeah for what they're doing defensively so um gary harris i think one of the reasons i think that people think the nuggets can be better this year is that he in some ways had a loss here though if you look back at the number of games he played it was kind of more than you recall he was at yeah but uh 40 or 57 games last year but there was only i think 19 of those healthy and it really if you just look at him he had double figure scoring in all in 17 of his first 19 games including some led the team in scoring several times through that it gets hurt and he's almost down to single digits the rest of the year and his usage just like plummeted in large part i think because he's a, a smart and unselfish player and he just wasn't himself he missed all that time and when he came back it was like okay we can't re integrate me into being like the high usage player, higher usage player I was. Where do I fit in? His defense I thought was great. 
Um, but his offense took a huge dive. And if you look at the shots at the rim, that that's where you really see it. I think the fewest of his career and the lowest percentage of his career. So he did play a lot more games than you, than you realize, but most of those games were at clearly below a hundred percent. Yeah. 10 of those he, he didn't start, which are, you know, pretty clearly when he's not starting, that's an indication that, yeah. you know, he's working his way back during those games. And yeah, I mean, drop offs across the board, 34% from three, even more telling to me was, uh, about a 25% drop in his number of three-point attempts per minute, mm. which uh, to me indicated, again, he just was not feeling comfortable. And you can see a lot of those, you know, those groin hamstring type of injuries where, you know, you just don't quite have that base to shoot the ball, especially on the move, which is something that he had been getting a lot better at. He was around the 40% range the two years prior to that. And you mentioned this cutting, finishing at the rim also. So yeah, I, I think he's a pretty darn good bet to bounce back. On the other hand, you know, Nikola Jokic played I think 80 81 games something like that last year you know he could he's the one guy that they can't afford to miss time but he's been relatively healthy in his career he doesn't necessarily play an injury prone style so yeah. i mean i think you can probably count on him for 75 games at least right this year um so let's let's see how much what are some of the other rotation battles you know we we talked about small forward here uh but some of the other things that uh mike mullen's got to sort out this year i think how many minutes mason Plumley plays is going to be really interesting because zero zero make it zero please <laughs> sorry 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 I, 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 got a little I, I lost i lost control there for a moment <laughs> Well, uh, might, you know, it might be closer to that than than any year before. In fact, I think I one of my hot takes that you know that I gave going into the season that he'll play the fewest of his career, and a lot of that has to do with Jeremy Grant is really good. I, I'm we'll talk about him, I'm sure, coming up. But he's I'm really really high on him as this like high level role player. Not obviously not a star, but just a guy that does what he's supposed to do. Paul Millsap is obviously very solid, and the numbers bear that out. Um, so and then Jokic is Jokic. That's three players in your front court. Do you need a fourth one? Other than just to, to give Jokic a rest for, you know, whatever, 15 minutes per game. I don't know that he's needed at power forward. In fact, not I, I know he's not needed. And are you going to shoehorn him into those power forward minutes? If not, he's a straight backup center. And that means he's playing about 15 minutes a game or less. Yeah. That, uh, and I mean, I think Grant and Millsap together is an alignment that they could go to. Great that lineup. That could look pretty good uh, a lot of times as well. And you love the fit of Grant and Jokic together. You, you've you been driving the bus on how good the offensive fit between Farid and Jokic yes. was. Grant, obviously a much better defensive player, uh, and but he's got that same above the rim ability where now, uh, you know, I think Paul Millsap, since he doesn't space it out to three that well, I thought his finishing really took a step back last year. He was yeah. just kind of in the dunker spot a lot of the times because he didn't have anywhere else to stand if there was a Jokic pick and roll or a DHO. But now with Jokic kind of rumbling down the lane, he's a great decision maker. You have to come over to help on Jokic at some point, and then he can throw that lob up or dime up some shooters on the weak side with that gravity that Grant has uh, along the baseline. So uh, really looking forward to seeing some more of that combination. Yeah, I hope we don't see a minute of Jokic and Plumlee together. I I mean, I think the other thing, too, you know, Plumlee is good to have around in the regular season. I think, you know, this team, Jokic, you know, you don't want to keep him around 31, 32 minutes a game. Foul trouble is going to limit him. So it's good to still have Plumlee, but I mean, we saw how in the playoffs they just couldn't do anything when Jokic was off the floor I thought Plumlee really failed there and for 13 million a year that's a a little bit disappointing and obviously I think you know we've talked about this many times Plumlee's propensity to try and do too much to post up he likes to dribble around you know he's got a little bit of skill level you know I think he's a little overrated defensively as well as far as not really being able to move his feet and protect the rim that well uh you know a little frenetic there so uh, certainly 
to me less of him the better just from an aesthetic standpoint although although he did give me maybe my greatest ever moment as a uh as a live caster on on a post-up where i predicted bad things and that in <laughs> fact uh came to fruition so it reminds uh, me that kendrick perkins perks got to get his touches <laughs> like there is the one or two yeah. post-ups per game where you're just like oh i guess this is the possession we're gonna well, post up plumly well but it's not even that like this it's not like the kendrick perkins you know uh ben wallace memorial post-up right at the start <laughs> of the half because he's always trying to post up yeah, and, he, and yes. you, when you're posting up you get in the way yes. of everything else that they're trying to do he and he's you're demanding the ball and you know even back since high school you're taught hey if, if the post player's demanding the ball like you got to give him the ball but now that's you're cutting off driving lanes for other people you know if you want to run a pick and roll or something you can't with somebody else you can't do it like that kind of thing so we're being a bit um, harsh on him in this one way because you're right about all these things but i i do think plumley has a value in this league i've always said sure. he's one of the best centers for a young team a young developing team because he can do a little bit of area he can roll to the rim he can run dho's um he can guard pick you know like he just he does yeah. things that you can like okay he, our young he, point he can do a little bit of everything but he thinks he can yes. do a lot of everything <laughs> right uh, <laughs> but i think he's a guy that the nuggets need until the trade deadline because as you mentioned you can play Jokic 31 minutes a night till the trade deadline um you, you give him that rest and then when it's time to start ramping up and getting ready for the playoffs you up his minutes and look if Jokic gets hurt i mean the idea of having Plumley there to help you out if in case he gets hurt that's great for december october november but if Jokic gets hurt in may i mean it just doesn't matter none of this stuff matters so um right. at that point there doesn't I, I think the risk is lower and he's a guy that i look at and say i i, I would bet he is not a nugget past the bit trade deadline and there's a bunch of other players that could potentially fit that bill that make a trade for him more palatable malik beasley wancho hernan gomez so i think he's part of a trade package that for for the nuggets this uh, uh this trade deadline yeah i mean that's a that really uh, and they are the number one suitor when you talk to people around the league potentially for bradley beal and you know we'll see whether the wizards want to trade him we'll see whether there's another team that comes to mind uh but at that type of numbers he's making at least you know he's not realistically going to be a part of this team past now they got to resign grant right Millsap, you know unless he just has a terrible year you imagine it's going to be a bigger priority for them as well they have their their tax concerns i mean they're uh, the malik beasley even hernan gomez tory craig those guys are all free agents at the end of this year i mean grant uh has a player option that he'll almost certainly opt out of unless he just you know yeah gets gets injured so i mean you know maybe you could see plumley coming back at something like you know the more normal backup center numbers of five million a year for a couple of years you know we the way we've seen some of the higher end backup centers your ed davis's uh your ennis Cantor's turn out but uh you know other than that yeah it makes sense and he's you know, again pretty expendable i mean th- now they do need him they only have two traditional centers uh as you mentioned so um bowl bowl in the pipeline yeah. but i don't yeah even next year would be a risk to count on him yeah could we do just like 30 seconds sure on him taking the two-way he hasn't been cleared yet yeah. uh, but what's the story there um well i think it's like with jared vanderbilt and michael porter jr before him he expected to be playing by this point and i think denver is hey one we don't need you and two we think this is a one-year plan to get your body right get your head right and just kind of bring you along slowly so i don't think the injury at the moment is really what's keeping him out what's keeping him out is denver wants to work on all the things that might 
um, lower his injury risk profile going forward. And then also there's some stuff with Bull Bull, very talented, but I think just a little bit of growing up and learning how to be an NBA player that Denver has the luxury and and sort of the experience of telling guys, hey, we're going to take this very, very slowly, probably slower than you want, but it's going to be for your benefit. Well, I thought it's just interesting to me that he took the two-way. Very right? interesting. I mean, like when you look at everyone else in that range was getting, you know, like a million bucks guaranteed at least. So, uh, you know, <laughs> the most he can make on the two-way is like, you know, Oh, 400,000 or so. Well, you, Nate, you know that if they were to sign him, they would be in the tax. So they're. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. But, but I mean, that. you know, I, I, I guess that, but I was still, I was surprised. I mean, he still has to agree to it. You know I mean? Yeah. That, in um, a two year, no less than that. Um, I think, I do think Denver, despite not having a G League, being able to say Monte Morris took a two way and now he is a huge part yeah. of our rotation. Tory Craig took a two way and he got paid. I, there's at least a precedent for them to say, hey, this is a good option for you. Yeah. And then, hey, he got taken what? 40 42nd 43rd and it so might have 44 44th yeah. so it might have been one of those things where nobody else was going to take him and they just well, yeah pre they, they traded it. they traded for that pick too yeah right? so i mean so i think that was really like presumably they're like hey we'll trade for this pick and take your guy if uh, he's willing to take a two-way a two-year two-way two year two by way. the way but yeah. but you imagine there there would be a conversion if he does end up being yeah. in the plan i mean he's got a lot of talent for sure and i think he could be uh a nice backup center for this group where his lack of half wouldn't matter that much but you know that's uh that's a few years away but i, I just thought that was an interesting yeah. situation here um Anything particularly noteworthy about the way this team has been covered nationally that you disagree with or, or perhaps uh, an undercovered story uh, that you think deserves a little more shine with this group? I, I think what's funny is that everybody has the same opinion of them, and but we talk about them differently as if they're over or underrated. But everybody kind of has them rated in the same spot, which I think <laughs> is always so funny. So like you were talking about with the sort of you know disappointing playoffs, and a lot of people said, oh, they're not the second best team in the West. Well, of course, like they didn't even think that last year. They were very open about you know where they felt like they fit. Houston was a better team. Golden State was a better team. Um, you know they were in the same sort of tier as Utah and Portland and. Oklahoma City and all those other teams kind of jumbled together. Well, the one thing I think is this is a really, really young team. And I think the one thing that people don't sort of realize, and maybe this stuff is more important to me as I'm closer to it all, the culture around this team has been phenomenal. And I really think that them coming up with this very trust the process style of of team building where they looked at the, the, the team that they have now was a plan that started three years ago. And it was, hey, we're just going to do their, their mantra is that we don't skip steps yeah and they've been going one step by step by step along this process they've had opportunities to make big swings or to kind of you know swing for the fence here or there and sometimes they've tried um but for the most part this is a team that is sort of right on the path including last year's second round loss they are right on a path that they sort of plotted out and um and the culture the players everything Plumlee called this the most fun season he's ever had he's coming off the bench um you know there's just been a really really positive vibe around the team for the last two or three years and I sort of expected that to expire this year but this trading camp was maybe as positive and focused and 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 everything else um as it's been over this process so uh I just think all the intangible stuff whatever however you value that the intangible stuff is as positive as it could possibly be yeah, and maybe, although, I, again, I still maintain they underperformed, that they should have beaten Portland with home court advantage. Sure. And with, you know, Portland's second best player in the regular season being out. Uh, but 
perhaps the fact that they lost in the second round that it was such a bitter loss uh, that they didn't play that well against Antonio the perhaps that can forestall the disease of me mm. for another year yeah. uh whereas if they'd gotten to the conference finals they might be kind of going through the same thing that Portland is of uh man just like huge expectations right now um you know I mean I do think like there are guys like Malik Beasley is one who we haven't talked about at all here where you know reports where they offered him three years 30 million he's got Rich Paul as his agent he turned that down I would have you know maybe I wouldn't have taken that a month before the deadline but I might have you know taken something in that range the best deal that I could get we'll see whether they get that done or not um but so yeah I mean there are young guys who are trying to make their way with this group and you know who perhaps uh, are, are just going to be a little upset because there is not that much playing time for them. Uh, but you know, it does seem like the culture is really good so far. And you would know because uh, eh, it wasn't too good back in those Brian Shaw days. So <laughs> That's what I started. So I started from the bottom of the culture, sort of culture. Bill. Yeah. Um, so crunch time lineup for these guys. What do you think it'll be? I think it, there's four guys that I think – actually, I should say three guys that I think are a lock on every single night, and that's Gary Harris, Jamal Murray, and Nikola Jokic. Un- unless something crazy happens, Malik Beasley has a 35 points. Okay, maybe he'll finish a game. Will Barton, maybe he'll finish a game at, at, at shooting guard if it works out. But those three, I think, will be there for most of the most of the time. Paul Millsap will probably be there for a lot of the time just because of what he brings defensively, the familiarity, yeah. uh, whatever. We'll have to see how he ages. I, I, it, yeah. it, it could be an interesting season for him. And I think he's a guy that's going to do a lot of load management this year. He can't, When he was asked about this at media day, he laughed and said, oh, I welcome as much load management as they want to give me. That's, <laughs> that's great. You know, I think that, that he might be in his Andre Iguodala phase where he's playing a lot fewer minutes per night during the regular season and he's taking a lot of nights off, in large part because they have a guy in Jeremy Grant behind him that I think, at least in the regular season, can play and not skip a beat. Um, so yeah, And then Wancho can come in, Porter can get some minutes at right, the four. Right. You know, they, they, they've got i mean porter and wancho are probably really more fours than threes yeah uh, to me at this point so then you look at that small forward position and as uncertain as i am about who starts i'm as uncertain about who finishes i do wonder if they'll try jeremy grant there in some situations if you're up five with three minutes to go and it's more about holding the lead than scoring a bunch of points maybe they try jeremy grant there especially if his shot is working and you know uh he's a scoring threat that night or or whatever um, but other than that, I really, I really couldn't tell you. I think Will Barton will be sort of a de facto option. Tory Craig might even, as you mentioned, Malone skews defensively when push comes to shove. And so in a, in a close game, his instincts are always to put his best defenders on the court. So he might be there. But, uh, I think the three, Jokic, Murray, and, and Harris are locks. Millsap's a pretty much lock. And then that small forward will probably be rotating. Yeah. And maybe even Beasley, as you mentioned, he, he could get hot. Uh, you know, maybe he plays at the three. And there are a lot of teams. You know, you look at if they're going against like the Warriors or something, a lot of teams that don't have that prototypical size at the three this year so I, I think maybe you could see him if he's feeling it I, give me like 30 seconds uh on Beasley here uh, as far you know he, he was a hot name he, yeah. he played really well shot it extremely well last year he made up for the, the loss of Harris when their bench was going well he looked looked really good but how do you think uh, he fits into this group this season he's a really good player you had a question on here who's better than you think on this team and I think Beasley is is my pick he like Gary Harris the two seasons prior Malik Beasley 
easily had a 60% true shooting, which only happens from the guard position, you know, seven or eight players per year. Um, I think Harden and Curry kind of are locks to do that. And then the rest are guys like Danny Green, you know, high, high, JG, right? High level shooting guards who are role players, not stars, but role players. Malik Beasley did this. So Gary Harris did it twice two years ago. Malik Beasley replaces Gary Harris last year and does it. Um, I just think he's a guy that knocks down open threes. He's hyper athletic and a great finisher in, in transition. And then he's just a, he, he plays within himself, I think, pretty well, um, gets to the rim. And if he gets a little bit momentum going there, shot blockers aren't going to be able to challenge him because he's so athletic. Defensively, he's lost all the time. And this is where he is a limited player. And yeah. I don't know if he'll get better. He was supposed to be good coming out of Florida State. That's been the biggest disappointment for me. Well, he's got the physical tools, right? He's six foot five, long arms, and just super athletic, super quick, and, and all, all these things. But I just think the mental aspect of the game has never quite reached him. He's a guy that always looks like he's thinking on the court not not reacting and feeling and maybe that means it just needs more reps and it'll get there but at the moment he's a guy that when I go and rewind the film I'm always oh yeah here's where the breakdown started and it's 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 quite frequently with him yeah you, you hit like that rewind button on your VCR and uh <laughs> <laughs> exactly that's what it is. my VCR <laughs> <laughs> yeah put it put a, a a different roll of film on there um yeah so that's uh yeah I think he he the way he's played right now is shooting is definitely underrated but he's just he's a tough fit with a group that really has the type of aspirations that these guys have because they just they got to get better defensively and if they're really going to play at the highest levels and and Jokic again he's not atrocious defensively I maintain it's a real struggle for him at the highest levels I think actually the changes in the way the league you know that there's not a golden state out there uh Houston has less shooting than they've had um so I think they're Philly is you know not a team that Denver is necessarily going to struggle to defend. So right. some of the teams that they might be facing at this level are and you know they did okay against Portland last year as well. So I think that Jokic's uh, defense might look a little bit better when you're not having to go up against you know a Golden State uh, every year in the playoffs. Um, but you know they I still think they overall could get get better defensively and. You know, it's just tough to play Malik Beasley, especially play Malik Beasley at the three in those situations. So, he would, but, he, you know, he I mean, he my, does give them some. Yeah, go ahead. He would be my Nuggets player who's most likely to be traded this year. And I do think he has yeah. value. But just as you mentioned, he has value to a lot of teams. And I think Denver, I actually think Denver can create a lot of Malik Beasley's. Maybe that's a hot take. But I think playing yeah. with Jokic just teaches young, talented players like how to get easy buckets. And then the rest you sort of build off of. So he's really good. Imagine him. I keep thinking about this. Imagine him on the Lakers. I mean, he's a spot up shooter with athleticism. Sure. He would be a great fit just as a low usage spot up guy and uh, I don't think the Lakers can trade for him because I don't think they have anything to offer but he's that type of player that could go to a contender and maybe make them you know just just better enough to get over a hump yeah now realistically he's not Denver's not gonna be trading with another contender right. this year you know so at least that so it, it does and I think you know if it, and then if he gets extended it becomes extremely difficult to trade him due to the base year compensation rules where he, they average out his salary uh between what he's making now and the extension and he's got different incoming and outgoing salaries so uh i mean i think if he does if he doesn't extend yeah it is kind of difficult to see him fitting into this salary structure and he is more tradable really at least this year if he doesn't in fact extend um all right big strengths for this group that we haven't talked about yet 
rebounding is always a sneaky great strength of this team. They're yeah, one of number the, one in offensive rebounding a year ago, and and I think a lot of that has to do with their style of play. I think they'll be top three in offensive rebounding really for most of the Jokic era, be in large part because you're bringing that big out on the perimeter and making them do perimeter things. You surround them with enough shooting that guys are you know Denver makes defenses cover a lot of ground. That's one of their strengths, and especially at altitude, I think it's just you know fourth quarter teams have been running from left to right covering this corner the right corner going over dho's you know three or four per possession you wear them down and then Jokic is just so good at stretch making the team do that and then next thing you know the shot's going up and you're out of position to rebound and they grab the rebound and go so i think they'll be great rebounding again this year um especially offensively their home court here's the thing that's different about this team because there's a lot of continuity the one thing yeah. i think is different and and meaningfully different for the first time i think they're an athletic team when you have yeah. when you have Jokic and Murray two below average athletes in Jokic's case well below average you know you're gonna probably just have a, a not athletic team but Jeremy Grant yeah. Michael Porter Jr. the return of Gary Harris in the preseason this team really dominated in transition at just forcing mismatches um Jeremy Grant can grab the ball and go Nikola Jokic can grab the ball and go uh Mason Plumley can uh and Paul Millsap can so your four front court players can all lead the fast break at a pretty high level and they did that so much in the preseason and there was just so much cross matching that you're posting up Jeremy Grant against a two or a three Michael Porter Jr. as tall as he is you know you get a lot of like oh Ricky Rubio's on him in transition now well that's not going to work if he pins you on the block so I think Denver will be very good in transition at forcing mismatches and just be a very good sort of transition team yeah and obviously the passing the way they move the ball from side to side as well um and just you know kind of the traditional size that they can put out there as well at, at the rim um how about weaknesses for these guys Guarding the spread pick and roll is going to be a weakness in the entire entirety of the Jokic era. Um, they ran really hot last year in opponent three point percentage. And I've always thought it was a fluke. They do have some longer guys, Jeremy Grant, Michael Porter Jr. closing out, which I think makes a yeah. huge but difference. When you say really hot, meaning that opponent shot poorly on three. Yes, points. yes, exactly. That they, I think, got a little bit lucky that teams missed as many threes against them as they did. And watching this preseason, that's the one thing you notice is teams have been able to get pretty good spot up looks against them. Um, and just like last year, teams didn't shoot the ball well in these first three preseason games. But again, that's a small sample size. But I do think Denver's going to struggle against teams. The more you run sort of a traditional spread pick and roll against them and place shooters the way that Houston has for the last several years, maybe they won't this year, but that style of offense, Denver just really, really struggles with. I think Denver beat Houston last year for the first time in three years, which kind of tells you about how how much that formula really bothers them. Yeah. And you know, I mean, they, they had a couple of games too against Golden State again that, you know, they don't have to face that level of offense. We ne- may never in our lifetime right. see that level of offense again. But I mean, you know, that 50 point first quarter that Golden State put up on them when the, there's kind of talk that oh uh, you know denver might really be nipping at their heels um <laughs> so uh, yeah i agree with you there how are they going to guard the pick and roll this year i mean we've seen them try a couple of approaches where Jokic lays back you know i've never cared for that one too much because right. you can just you can kind of get a runway at him and, and he's just too ground bound to do anything uh once that happens you get him out on the floor and i think you know f- as far as protecting him that's the the best way to do it but then you've got all these rotations on the backside that's how you give up a lot of threes in particular corner threes so what do you think the scheme is going to be 
this season. Well, you already saw it in the preseason, and I think it's a lot like it was last year in that they bring Jokic closer up, not quite to the level of the screen, but they have him show a little bit harder. He's not hedging it. He's not out in front of the screen, but he's he's playing up on it. And as you mentioned, high enough so that teams can't turn that corner and run at him because that's when he's really vulnerable. He's not a, obviously he's not a yep. rim deterrent. And if you let a guy run at him, he's just not mobile enough to do it. I, he's really smart and really crafty. So bringing him to the level of the screen or slightly below, he's able to sort of play cat and mouse and trick guys into going the direction he wants them to. He's very good at that. Yeah. And I, to me, that's, you worry about his body, but if you allow him to use his brain, he can sort of make up for it. Yeah, and he's got the good hands as well when you yeah. try to pass around him, whereas if he's laying back, he he can't really take advantage of that aspect of his skill set. And yeah, I mean, I think that's something that could be effective enough against a lot of teams, but if you try to play that way against James Harden in Houston, he's maybe the greatest pocket passer I've ever seen. <laughs> he's going to find that guy rolling to the rim and, and you're going to get dunked on. Now, I mean, they do have Millsap behind. They do have Jeremy Grant behind. You know, I, I think they, Mills, that's part of why Millsap is so valuable. If you're getting Jokic out on the floor, you've got to have that guy who can be a second line yes. defender. Um, so, you know, and offensively, they look much better with some spread there at, at that position, but defensively, you really need that help, uh, behind Jokic. So, um, one other, yeah, one, other one other thing, this is against small forwards, and we kind of referenced this before, but Denver, in my opinion, lost that series to, Portland because they couldn't guard Rodney Hood. I mean, CJ went off in game seven. That's true. But Rodney Hood had double digit games almost every single game in that series is certainly every one that they won. And as good of a player as he is, it was more about the fact that he was going against Will Barton and Torrey Craig and just guys that couldn't keep up with his height and and really challenge him. So that I think will be doubly true or, or equally as true this year. Maybe Jeremy Grant mitigates some of that. And the way he guarded Kawhi in the preseason was very encouraging. I thought there was a two or three possessions that you say, okay, this is this is a guy that throws a new wrinkle at it. Um, but I still think if you go against the Clippers or a Lakers, who guards LeBron? That's a question for every team, but it's especially a question for Denver because if the answer is Will Barton, you're in real trouble. Yeah, and Millsap, especially as LeBron has gotten older, you know, I think can handle him just in a straight up one on one situation. But if LeBron is playing the three, Millsap getting over a screen, yeah, it can be a little bit difficult. I mean, LeBron also just another awesome passer. If you're going to put two on the ball you know, twenty feet from the basket, like. Like he's going to with his height and the steam he can put on his passes he's just going to carve you up uh, as well um all right you want to get into uh some predictions here uh, for this nugget season let's do it you want me just to predict right, the record yeah. Or? <laughs> yeah 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 we'll start with the record then i think i want to talk to you about how they match up okay. with some of these these west playoff teams so offensively you know i think they're going to be better than last year i don't have them quite in the absolute top tier because i just they don't have that number one perimeter creator but this is a team that has looked like the best offense in the league at times previously um you know i think with the general rise in offense across the league it's been a little harder for them to keep up and also you know they're going to get more defense on the floor with guys like grant and Millsap. they're not spreading it as much uh, as they had been but i think you know in the five to eight range offensively and with some potential to be higher for sure um you know i have them right around portland the lakers brooklyn um 
assuming Kyrie plays plays uh plays more so uh, that's kind of where I see them offensively what, what do you think uh, on that end I am pretty high on Denver this year as a regular season team and I'm really high on them offensively uh I think they have a chance to be the number one offense in the league I think they I think they'll probably be top three or four um so I'm a little bit higher on you here's the thing yeah they, and I, I don't I don't disagree that that's a possibility I, I think yeah. just the, their bench offense might be a, you know is a, a little bit worse than just the perimeter creation isn't quite as good Ooh, but, I kind of yeah, like I, their second unit uh, offense and so here here you think of it there, you get back Gary Harris who I think is a huge just bonus to their offense Beasley did a great job filling in but now Beasley gets to come off the bench rather than Torrey Craig and and I, at the shooting guard spot so I think that's a positive you replace Trey Lyles who was easily the worst player on Denver's roster in the rotation last year with Jeremy Grant and as we've sort of referenced, so I always think the best offense for a Jokic-led team, your power forward is either a floor spacer or an elite dunker spot player who just puts that pressure on you to not help off of him on the baseline, right? Or, or help out at the last possible moment. And the number one thing I've been impressed with Jeremy Grant over this first three preseason games, he seems to be elite with his feel for how to play that dunker spot. And I sort yeah. of highlighted this on DNVR earlier this week because playing the dunker spot is sort of my wheelhouse it's one of the things i love to talk about the most the little details to it and what he does and what farid was so good at i think george carl was great at teaching this because a lot of his players were really really good at this he's just uh, and jeremy grant has this he's great at dragging that help side defender into the worst possible spot to help out and it's just it sort of becomes an instinctual thing where he's very active he cuts with purpose along the baseline not even cutting towards the ball often cutting away from the ball to create space and just the timing of it and how he plays that is so key for Jokic to really operate that DHO game, do that short roll to the floater zone, and to open up space for guys to cut back door or to turn the corner on the DHO. So I think Jeremy Grant is going to be a sneaky great addition to the Nuggets, both on both sides of the court, but offensively playing that dunker spot. And I think the Nuggets are going to look more offensively like they did in 2017 when they had Kenneth Fareed and when they, before they had really gotten over the hump and they were awful defensively, but they were just dynamite on offense. I think they're going to look like that again. Yeah, and I'm again, yeah, I'm not foreclosing on that at all. And you would think, hey, they, they've got, they were really good last year. They've got all these young guys. You'd project that in the aggregate, they all take a collective step forward. And maybe that's a, that's how you get there. Um, so yeah, it's quite possible I could be too low. on them. And, and when I talk about their bench offense, I'm not saying like, you know, they're going to be terrible as a bench offense, but they don't have when Jokic is off the floor, really that hub, that one guy that you can, can go to. So, you know, I mean, I imagine they're going to play it kind of a, you know, 10th to 15th best offense when he's off the floor. Yeah, um, it's possible. Yeah. So, but, uh, so defensively, I definitely see them taking a step back. I mean, I think they were number 11 last year, but I want to say that after that magical December where everyone was injured, but they somehow <laughs> kept winning games, um, that they were 20th. And I don't think they'll be that bad. I think that, you know, when it gets to even be a playoff defense, they might be improved because I think Grant is going to help them. And again, you know, everyone has a little bit more experience. Harris will hopefully be healthy. Um, but I, I have them right around a league average type of defense this season. I think they'll be a little bit better than that. So you you mentioned it. I think they were a top five defense for the first like two months of the season, month and a half, right? All the way up until uh, Gary Harris got hurt, I think on December 3rd. Paul Millsap got hurt on December 5th. So it was like back-to-back games where they lost their two best defenders. And for the next, um, you know, three months or so, they were, as you mentioned, a, a bottom 10 defense and they were pretty bad. And they kept winning games because the formula changed. They 
became went back to being an offensive team. Uh, when those guys came back, it it took like a month or two for them to become a good defensive team. But leading up to the playoffs, they tightened up their defense. And I want to say over the last 10 games, they were back to being effective. So the way their season went to start and to finish the year, they were really good. The middle portion of it, when they had all those injuries, they were really bad. I don't think they're an elite defensive team. And I do think they got lucky last year with, um, as I mentioned, that three-point shooting, opponent three-point shooting. But I, d- I also think you replaced Trey Lyles, who again was one of the worst defensive players on the team, and you, p- you put Jeremy Grant in there. I can see them being the 10th best defense again. I don't think they'll be elite. I don't think they have, I think they probably cap out at like top seven, top eight. Um, but I think they have it in them and have enough guys on the roster to be somewhere around nine to 12. Yeah, I, I, and they're 11th last year. I just see them being a little bit worse because of uh, that three-point shooting. I, Barton is kind of a swing guy there too, right? How many minutes is he really going to play? Is he, if he's going to be starting for you, if he's going to be playing 25, 30 minutes a game, a lot of that at the three, you know, it's it becomes a lot harder when you've got Jokic at center and yeah. your three is just not only so undersized, but also pretty thin. Murray at the one, I mean, those are three below average defensive players for their position in your starting lineup and it leaves Gary Harris and Millsap a lot to do you know if we're going to see Grant at the three or or, you know Hernan Gomez is going to get some time there with with his size um you know and and then their bench defense and you know uh, Beasley and Morris and Plumley. I mean, that's a pretty average t- guys uh, on their bench. So yeah, I mean, I just see them kind of kind of average, frankly. And uh, I think they can put some units out there that can look better. Uh, and you know, to me, a lot depends on just where that three position is going for them in terms of who they're going to play. But you know, you play someone other than Barton if it's going to be Craig. Uh, you know, if they're going to play Grant at the three, then the offense gets hurt. So I mean, that's they still they're better, but they still are not a ton of two way guys on this team. especially at at the wing so we'll we'll get into the predictions out last year 54 and 28 number two overall seed as we mentioned but one of the luckier teams in terms of their point differential cleaning the glass had them winning 3.8 games more than expected so really the point differential of a 50 win team in non-garbage time i think that's a reasonable baseline for projecting these guys now they did have the injuries harris barton you know i mean those guys those guys both have to play a little bit better or they're just going to not play uh, i mean <laughs> harris will play but barton that, may yeah. just not play if he has the same year that he did last year it'll may take a while but uh you know it may take 40 games i think they have a lot of loyalty to him but eventually he'll go out of the rotation i don't, I don't think it would take that much. long yeah i think it would take a lot less than that if he plays like yeah. he did in the preseason yeah f- fair enough um yeah and he was coming back what did he, he was coming back from a hamstring injury this preseason right so. yeah, yeah exactly yeah so maybe yeah, maybe so. he does look a little bit better once he, he that that goes away do you um, do you remember what i yeah. said last year what i predicted uh yeah i have it here let me get it in front of me i'm always curious because uh, i think last year i was a little bit lower than most people on the team yeah so last year I think two years ago uh, we I both had it. we both had forty seven wins. Okay, yeah. So I was I was a little lower. I think I expected them to be good going into the playoffs, but for it to kind of be an up and down year. Um, this year I'm actually really high on this team. Um, the, here here's where it comes down to Nate. You look at this team and how many things can go right for them that would make them better. And you, you start with okay, Jamal Murray should be better. I mean, he's just a he's getting older. He has that playoff experience. He's more confident. He's got his contract. In theory, he should be a better player. At least that's one avenue for the team to be better gary harris coming back and being healthy they should be better having him there um 
you know, Michael Porter Jr. could end up being a player. He might not be, but he could be a player. And if he is the player that we saw in the preseason, he makes them better. Jokic is young enough that he too should be better. And then Jeremy Grant is replacing the worst team player on their on their roster. And by the way, I think Jeremy Grant might be one of the four or five best players on this team just anyway. So he's yeah. a so that's an area that they can get better. Malik Beasley, Monte Morris, those guys are young enough that they should. They both, I think, both of those guys had played above themselves last year. So maybe they're not better, but they certainly shouldn't be worse. Um, it, so there's a lot of areas where you look at and go, okay, not all of those things are going to break positive for Denver, but one or two of them need to. And, you know, if Murray's better and Michael Porter Jr. is a player, okay, that, that enough is it to elevate them to a, become a better team. So I just see a lot of avenues for this team to, to be better than they were last year. And they're not all going to happen, but some of them will. So I think this team can win 55 games. It's above their projection. Um, but I think they're going to be a really, really good regular season team. And they have the athleticism and the depth and the altitude um, and the airport that's an hour away all working in their favor, <laughs> all working in their favor for them to be a team that nobody likes to play um, at home. And uh, I just I can see them winning 55. Yeah, uh, I, I don't think that's outside the realm of possibility. I think what's their, their over under is 54 and a half. Right. So they're. Uh, oh, is it? I thought it, it opened it, at 53 or something like that. Yeah, maybe, maybe it was, when I looked at it, when we did our over under podcast a little bit ago, I think it was actually it was that high. But, uh, mm. you know, I mean, it's, it's in that range. I mean, it's very different numbers at, at different places. And I think another thing that people can underrate sometimes in projections, too, is like they have a lot of outs. Right. So you can say, hey, all these guys should get better. You know, and even for young guys, that's not going to happen. There's injuries. Just guys were over their head last year. You know, easily shooting, for example, a, a way that that could be. But they have so many guys on this team that, hey, if only half of those guys break out, well, then you can play those guys and you don't have to play the guys who don't break out. Right. You know, yeah. So. So you, you've got enough chances here to where you can cobble together a really efficient rotation with the guys who do improve and then the guys who don't. Well, they're not playing as much. So yeah. I think that's something that can be underrated when you, you have a team with this much depth. Now, of course, you have to actually play the right guys and it's tough to figure out who that is and who really is better and who isn't. You know, there's a, a lot of that aspect to it, too. So it's not an efficient market necessarily in that way, but usually they can get there eventually so i'm gonna go 53 wins for this group i mean that would be a three win improvement from their point differential last year uh you know i do think Jokic is not gonna play quite as many games um mm. they are gonna have pressure obviously for seeding i think they'll be pushing until the end most likely I, I would be shocked if they don't make the playoffs so 53 wins is where i'm at uh for this group uh as a uh a median outcome here uh, the one that I, I think that's also fair i mean 53 55 we're in the same exact ballpark um, yeah, so so 50 55 is your your uh official prediction can i put that in the spreadsheet that's my official dunked on <laughs> annual season preview yeah yeah i mean yeah we could make our our uh <laughs> Yeah, I, I may I reserve the right to adjust at my uh, when I do my final prediction yeah. pod, like the day before the season. Exactly, we've got five days. Yeah. Nuggets play tomorrow night. Maybe maybe my my opinion will change or something. Who knows? Um, yeah. But here's the other thing I'll say: I would not be surprised that Denver has a quite a wide range of out, of outcomes. But I also would not be surprised if Denver won even more than fifty five if they got up into the fifty sure. fifty nine sixty range. And I don't think it's funny. Denver is sort of the classic regular season team where I, I this isn't to say that I'm higher on them than the Clippers or Lakers or you know all of those other really talented teams out west in a playoff series but just how they are built with the depth the style the home court advantage i, I think this can be a really really strong regular season uh for them yeah what do you see then as a, a best case regular season win scenario for these guys best case i <laughs> 
there, it, man, best case scenario, I'll, I'll say 60 wins, which I, again, this is improbable. I'm not picking yeah. it, but there is just a scenario where Jeremy Grant brings the best of what Kenneth Freed brought offensively with the best of what Paul Millsap brings defensively. There's a scenario where Michael Porter Jr. spends the first half of the year playing 15 minutes per game and the second half playing 23, 24 minutes per game. And he just looks like a, a true scorer and a, a Jokic player with his gutting. So there is a scenario where everything just breaks right. And then Jamal Murray, so we talked briefly about him, but the number one thing with him is consistency and if you look at like his 20th worst game last year it was a pretty bad game yeah if he can just cut that out to where his 20th worst game is actually closer to his to his average then that's a big you know bonus for this nuggets team so um the best case scenario is all of these things or most of these things break right and and they end up just being that breakout team yeah, how about uh, worst case scenario in the regular season? Uh, injuries aside, because I know you like to do this without just saying right. somebody getting hurt, but um, I would say their floor is pretty high, probably somewhere around 46, 47 wins. Um, yeah, th- that's what I had to, 47. Yeah, yeah. I, th- I think they're just, uh, I, again, injuries aside, I think their worst performances is still good enough to win a lot of games. Yeah, and also, I mean, they other than Jokic, everyone else on this team is kind of replaceable yeah yeah maybe murray would be the other guy you'd say hey you know we just we just need that shot creation that one real pick and roll guy but even then you know if you got to go 10 games with monte morris starting like that's not you're, the end of the I world think you're He's fine a, a yeah. quality backup so um yeah i mean you might then you'd be who's the third point guard that that might be a little trouble but you know they got barton who can handle the ball right. there you know they've got guys who who can who can play okay Jokic is kind of the point center anyway so yeah i mean i, I think they're unless there's an injury to Jokic, i think they can weather the storm really and For i mean we years. saw that last year right i mean they did not have a particularly healthy season last year and yet they still won uh, the 54 so yeah. um where would you rank denver in just quality as a playoff team once we get into the playoffs in the western conference they're extremely vulnerable to teams like the lakers because of that spread pick and raw i mean anthony davis always has big games against Jokic. that's probably his toughest matchup and is the toughest matchup for a lot of centers but especially Jokic. so i put them below the lakers i put them below the clippers because they have two players at the small forward position that denver just does not match up with at all um houston i i would probably have slightly ahead of them but they're a team that I, i'm i'm ready for to be like like more confident that Denver can match up and play against them. We'll see. Utah is a team that I think is in Denver's same tier, maybe even slightly above, slightly below. I, I wouldn't argue either way. And then you look at Milwaukee and Philadelphia. Those, the, the, I think they're clearly better. So I think there's four teams that are clearly better, two that are probably better, and then a bunch of teams that are, you know, I think Denver's slightly better than, but the same way they were slightly better than Portland last year and still lost. Yeah, that makes sense to me. And obviously the depth isn't as useful in the regular season as well. This team just has some specific weaknesses that need to be or that can be attacked in a playoff series where maybe some of these other teams do not. So so I'm in agreement there. I mean, are there any particular matchups that you think are good for them or bad for them I mean, you hit on them already i guess but if we're saying it in that kind of lower tier a first round matchup um if, you know how like for, for the jazz for example you know i mean is there anyone in the first round that you'd be like oh man i hope we don't have to play this team well it's it's easily for me the lakers just because that lebron anthony davis pick and roll i don't think you need to have a game plan if you're yeah. the lakers going well, well we'll see i mean the lakers might decide they're just gonna play davis next to another big and in that case uh, denver they become a lot easier to guard for a team like denver yeah, but in a playoff series push comes to shove you do what works and yeah. i just think that will work so well so overwhelming 
overwhelmingly well yeah. against Denver that it would be uh Yeah, I, I mean, maybe you would say, okay, we're going to play Grant and we'll play Millsap and we're going to switch that that play. Yeah, and you know, uh, but but again, um, if you're going to say you're going to take Jokic off the court, then you're already in a dis- Oh yeah, no, no, I mean, I, I guess that's that's what I'm saying. I mean, yeah. if you if you're if you're going with AD at center, then where the hell does is Jokic going to play? I mean, that it does get extremely difficult at that point in time. And I think they would score yeah. against the Lakers. It's just that the Lakers would get the the best types of shots on every possession, and and that would be tough. So them, um, the Clippers are going to be tough against everyone. I do think that Utah is an interesting one. Rudy Gobert has really given Jokic trouble this last season, um, but he actually doesn't guard Jokic. They had favors guarding Jokic, and then Gobert just sort of playing off of Millsap. They dared Millsap to shoot a bunch of threes, and Gobert would just keep blocking his shot. So I think Gobert is a tough matchup for Jokic in a vacuum, but I'm sort of curious to see what he looks like if they do play a little bit smaller and a little bit more stretchier, because I think that becomes a lot more difficult for Gobert. So I'm inclined to say Utah would be a tough matchup, but I'm actually not so sure about that. I'm curious to see it. Yeah, Utah, I mean, they're going to be running a lot of spread pick and roll this year more than they have in years past and they have a lot of shooters so i mean i think that could be an offensive series uh, as well you know yeah it's tough for Jokic to post up Gobert but I mean I, I really don't know how good Utah's defense is going to be this year with kind of Gobert having to be a one-man band that I mean that would be a fascinating series I hope we do see that series yeah. and it'd be a lot of fun big man play in that series you know I think those teams are, are pretty close to one another that yep. that would be uh, a tough one to pick ultimately so yeah. um and do you think the team could win the championship this year or is that unrealistic I think they could I, I mean I think 538 has their odds at four percent which feels right to me it's no, no, <laughs> nobody's picking this it's yeah. not it's not a smart pick i don't think it's that likely but they're again they have so six uh, percent actually as, as i look at it now maybe the uh, their new updates which i haven't had a chance to get into yet as, as far as whether i believe in those or not uh their new their new systems for projection but yeah six percent i mean again there's just so many for them to win a championship we talked about like those 10 avenues for them to improve they would need all 10 of them to hit so it's very very unlikely but you know what like i said um i i think they're on the right path and i think that this season was the first year that their championship window quote-unquote you know their quote-unquote championship window opens um it's just barely opened but uh i i think they only get better from here and um they get to this is a season where they have a little bit of pressure for the first time once they get to the playoffs if they lose in the first round it will feel like a step back whether it is or isn't um but uh but yeah i think there's a tiny chance i just nobody in their right mind is, is picking it yeah, I mean, I I would say it's more likely to me that they lose in the first round than make the conference finals. Definitely. I think they just have I, I think they just have too many matchup issues in the postseason. Um, and you mentioned, I mean, Houston. It's just like I'll believe it when I see it with it. As far as them being able to guard James Harden, maybe having Westbrook out there will help them. Yeah. Um, but and I think even Westbrook could be difficult for them to stop again with the shooting that they can put around him and Clippers. They you know their base starting lineup. They don't have anyone to guard those two guys. Lakers, you mentioned the problems there. So yeah, I mean I think against those three teams and you're going to have to almost certainly go through two of those to even get to the finals. I like the way they match up better against the Eastern teams. Yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, yeah. F- Philly, they kind of have an idiosyncratic offense to go against that really good defense, and I think you know they can philly doesn't run spread pick and roll that's their weakness and and then you know milwaukee is just they've got Giannis, but you can kind of load to Giannis, and maybe they miss some shots so i I like them better against those east teams than i do some of the west teams but you know they got to get there and i think that could be exceedingly difficult if if everything broke right for denver and you know all those things work out michael porter jr is great all that stuff and then you know say the lakers and clippers match up in the first round and the rockets and thunder or rockets and jazz you know okay now you have to get down to only one series where you're like okay they're going to be at a disadvantage in it or 
something well, like that. But, but they would never do something like manipulate the playoff bracket for a more favorable matchup. Let's do it again, two years in a row. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, the, the basketball gods may have been angered. That might have been why they lost the, that game seven. <laughs> I think the basketball um, no, gods I mean, it was appreciated genius. it. It was absolute genius. Yeah, I think the I mean, basketball they, they... gods tipped their hat to that kind of thing. <laughs> That's my theory. <laughs> yeah. All right, man. Well, thanks again. This was awesome. Really appreciate you coming on and uh, looking forward to returning the favor uh, at some point during the season. I appreciate you having me on. It's always fun. Well, this is the last of our team preview series always a, a fascinating endeavor to really get thinking about all of these teams uh, for an hour or sometimes even longer and our last episode is as those of you have been paying attention probably realize the chicago bulls and making his dunked on debut is matt bernhardt also known as your friendly bulls blogger the founder of bloggable.com a site that i've been reading since 2003 am i remembering that right matt if if you've been there from the beginning then yes it started in 2003 so this is year uh, 17 of covering this team in, in yeah. blog form I think I came across your site initially uh, as a Bulls fan. Thankfully, I'm now lapsed. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, you. I thought this was your Chicago Bulls, I thought. Yeah. Now, yeah, now, yeah, I'm, starting, right. now I'm starting to think Danny's sarcastic when he says that. Uh, no, he 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 is. <laughs> Maybe he's, he needs he needs something to tie me to, though. It's, uh, uh, but, yeah, so I was uh, I came across your site at first uh, arguing about, uh, you know, how good of a coach Bill Cartwright was on, like, Real GM message boards in 2003 and what the rotation should be uh whether uh you know eddie curry should be getting more playing time or or not i was like oh he's putting up a bunch of points and rebounds really good efficiency like yeah he's great like uh we've come a long way since then i think both right. of us. we moved on to michael sweetney and then and, and then now we're <laughs> now we're here yeah <laughs> pretty pretty much a, a solid through line mm-hmm. there i mean it, it is remarkable how many iterations of, of this team that there have been uh, since then uh not in management of course as you uh, uh have often pointed out right john uh, paxton started just a couple months uh before me so yeah we, we're kind of tied together doing this way <laughs> yeah. do, both doing this way too long yeah you guys you guys are uh our best buddies um all right let, let's get to this year's team and last year it was a real struggle for these guys i I always just am shocked seeing this number in front of me of 22 and 60 and not only that but 20.1 expected wins a year ago Mm -hmm. how much of that performance which was obviously extremely disappointing i mean some people were like oh the bulls might make the playoffs i think you and i both realized that probably wasn't gonna happen their over under was like in the 27 range or so they were well below that but how much of that atrocious performance really from last year is gonna carry over to this year at least when it comes to projecting their performance again yeah it was kind of interesting that this year there's kind of this buzz around the team and i'm sure we'll get into that like the preseason hype about whether this team can compete for the playoffs and this was kind of the case last year too um not as much and it was mostly from like management side and whereas we would be able to see like well you signed jabari parker that's clearly not going to work they thought otherwise um but yeah i I think it was a case where they were trying and the year before they were more blatantly tanking and John Paxson was very emotional as he is about how he didn't want to do this again. And then fast forward a year later and he was doing the same thing again uh, because stuff didn't work out between injuries and Fred Hoiberg going to Jim Boylan. But I, it's tough to, you can look at it in multiple ways. They're, they're, they're a 22 win team and like the proof's in the pudding kind of thing.
saying, like, you are what your record says you are, like you pointed out, even worse when you're looking at Pythagorean record. But there were legitimate injuries. I don't I don't think it's as bad as what they try to spin in terms of how bad the team was. They did miss. Yeah, the, the um, injuries weren't as bad as they're trying to spin. Right, team. right. So Larry Markkinen was out for the uh like a quarter of the season that was certainly bad and it was it was right in the beginning of the season um and fred hoiberg only got one game with marken and back before he was fired um yeah they, Chris, they had to get rid of him before they started playing better <laughs> yeah that was very, been harder to get rid of him. it was pretty yeah and and i have a lot to say about that whole uh coaching change but uh, a lot of it was pretty transparent in that that they were going to get better and then so they wanted to tie it to the coach instead of uh the players coming back but other guys being hurt like you know, Wendell Carter got hurt for the last half of the year, but he was a 19-year-old rookie. He wasn't really contributing. Robin Lopez did probably better than what um, Carter would have done in those in those minutes. Um, Chandler Hutchison getting hurt, that doesn't matter. He was no good. Chris Dunn getting hurt, that didn't matter. It was no good. The, part of the problem was that the depth behind those guys was so poor. So you're rolling out guys like Jabari Parker and uh, empty calorie guys like Bobby Portis, and then by the end, by, as the season went along, um, you're having a lot of G League level talent out there. Tons of minutes to guys like Campaign and Justin Holiday, and so I think that. But so I think their record was probably more like a maybe high twenty, maybe mid twenties, high twenties win team. But they were still very bad. But I think the additions they made um, and only losing Lopez will mean that not a lot of it will carry over into this season. I think they have a higher floor to start from than the twenty two wins would suggest. Yeah. So I thought that. Dunn, obviously, he struggled offensively. The fit there offensively is really bad. Carter also struggled offensively, struggled to finish, was not perhaps the, the three-point shooter that had been hoped. But I think those guys both brought something on defense, and that was where their absence really hurt. And also, as you said, I mean, just they were so thin, right? And so even losing those guys who, you know, I mean, maybe you could say Chris Dunn was like, adequate as a backup point guard and carter you know was an okay defensive center there better when he was on the floor defensively at least uh so losing them and then having really nobody to replace them at an nba level was a big problem um and so as we talk about carryover here and they've made a lot of additions but the one thing that i think could be a common through line from last year to this year is uh the backup situation on the wings at, at shooting guard and small forward where an especially small forward and we saw it again with Otto porter getting hurt they they played their only competent ball of the season when he was on the team after the trade with washington and then he goes down and they're right. suddenly just you know an absolutely terrible team again so that's where I, that's the one thing that i think can carry over here from last year that's a concern to me um, in spite of the additions they've made. Yeah, and Otto Porter does have a bit of an injury history, but it's tough to tell if, in the Bulls' case, if he was held out more due to tanking. And especially at the end of the, like the final like 10 games of the season, they were outright tanking again. They shut down uh, Porter. They shut down Markkinen with this weird... Um, like heart fatigue thing that they never really explained to to the point where it almost just seems like they were just blatantly uh, holding him out for no reason. Um, but that's interesting to, to see going into this year that they have they have less excuse if there are injuries because they should have depth. And I think part of like management not being accountable was that they they kind of used these injuries as a shield but the fact that the depth was so bad but that's on management uh, that's that's their yeah. fault that 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 it kind of threw out the whole development curve of guys who they care about like Levine and Market and they were saying well we don't really know about them because we had other guys get hurt and it kind of threw the whole season down the drain now that shouldn't be to that level and hopefully with the additions they made this year that won't be happening even if there are some injuries but the injury concerns with Porter um, especially with the, the lack of wing depth but also Markkanen 
um, Carter. I mean, those are all things to consider. I mean, I'm, I'm not going to expect um, like some massive injury. I don't think like another uh, ACL tear for Zach Levine is going to happen, but they do have to be wary about some of these um, like one to two week injuries that pop up. So, yeah, and hopefully as well, Sadoransky has a lot of size. Uh, I really liked that pickup, what he can do defensively. He's at least a, an adequate standstill shooter as well. Good good pick and roll player. Uh, should be a pretty big upgrade over what Dunn gave them. And they still, you know, Dunn, uh, I mean, he's got his offensive problems, but I think he can be you know, at least a lower level rotation guy coming off the bench, hold the fort type of guy at point guard if you need to play either White or Sadoransky more at the two or, or even the three. But let's get to Sadoransky now. The announcement from Boylan, an expected one today that Sadoransky would in, in fact uh, be the starting point guard. How has he looked in preseason? Uh, what do you expect from him this year? Well, in general, I try not to take too much from the preseason and um, a lot of that's kind of like informed my my skepticism about this team because if you were just looking at the preseason, the, the offense looks very good, and especially yeah. with Sadoransky uh, at the helm, there was I think they they ran the the number the plus minus with him versus Don because they kind of split the duties in the preseason as sort of a pseudo tryout. Although it was probably likely Sadoransky was going to win that job just based on his on his contract and that they went out to trade for him, but he was he was like a plus thirty and. Don was a minus 10 in those in those starters minutes together and I think that um that showed in the eye test as well just that he is less of a ball stopper than Chris Dunn um not as good of a on-ball defender but very good team defender good positional size for sure and just more of a facilitator whereas you have guys like Zach Levine who's going to command the ball a lot more and it definitely uh raises usage in the preseason and we could talk about like what uh year he might be uh primed for but I think playing alongside Sadoransky will will help him and historically Dunn has not played well with um with Levine. Dunn's numbers have suffered. Levine's numbers have suffered when they're together, and that's because Dunn kind of still fancies himself as like a ball dominant lead guard. Um, but when he doesn't have the ball, he's not nearly as effective due to his lack of outside shooting. So, uh, I think this is a good move. To it was a kind of an obvious move, but still, but still a good sign that they're that they're going this way with Sedaransky. They kind of went into the training camp saying, "Well, this is an open competition." Chris Dunn did a lot of work in the off season, uh, but it, it was pretty. A parents in the in the preseason as as like reticent as I am to give evidence to that um it still looked like that Sadoransky won the job outright and I think that's the right decision yeah and certainly Sadoransky a far superior track record to done before this and like I like to say about small samples when it feeds into perhaps what the evidence would have indicated beforehand uh, then you uh there's more reason to believe it you know I mean we believe Chris Dunn isn't that great of a shooter and lo and behold he was not that great of a shooter in the preseason Sadoransky did what was his willingness to take uh spot up looks in the preseason um it appeared like he was he was ready to let it fly and I think in general the team has been encouraged to shoot more three-pointers this season which is what's been uh, really encouraging going into the season kind of feeding into the hype that this can be a, a good offense um what we saw last year especially was Boylan coming in saying they were going to go to a crawl and then they did so and it was abysmal they were bad with Hoiberg but Hoiberg said the right things he just couldn't get the team to actually do it plus he didn't have like quite the personnel as we we discussed with Jabari Parker and some of the injuries but Boylan comes in says we're not going to do that we're gonna we're gonna slow it down um 
ostensibly to create this kind of like back to basics type approach. And then this kind of story came out where they had a decent February where they were seven and five or something. But a lot of that wasn't so much that they changed their shot profile or uh, Jim Boylan let them run more. They were slightly higher in pace. They were like 20th in pace instead of near the bottom of the league. But the main difference was that they simply made their threes in that time. And they had uh, Otto Porter who was shooting out of his mind when he first came over. And I think a lot of it is kind of feeding into this idea that this is going to be the new Bulls, uh, that and the preseason, that they're going to be a run up and down, shoot a lot of threes. They were last in the league in like the percentage of uh, field goals being a three-pointer. Um, and this year in the preseason, they've improved their shot profile a lot. But I still want to see it in the regular season. Um, but Sadoransky definitely helps in that he's a capable outside shooter and a little bit more willing. Chris Dunn, not only his percentages actually weren't as terrible as you would expect, but he just had like no volume to where even yeah. if he uh, did get like 32% of his makes, he wasn't shooting it enough to be a legitimate threat at all. Yeah, and Sadoransky, I mean, only 2.73 point attempts for 36 minutes last year. I mean, that is an exceedingly low number for a guard, but he makes them. And so you would hope that he can take a few more. And you know, he did play next to Bradley Beal some last year. You would think that that could have gleaned him uh, some more spot up looks. There, it was a good Washington offense, uh, improbably, after e- even John Wall went down. So I do think, you know, his willingness to move the ball, his cutting, all that stuff, even if he's not taking all those shots, and, and it's also not as damaging too when you have poor and Markkinen who are, are pretty good marksmen next to him Otto Porter looks to me like he's gained like 20 pounds he I, I don't know I can't decide whether it's good weight yet uh but he looks to have bulked up and that was always the criticism of him defensively that he just was too slight to be a stopper against some of those other wings certainly he's going to be cast in that role on this team uh to guard the bigger wings the extent that that they're going to be playing them this year because there aren't that many in the eastern conference but uh how does he look to you in the preseason do you agree with me that he looks like he's put on quite a few pounds yeah and that's something we'll have to see like how they because they don't really have anyone else to defend wings um zach levine obviously is a very poor defender and they don't have much backups uh, chandler hey, hutchison hey, zach levine is tired <laughs> of people talking shit about yeah. his defense not that's, only that's yeah his specific quote right well not only is he tired of it he thinks he's already a good on ball defender and uh i'm sorry he's not i know that's like a common <laughs> a common thing that not only he but like some beat reporters would say like well he's actually good on the ball and it's like I think it's more that he's just better than he is off the ball because he's just abysmal off the ball. He loses focus so easily. But even on the ball, he gets blown up on screens all the time. He's still very slight. Um, it'll be nice to see if he does take a more concerted effort on that end. I think anecdotally in the preseason, he looks a little better. But yeah, back to him and Otto Porter. So behind them, you have Chandler Hutchison, who was like probably fit the profile of defendant of a wing stopper. Uh, Denzel Valentine obviously can't do it. I'm not even sure as an NBA player at this point. So they're going to be trying to play guys up positions. Sadoransky will probably play a lot of wing. Maybe they'll have to use Shaq Harrison and Chris Dunn as wing defenders. And then they're obviously on the smaller side. So a lot is on Otto Porter to, if he has bulked up, hopefully didn't bulk up too far to to not uh, be able to guard the the quicker wings. Because I think the larger wings, they got Thaddeus Young for that role as kind of like a prototypical um, guy to defend like LeBron James of the league and the the larger wings. Yeah, Giannis, uh, obviously they have to match up with him four times a year. Young does one of the better jobs uh, on him. Yeah, so I I mean, I guess it's just going to be a backup three by committee. Porter, to me, is is the one guy that they really can't uh, afford to lose. Uh, Absolutely. uh, Front court rotation, how's that shaking out to you? Well, I think... 
Markkanen, they obviously have as a starting power forward, and I think they want to try him more at uh, backup center to have Thaddeus Young slide in at the four and then have Markkanen play some center. Um, Wendell Carter had an injury that ended last season, and then he had off-season surgery on core muscle. They said it was more of a like a voluntary thing to clean up something that had been bothering him his whole career. Um, but it did cost him some time in training camp. He then, or in the off-season workouts before training camp, he started training camp, sprained his ankle, bruised his tailbone. Um, he also barely got in the preseason. So I'm not, I, they're probably going to have him as the starter, but I'm not sure how many minutes he's going to be able to play right away. He's also always battled foul trouble in his brief time in the league. We'll have to see how that uh, plays out this year in his sophomore season. So Behind them, though, they, they actually have some good depth with Thaddeus Young at the four and then uh, Luke Cornett at the at the five is just kind of a, a five-out center who can space the floor with Markkanen. I mean, if you put him and Markkanen in a backup lineup, that's very interesting. Um, again, they can try Markkanen at center, but then you're talking about, well, how does it affect their defense? How does it affect their rebounding, especially? They were never a good defensive team last year, even though Boylan kind of has this like reputation as this hard-ass coach who's going to get the guys to to grind, but he it never really manifested himself in actual good defense. They were bad under Hoiberg. They were even worse at points under Boylan. They are going to... Robin Lopez wasn't a good defender in space, but he was big and could stand there, and I think he really helped the team's defensive rebounding. Robin Lopez yeah. has long been known for a guy who will help the team by blocking out guys and allowing other uh, players to get rebounds. I think uh, a lot of what we've seen of Laurie Markkinen's uh, rebounding might have been like buoyed by Robin Lopez's presence. That was something that was kind of a knock on him in the draft, but it turned out to be actually good. They were they were last in the league last year in offensive rebounding. So I think that is a uh, I think it's intriguing that they have so much shooting in the front court now. Um, but we'll have to see like how it affects their defense and how it affects their rebounding. Because um, I know obviously a lot part of the pushing the ball will be if you secure that defensive rebound. And they have a lot of good positional size elsewhere on the court, but at center um, a lot. Uh, relies on Carter to kind of get better a lot quicker, a lot quicker than you would expect for a 20 year old. I mean, a lot of what he came in the league for is being a smart defender, really good out on switches, but it's still a lot to ask of someone in their, their second season when their first season was cut short by injuries. And he's already had a couple injuries in his second year. So I'm kind of like more wait and see when it comes to Carter. I really like his potential. I think he's a really great fit next to Markkinen, especially if he improves his uh, shooting range. But uh, defensively, I don't think it's uh, set in stone that he's going to be this great stopper right away. Yeah, I, I mean, I think he, for a rookie big, I thought he was pretty decent last year. Again, obviously not uh, only playing the 44 games. Um, and I, I like Young's fit next to Markin. I mean, if you are going to play Markin at center, at least having, you know, one of the best defensive guys, I, I had him on my all defensive second team last year. Certainly age is a concern with Young, but I mean, he's still miles better than anyone they've had in those positions in the last few years. So uh, I do like his fit with Markin. He can work a little bit more inside posting up uh, on smaller players, getting that left hand while marking and spreads the floor for him. Uh, but I want to ask you, I mean, it, it really, all of this stuff that they've done, Porter, uh, you know, they drafted Kobe White. He might be a part of this too eventually. But it really, to me, comes down to they put the pieces around these guys right now and Zach Levine and Lowry Markkinen are going to have to take major step forwards for this team to compete for the playoffs so let's start with Markkinen what do you think the odds are of him being able to take a step forward what does he need to do better realistically to carry this team into playoff contention yeah Markkinen has been interesting and he hasn't had the breakout preseason that Zach Levine had um so 
a lot. I'm I'm kind of worried about him. Uh, plat not so much regressing, but maybe plateauing as a player. Um, he his three point percentage is not as good as you would expect. I mean, he he gets up a lot of attempts, and it's like kind of a novelty that he's so uh, big and getting his shot off anywhere. But he's he's more like in the low thirty percent than what you would expect uh, someone of Markinen's like pedigree to be, like upper near forty percent, where I think he should be uh, if he really wants to be a major like offensive weapon. And then his two point percentage isn't as good as you would expect either. I think a lot of what Lowry marketing we see yeah, is more potential percent from two. Like that's right. just not good enough. Yeah. And we saw like, again, a lot of this, uh, hype around the Bulls is around like a really brief stretch in February where we saw Markinen be able to take it coast to coast and kind of bump into guys and take contact and finish inside, but we didn't see it for the whole season for sure. And he had injuries uh, both to end the season and to begin his season, and he actually lost weight compared to the season prior, so I'm not sure how that will help him when it comes to getting in the lane and, and creating more contact and finishing inside. We'll have to see. A lot of what we see in the preseason is him being more of a just a three-point option where he, he runs a good pick and roll with Zach Levine, but it's primarily for him to pop out and be a threat. And now that's extremely valuable, but it does kind of put like a ceiling on what, what he can be in terms of like being like a near all-star player. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah, it definitely is valuable. It's more valuable if you can do it at center than at power forward. It's more valuable too if you know, a lot of teams are playing combo forwards. You know, if he's being guarded by a Robert Covington type and he runs a pick and roll with Zach Levine, you can probably just switch that, right? And mm-hmm. now, does Lowry really have the ability to punish that? You know, maybe Zach Levine could punish it, but if you're, you know, your combo forward type is guarding him, that's not a great matchup. So he could have the size advantages. He, can he go down in the post? and punish shooting guards I mean, like what do you think his prospects are for just getting a little bit more individual offense going this year because they really only have one guy who can do that right now and that's Levine yeah exactly and especially off the bench it's a real concern which is why Chris Dunn might actually get a lot of time off the bench because he's one of the few guys on this roster who can actually create um but back to Mark and in terms of his ability to post up mismatches that's something that they've struggled getting him to improve on some of it had to do with guards not getting in the ball when it was pure post-ups but even when he was on a switch it wasn't it was kind of a thing where you, you could see it happening because he's so large and he has such skill around the basket but the production just wasn't there and we haven't seen it in the preseason but it's just preseason I I do that is something I do want to see going forward is you know instead of having Zach Levine take all these shots we work in marketing more especially on mismatches to really to open up the defense for the the rest of the team and get him going to where he's not just uh on outside the three-point line and hoisting up a bunch of threes a game which again has value but won't really uh grow his game so what are your impressions of kobe white right now obviously you know he's a rookie point guard mm-hmm. you can't expect him to be a massive contributor this year they do get have sataransky who, who's going to start for them uh what have you seen for him so far and then maybe a little bit longer view do you think he profiles as a starting point guard of the future for this team well i think you know you asked the question about sataransky's willingness to put up shots that's not a problem with kobe white he looks to be <laughs> very uh able to just like hoist up shots and, and and it's been mixed success he had a horrible shooting in the summer league but it did improve in preseason still not great from three and definitely better spotting up versus off the dribble um his spot up three attempts uh look pretty good and he has a good stroke but um i think he might play a bit 
this season just because, again, they don't really have uh, creators off the bench. And even if he's looking right now more like Antonio Blakenly than the, the point guard of the future in, in terms of his like shots versus assists, um, I still think the fact that he has that confidence and that range will be will be useful. Um, Long term, I'm not sure I see him as the point guard of the future. It, obviously, it's what they're hoping for, and he has good positional size, but not long arms at the position. Um, he looks to be a willing defender, which is good. His his handle is kind of loose; it's very high, and he he looks like he can make passes, but he doesn't. It's not like his first instinct. His first instinct is a score, and I think that'll actually be useful this season. But we'll have to see going forward if he he gets more of a distributor mindset and then that'll make him more the point guard of the future i mean this is something that that the bulls have been looking for for a while ever since derrick rose basically they didn't have a backup point guard of the future let alone uh, uh an actual point guard of the future when rose was was gone and they've cycled through tons of guys uh chris dunn was the most high profile one because he was the, the fifth pick in the draft and they tried to trade for him a year before they actually got him and that's clearly not working out he, he might not even um, last the season it might be a trade in midseason so Kobe White's the next one I don't know if they really see him as that or if they kind of just do this thing where they 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 figure like okay we're set at this position let's just get a point guard I think they do that a lot where they they try to draft by position instead of trying to take the best player available and thinking that believing their own uh, scouting process in that they think they nailed the the market impact. They think they nailed the Zach Levine acquisition. They may be right, but um, some of what the Kobe White draft pick, I think, was more just need to say, like, let's get a point guard and see if we can develop them versus thinking, well, this is definitely going to be our point guard of the future. Yeah. Well, I mean, they certainly had a need uh, on the wing as well. I mean, they didn't have even Thaddeus Young at that point, and there were wings available. It sounds like I'm a little bit higher on on White than you. I think that the number one thing that I really like about him is his ability to push the ball. I think that'll be important on the second unit. I, I like the way that he played at North Carolina. I think, you know, he played with other threats. I think he can kind of work into that. I like his offensive fit next to Levine because you just you uh, and yeah the ball hasn't gone in for him yet but as you mentioned you know he's not shy shooting and he has been pretty good spotting up he has been good pushing the ball and so I think even if you just if that's all that he's going to do is do those two things at an above average level and defend his position adequately which I think Mm -hmm. he ultimately can you know that's I think that could be a, a relatively valuable player like you don't get guys who can push the ball like that and spot up and you know he's shown some ability to break down his man get to the basket we'll see whether he can do that efficiently efficiently I share your concerns about his distribution at this point in time but if you know next to Zach Levine he's kind of an on ball guy I thought actually that the Suns uh and the wolves who both had their cracks at the number six pick messed up by not taking him i i like him just because i i think he fits in to fill some holes even if he's not your number one every down pick and roll option um and i do think like he's been exactly what i hoped he would be so far to me i think he's shown uh, yeah the ball hasn't gotten in quite as much as you might hope you know he's a rookie and maybe if, if that doesn't improve obviously then you know I'll, I'll be wrong but i think he's got some pretty decent shooting potential so yeah he, i mean he i like him right he definitely wasn't overmatched which is good and yeah and you you point out that he's pushing the pace and that's something they're as a team they're trying to do this year and he definitely fits into that and that's that's big i know a lot of what they're they're saying that uh, at the end of last season going into this year is this whole idea of a multi-ball handler uh idea where anyone can theoretically take the ball off the rim and start moving that's i i'm kind of not sure that works with everyone but it definitely works with kobe white um, there was a great there was a great play in the last preseason game where uh, Archie they ran multiple guards and Archie Diacono and White were in together. Uh, 
Archie Diakono got the rebound before he even hit the ground, passed up the white, and white was gone. I mean, his his speed is undeniable, and I think that'll really help. And that that translates to this level already, which is pretty big. Yeah, he doesn't. I mean, if you can shoot the ball and you've got some pretty good athleticism, like that's like a a good start for an NBA point guard. But yeah, I mean, you know, I'm not saying he's guaranteed to succeed, but I liked the pick there at seven personally. Um, Let's just go through. Let's do like 30 seconds or so here uh, on some of these other guys that we haven't had a chance to talk about yet. Uh, Let's start with uh, Ryan Archidiakono. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been converted on Archidiakono. I I didn't think he was. I was like, what the hell are these guys doing? Even giving him a guaranteed contract. (laughs) Right uh last year and then you know giving him the three-year nine million to lock in kind of you know below average backup point guard play third point guard tj mcconnell type of money seemed reasonable at the end yeah and i mean he and he beat chris dunn out for the job to end last season he was the starting point guard at the end of last season and i don't think it's i don't even think it's likely that dunn is the necessarily the backup for um, Sadoransky. I think I, w- I wouldn't surprise me if Archie Diakono, based on his style of play and being like a favorite of Jim Boylan for obvious reasons, would would make him the uh, the backup kind of play a similar style to Sadoransky, where he's more of a facilitator, spot up shooter. Archie Diakono had does a couple things really well. He can he's shot well from three, and he had a great um, job caretaking the ball. Great assist to turnover ratio. Obviously, some of that is kind of skewed because he's not really probing the defense much and not making risky passes but he was taking care of the ball and he was making smart plays he's probably overrated as a defender but he tries which is what was in you know short supply last season so i i'm actually okay with him as the third point guard and i wouldn't be surprised if he's the backup heading into the season yeah and he's also not someone who's going to necessarily agitate for playing more the one thing i'll add to what you said is i think he's just he's got to speed up his release a little bit i'd like to see him be a little bit more aggressive just a comically low use usage rate mm-hmm. for him last year for a guy who's you know supposed to be a pretty good shooter obviously he had those heroics uh, in college uh Denzel Valentine now he is kind of taking the Archie Jackano spot and someone I'm not sure belongs in the league um he was not good when he played and he was had injury concerns coming out of college and he let missed all that season with a, like an ankle reconstruction type thing and he's looked even less athletic uh this year and I think part of the concern is that you would say well you know Valentine never really relied on athleticism, but that means he can't really lose any athleticism either before yeah, he's not. I, I'm usually in that latter camp. Right. And I think in Levine, guys. and especially when he goes inside the three point line, it, it's just, he gets, it's, it's, it's almost comical how easily he gets, he gets blocked. And then he's just a spot up shooter and he's actually okay at that. He has a, he has a very uh, good release and he's good at a pull up situation, good numbers and that, but what are you going to do with a guy who's playing in the wing, going three point line to three point line? He might be better, like on a on a really good team as like a tenth man or something. But if they're relying on him to be like the main wing backup, I, I, something is going to happen for him. Yeah, and I think this is where the perils of the multi ball handler system can come in, where he really shouldn't be trying to attack much mm-hmm. off the dribble. Like all he's getting there really is just because you know, the the Bulls. He might be better with some of his pick and roll craft if they really had like a nasty like alley oop threat type of center. Um where you know that guy can kind of suck the defense in and, and valentine can kind of probe in the lane he doesn't have to try and finish but they don't really have that sort of player so his pick and rolls just lead to these ugly floaters from the free throw line which i mean granted he might be one of the better guys in the league at shooting floaters from the free throw right, line but yeah. uh but it's not yeah, something you want to still, see yeah yeah it's still a, a terrible shot actually i diverted us quickly from levine we talked about his defense oh I mean, right he, he, he's still yeah that's my fault i'm the host i'm just <laughs> guy, guy guide the conversation uh but yeah so uh, 
he took major step forward last year. I mean, he he probably had a better year last year than I thought he might be capable of having in his career. And in particular, he was really able to get on top of the rim and just looked really good getting to the basket. He's so fast in a straight line. I mean, one of the things you notice about him is like, even in the preseason, yeah, granted, you're not going to try and do chase down blocks in the preseason, but like he'll catch the ball on like an outlet or something and be right next to a guy and take two steps and he's just like gone i mean that you know that's how the type of athleticism you have to have to dunk from the free throw line but like he's just so fast in a straight line when he gets going it's really breathtaking getting to the rim he actually got to the foul line a little bit more too um it actually made me start to think hey like this guy could be an all-star type of player now will he be i don't know obviously the defense is still a massive concern but what do you see for him as far as his potential because i never thought that he could even make the strides forward that he made last year Right, and I think some of it was kind of overshadowed in that the Bulls were so bad and he had such little help around him to where it kind of almost fed into his negative reputation as an empty calorie scorer, but like you pointed out, he was it, he was definitely improved. He had a better he had a better shot profile, more attempts at the rim, like you mentioned the increase in the free throw rate definitely looked like any uh, residual effects of his ACL tear were gone. He's still like the one of the best athletes in the league now. Um, so that's very encouraging to see that. I, I think it helped that he was so young when he had that ACL tear versus what we saw from Derrick Rose uh, when he never really had the same athleticism. And another big difference, obviously, is Levine's range. And uh, he's he's taking more threes um, now than he did the year prior, now meaning the preseason versus uh, the, the regular season last year. And his, his range Change is just um it, it's one of the best in the league at that too so i mean i really i'm kind of with you i mean a, a lot of what we see in terms of like the variable outcome for the bulls depends on levine and what, can he improve as a playmaker he he definitely did last year but can he take another step the defense i mean i'll that's one like I'll believe it when I see it kind of thing. Yeah, but uh, it, it, it didn't look better to me in the preseason. I mean, I only watched one of their game, but there's there's one play where he, he was guarding a guy in the corner uh, who went to do a DHO at the elbow, and uh, that guy gave it up to the big ran ran up towards the wing and then just ran back to the corner and Levine somehow ended up doing like a 360 just totally yeah. losing track of the guy and the guy got a wide open corner three I mean you just see those two or three times a game where again you know I don't know that it's entirely a lack of effort but it's just right I think some the, of that guy, is it's just inherent I right think, I think some, some of it is a talent to be able to take the right routes when you're chasing guys around screens and not losing your focus uh when when off the ball I think yeah some of that is just it is just like a talent and an innate ability that he doesn't seem to have. And it, and this is his, uh, I don't know, fifth or sixth year in the league now. So it's probably not, yeah. not going to happen. Uh, but if he just makes a effort to get a little better, I think he could be an all-star if only because he'll be scoring a lot of points on a team that likely will be a, a bit better. Uh, the all-star games in Chicago, the East is weak. So, I mean, there's, there's kind of like other factors that might get him to an all-star level. I don't think he'll get to like all NBA or anything, but again, he improved last year. So, and he's still very young. So it's possible that he gets better at these other things that he does take a leap that like you, I did not think uh, he was going to get to that level. I was, but uh, he proved me wrong once. Yeah, and some of the things that are really impressive, 37% from three, but as you mentioned, very difficult attempts, many of them off the dribble. I mean, that is one of the premium offensive skills, especially when you consider that, unlike a lot of these guys, he shoots like a pure jump shot from anywhere. I mean, he's a, such a good leaper. Right. He can get his shot off from deep. I mean, if you can shoot 30% with a 37% and you have a lot of those off the dribble with the hand in your face, I mean, that really can 
warp the defense especially if he starts to get some more threats i mean last year you know Dunn, shaq harrison i mean some of these guys that were playing with him at hutchison like you know you could just help off of those guys willy-nilly i don't expect that to be the case this year um and then you know you mentioned he has improved playmaking the the places to take the steps forward uh fewer turnovers 14.5 percent of his possessions ending in turnovers and then something that he got a little bit of attention for uh, on the jump earlier this week was oh they told me to stop taking mid-rangers i kind of like taking mid-rangers but the reality is and they had this conversation with them. I think this was in the news last year of, hey, if you just turn X number of your mid-range jumpers into threes, here's what your efficiency could be like. He's already 30% usage and 57% true shooting. I mean, that's nothing to sneeze at. That's like mm-hmm. to to be above average efficiency and that type of usage is really impressive. And so, you know, am I going to think, hey, this guy's going to be a number one scorer who can like drive a, a really good offense? You know, because their offense when he was on the floor was still pretty middling, granted with crappy pieces around him, uh, or I should say crappy since i this is a chicago focused podcast but uh he uh i think it, it's possible you know and danny and i have always been really low on danny's been really low on him but uh it's uh it's not out of the realm of possibility and that's not something i believed especially coming off the acl tear would be possible last year yeah and a couple another thing about levine and that his range and the way he can get his shot off is that he's very good in in clutch situations and that he can get his uh, get those difficult shots, including some of the mid-range ones that will help them in close games. Um, there were times last year where he went one-on-one with, with players and he was able to best them. And I think that's, that's not like, uh, something you want to rely on. You don't want to be in close games in the first place. And hopefully, like his overall play will help their, their, um, the record in that respect versus like trying to steal wins at the end of games. But I think it's a nice skill that he has. And then turning back to his three point shooting in the preseason, he's taken even more threes. So I think the fact that he's saying he likes mid range or whatever, I'm not as concerned about that. If, if it turned out he was uh, behaving that way on the court, I mean, on the court, he looks to be taking more threes. He's getting the message he's executing and he's hitting like half of his threes right now. So his preseason numbers are pretty outstanding but they're they're probably not sustainable but it's good that his shot profile he is trying to cut out some of that mid-range activity yeah i I agree with you i don't think steve kerr's like modern record for nba three-point shooting of like you know 52 percent or whatever it is is uh is in danger from levine this year but yeah you know it could presage a i mean even any even a percentage point or two increase from that 37 percent makes him really really dangerous um all right so let's get back to our little 30 second survey here uh chandler hutchison um, I really have no opinion on him because he, he wasn't good. He, he was drafted as an older rookie to theoretically be NBA ready. That didn't work out. He wasn't good. He got minutes. Uh, you would hear that, oh, Chandler Hutchinson was really, Chandler Hutchinson was really improving before he got hurt, but no, he, he just played more. He wasn't any good. And then he, um, I forgot what ended his season, but it, the, oh, it was the, the, toe, the, injury. the toe injury, right? That he played 42 yeah. minutes on or something, and Jim Boylan was yeah. proud of the, him for the, that. The uh, sesamoid bone, mm-hmm. I believe, was, was yep. what it was. And then the old uh, Eddie Robinson injury. And then yeah. <laughs> that's an old, old school Bulls reference. And then this season, he didn't even make uh, training camp because of a uh, offseason uh, hamstring pull. So tough to see. I mean, he. He just his his release is way slower than even Archidiakonos. It's not good. He has great size and he can run, um, which is good. But um, have to see a lot more before I think he's any gonna even correct the rotation. Yeah, other than some rudimentary ball handling and passing ability, really very limited offensive game. Summer league was no better as far as his shooting. I mean, 
2.03 point attempts for 36 minutes. I mean, for your a guy who's going to play at the three is just right, and he was one of the totally older inadequate. older players in summer league too. So the fact that he did yeah. not perform well was not a good sign. Yeah, yeah, and defensively, he's kind of he's just a guy to me. Right. You know, I mean, he's got some size, but nothing special. Uh, he is and, not. And that, um, often, yeah. yeah, he's not what Stacy King would say, young Pip. He's not. He's not young Pip, as Stacy likes to say. <laughs> Stacy okay. King, you know, he's kind of prone to prone to hyperbole. That guy, and he was calling um, him young Scotty Pippen. <laughs> all right, last one here, uh, Daniel Gafford, who uh, I think was their number thirty-eight overall pick this season, center out of Arkansas. Yeah, I mean, he already. I mean, in terms of where he was drafted, he already looks like a hit, and that he's not like an obvious bust. He, he plays with plays with energy, has good size, um, kind of struggles finishing, which is a concern, but. I'm not sure he's going to play uh, that much unless there are injuries to the front court because I think they really like Cornette's outside shooting um, and they're going to use Markin in at center more often. But uh, I'm pretty pleased with getting uh, Gafford in that role. I think, I mean, I don't do a lot of draft scouting, but it sounds like he was a guy who had uh, first round talent that slipped uh, due to injury and returning to school. So they kind of may have gotten a steal there in that possession, in that position. Yeah, and I think he's more athletic to me than it's than advertised, uh, especially in summer league. You mentioned you know, he's able to get up for some alley oops. You know, I think moving his feet defensively, learning the angles, all the young big stuff is going to be the question. But yeah, clearly the physical talent is there for him. Although I, I agree with you, Cornette seems like he's ahead of him, and Cornette's a nice fit with Young in much the same way that that Markinen is. Um, all right, big strengths for this group that we uh that we haven't hit on yet. Yeah, I, I did kind of reference it a little bit in that the positional size looks good that the the fact that they're able to start like said Aransky at, at, at point guard and they have Markinen who's like a seven footer at a power forward I think that's something that that'll be really good in the starting lineup anyway the, the bench not so much and although it does look like they have a strength in their bench just compared to last year right so last year they just had so many guys who did not belong in the league um this year they have guys who aren't going to hurt them so much and guys who hopefully will be available. I think part of the rationale for getting Sadoransky and Young uh, even beyond their play is that they don't get hurt. Now that's a tough thing to predict, but it's, it's a good sign that they're They've been durable throughout their careers, and I think that's that'll be key for them to just have guys who know what they're doing off the bench and in Sadoraski's cage uh, leading the the starting lineup. Um, also, the outside shooting, I, and this is something again they kind of like prepared a hoiballed quote unquote team once Hoiberg's gone. Yeah. Uh, whereas now they have they have shooting at every position. Not everyone is um, like you mentioned uh, as willing to shoot. Like Sadoraski might be Archdiacono low usage. Uh, Thad Young's not a good three-point shooter, but he's he's decent and he can go out to the corners anyway. But you got Levine with his range, Markinen, uh, Cornette, Sadoransky so much better than Dunn in terms of his uh, percentage. I think they have a lot of shooting, and even if they do play Denzel Valentine and Kobe White off the bench, they, that's more shooting. So I think it's finally something that they've been able to uh, <laughs> accumulate, more of like a pace and space type thing. The Bulls are always like five years behind the curb. Uh, curve but they're actually like getting it so this is kind of exciting they, they might actually have a pretty yeah. decent offense yeah transition would be another one to me especially if you if white and levine play together levine is just you know breathtaking in transition as we talked about i think sataransky even is an underrated transition player you've got porter uh, porter will like to leak out sometimes too going back to his john wall days uh, in washington marking in at, as a trailer uh, porter as a trailer or sprinting to the corners so i, I think yeah they could be pretty decent in transition if the uh, commitment to run is there mm-hmm. it seems like you know running gun has been the ethos early on now we went back to 
the halcyon first preseason of Fred Hoiberg in 2015 when they were throwing up right. 43s a game too. That mm-hmm. uh, did not last once they got into uh, the regular season. Part of that was personnel-based, uh, of course, with that group. But uh, So I, I think that can be an advantage uh, as well. Um, and I mean, I think, I think they can put out some pretty good defensive lineups here. Now, will they always be good at defense? It's tough, right? You're relying on Wendell Carter. Uh, you're relying on Markinen probably to take a step forward and he's still below average, probably uh, as a four. Um, but between Sadoransky, Porter, and if you want to go with Thaddeus Young at times too, mm-hmm. that could be those, that's a pretty good foundation for some defensive lineup. So uh, before we get into to weaknesses, when I ask you, what do you think the crunch time lineup ends up being for uh, this group? I think they're going to probably have the starters except Thad Young in and then Lowry at center. I think that's how they're going to go, especially with, uh, Wendell Carter missing so much time in the offseason and preseason, especially to start and, Obviously, Young being a veteran, I think that's that's how they're going to go, and that's a that's an interesting defensive lineup. I think that's that's what I had as a weakness, is I really think their defense is suspect. But because even when they got Otto Porter um, and shipped out uh, Jabari Parker, you would think that'd be such a, a great um, improvement in their defense, and it really didn't manifest on the court at all. Now Boylan has a whole uh, training camp now to try and get them to play better defense. A lot of it has seemingly been. Well, we got Sadoransky and Young now. That will help. And they want a, more of a commitment to one-on-one defense. We'll have to see. I haven't been impressed with Boylan's like schemes on that end. A lot of times he looked to be caught kind of uh, overwhelmed. And I remember games where like Atlanta would shoot like 43s on him or Denver would. And Boylan would be content just going under screens and letting him launch. And yeah. And that's something yeah, I'm, that, I'm that, yeah, concerned about. That was specifically yeah. something they said in the media at times last year. Like, yeah, we are going under. We are mm-hmm. letting a bomb. Now, I, I will say this about Boylan. I'm sure we, we have a larger conversation about him to some degree. But, you know, I do. And Zach Lowe touched on this a little bit, too. You know, he was on this pod a couple of years ago when he was still an assistant. I right. do know him a little bit personally. Mm-hmm. Like, I do know that he has a curious basketball mind. And obviously, it was... uh a cartoonish start uh, with the mutiny and uh you know so some of his college coach type of rah-rah crap right. you know, i don't know i know neither of us really care for that but i do think he has a willingness to experiment to some degree and so you know if there's a hey this is a lost season yeah let's just try and go under every screen on these guys that we think aren't that good of shooters and see what happens and you know we're not going to just change you know because they had like a hot first quarter or something like that like i do support that kind of an approach at times i mean it certainly did look bad sometimes i mean you know and that's just one example of some of the stuff you're talking about i'm sure but uh yeah i do think there is a willingness to experiment there so and it plays into just this larger theme of like you can really construct a narrative either way on so many aspects of this team right like you're talking about the defense Eh, you know they got zach levine they got laurie marketing they got a second year center who's really inexperienced luke Cornett's pretty slow uh they got no one at backup small forward they're probably gonna be playing a shooting guard at backup small forward uh porter could get hurt and then you know they're kind of in trouble on the wing uh but on the other hand you got uh, sadaransky dunn is a good defensive player thaddeus young carter has potential porter is you know maybe not a stopper but a solid secondary defender Jack harrison yeah i mean hopefully for them he won't have to play because because he struggles so much offensively but i mean they do they do have guys it could go either way right like it and you know are these additions going to be enough what how good is the coaching going to be how much can the young guys take a step forward is levine going to be one of the worst in the league or simply bad there's uh, so many questions with these guys seeing them fit together um and, and then offensively we talked about some of those issues too with the young guys uh, levine and 
marketing, potentially improving. They have to carry things. So, so much variability with this group overall, I'd say. Right. And I think a big question I have is how are they going to handle adversity? Because I think right now everything is uh, sounding good, like you pointed out. And I go at length all summer about it. And when Boylan got the extension, just Boylan's rah-rah college stuff and his uh, I'm proud of you guys and all that stuff. It's just it, it, it gets overwhelming but i try not to have it be too much of what i criticize him for what i really what really bothered me at the end of last year was more of his insistence on playing slow emphasizing paint touches um not valuing the three-point ball and these are things that he did change in this preseason i want to see it in the regular season but it's certainly good news that he is kind of more um just like talking (laughs) like saying the right things in terms of like you know, 2012 NBA basketball that he's like finally caught up to. I'm not sure how much of it is him experimenting versus, I mean, him just being kind of like a, kind of like such a company man. And I think like part yeah. of it is like, I, I just see him, how he praises the front office and how he kisses butt to Paxson and Foreman all the time. Yeah, that, that's never worked for advancing in the Bulls organization. <laughs> well, right. And it worked, it got him an extension. And I almost wonder if it'll work out for the team too, in that, well, okay, he wanted to slow down. Why did he want to slow down the team? Was it because he really felt that way or is it because John Paxson told him to? It might just be because Paxson told him to. And now going into this year, John Paxson, bizarrely, Doug Collins is like this, um, now this uh, forward-thinking, fast-paced coach, and he never yeah, was the, when he was Doug, actual uh, coach. Yeah, I, but, I mean, he was he was playing at like the slowest pace in the right. league with teams like, you know, young Michael Jordan on him back in the 80s. Yeah, and then we read stories last year about how Doug would whisper to Jim Boyan, hey, you have to really push the pace more, which is just crazy to think about. But if it gets it to if it gets him to implement it, then I guess it works out. That's good. Because even in answering um he had the question about Levine in the mid race shots, and Boylan actually had a really good answer. He said, Well, I, I want I don't mind lo- I don't mind mid range twos if they're you know, late in the clock or absolutely necessary. It's not something we coach to. We coach to the math. We uh, do our practices to the math. Simple concepts, uh, which is good. I mean, that's that's an improvement or what I uh, hear from him. Otherwise, a lot of the stuff about um, like the motivational stuff, I'm not sure that's that big a deal. It more just bothers me than an actual like problem on the court. But if again, if they run into some adversity, if their defense is really bad and they start getting blown out a couple times because they're playing at such a high pace, they they have some really ugly losses. And Zach Levine is starting to wonder like, oh, will I actually be an all-star because my team stinks again? He had the biggest problem with uh, Jim Boylan when he took over. Will they start uh, running to follow each other again? Will they start to tune him out like pretty easily and more quickly than a normal coach because Boylan is so extra that maybe that his motivational tactics are so strong that he gets tuned out even easier because they're going to look at this guy like this guy should be coaching college kids, not uh, yelling at us like this. So it really is a concern to me with how this team uh, stays together if they run into a poor start. They have an easy early schedule, which will help. Um, if that goes bad early, then, I mean, this could go really south. And I really think, yeah. <laughs> I'm really worried that like Boylan is going to like submarine this whole thing. And I think they made solid moves this offseason, but keeping Boylan extending him another coach that they didn't do a coaching search it just had, just so happened that the next great Bulls coach was in their building the whole time it's just that, that everything that happened this offseason I would take it and say well that looks pretty good and I'm starting to get excited for the season and then I'd be remember like oh that's right Jim Boylan is a coach and to your point he does seem like he knows what he's talking about he had a really good uh two-part interview with Darnell Mabry the athletic where he talked about his um 
thoughts on, you know, actual basketball and strategy, but then he would say stuff like valuing paint touches. And it kind of makes me think, is this guy just coaching like week to week based on what he's being told and how will he actually handle uh, if this team doesn't get out to a hot start? And it doesn't even go into like the tactical stuff, like end of game timeouts and things like that, that I'm not sure he can, he could do right now. Yeah. And I mean, I think until proven otherwise, you'd have to think of him as a coach who's in the bottom half of the league, but he's got a chance to dispel that. We don't have a huge notion of that. I mean, there's a lot of really good established coaches. There's actually less coaching turnover now, basically, than there's ever been, at least in recent times. So there's a lot of established coaches. I think the this overall state of coaching in the NBA is pretty good right now. I mean, when you compare it to some of the coaches we had five years ago, where you could just say, man, like, you know, half these guys just really don't know what they're doing. You know, the revolution really seems to have come right. in a lot of ways front offices are more have more of an analytic bent they're looking for coaches who are more in lockstep with that and perhaps that will be well and i do think last year to some degree there was just an idea of like hey we just need to stabilize this thing right we need to just you know yeah we might throw it into the post to robin lopez six times a game but you know we need to just play slower we need to just like actually get some principles get get to be playing hard you know not just like run up and down like it's a pickup game um so i i mean i, I think he, he's got a great chance to really establish himself here if this team can exceed expectations yeah um, i think they did yeah. a good job making the roster a bit coach proof with um some of the additions they made i th- yeah. i'm just hoping he's not you know talking about being the bottom half i think he's like the bottom one coach in the league so if he's not if he's more like in the bottom half then i think this team can make some progress and he won't he won't harm them which is kind of like my main concern so if he just doesn't harm them and is merely just bad and affordable which is good for the for the bulls um then that's that's okay that's a that's a win i guess when it comes to a john paxton coaching search yeah and as you talked about some of the internal dynamics like jay michael uh, when we talked about the pacers he spoke really highly of thaddeus young's leadership you know he might be the type of veteran that perhaps they didn't have during the mutiny and they do have some some good you know marketing sataransky I mean, guys who are you know kind of good solid vets uh, it, with this group now um any other weaknesses you see for these guys uh, that we haven't talked about yet no i mean i kind of touched on it. i think i think Boylan, Boylan's a weakness if he if he doesn't um like practice what he preaches in terms of moving the ball and running at a high pace the wing depth is a problem if they have an injury sure. to Otto porter that's a problem if the, if, if zach veen is out not so much the position, but the uh, playmaker ability. They do not have a lot of playmakers on this team. They might have to rely a lot on Kobe White to do that, which probably won't turn out well for a young rookie on this team. I think that's a concern. Um, and the defense, I'm concerned about defensive rebounding. Even though they're actually okay at defensive rebounding, I'm wondering if how much of that had to do with Robin Lopez and they have good uh, guard help in terms of rebounding, which which should help like obviate that concern. But that is one of my one of my things I'm looking at. Basically, the entire defensive uh, possession going to the defensive rebound. Yeah, I mean uh, Thaddeus Young w- was part of a group that really struggled on the defensive glass in Indiana. That's really kind of his one weakness. Marketing, I think, will be overmatched on the defensive glass at center if they do close uh, with that as well. So yeah, and you know Carter to me is kind of only okay. He's got some size, but he's got to actually show something on the floor. And then the offensive glass, yeah, I mean they're going to be maybe the worst offensive rebounding team in the league. That seems pretty clear to me. Uh, getting to the foul line, other than Levine, there's really nobody right. on this team that, that you would look at there uh, who's going to be good at that. Um, you know, a, a young team, there's always danger uh, of fouling, getting getting in foul trouble. You, you worry about that. Um, 
yeah so so those are uh those are some of the issues uh, that i see here um all right let's do uh some predictions you ready you want to start here give me a uh predicted record for the 1920 chicago bulls yeah i'm kind of like having their best case and worst case here and saying they're gonna go yeah. 33 and 49 um which would be like right near their i think it's slightly under what they have now it's over what they started at i think they, the line started like at 30 and now it's near 34 35 yeah i wish i could have got on that when it was down at 30 and a half yeah i, uh, I did mean my pod later it definitely moved a lot and i think i think there's just like a lot there's a lot of it's weird because i think nationally and locally this, this team is treated differently i think nationally they're kind of ignored and that's i mean that's apparent in the hey, lack of zach Lowe, number <laughs> six on the league pass rankings that's true although you know i saw that it, and then i remembered yeah. he was like he was there was six last year <laughs> and then, <laughs> and then <laughs> Because, you know, they were going to have Jabari Parker and running uh, with those guys. And, and Hoiberg finally had his team. And obviously that all went to hell. Um, so, yeah, it's, I, I, and the, so they have no national TV dates. They don't really have a marketable star. Um, maybe Zach Levine gets there, but he's obviously not there now. They're famously uh, unambitious in terms of getting other stars with their talent and kind of as a front uh, front office kind of pivoted toward now we're going to get role players to surround uh, marketing and Levine instead of using our cap space to take bigger swings. Uh, we're on the 2021 plan now, in case you weren't aware, that's our latest. Um, <laughs> I'm sure it'll happen then. When, but When was the first plan? 20, 2006? 2006 plan was the first. Yeah, I think, right. right. And then oh, no, actually, I mean, 2010 probably, was the big one. Uh, no, actually, probably uh, uh, 1999. <laughs> well, right, was yeah. actually the big was the first one. Yeah, right, that's the meeting meeting guys yeah. at the airport with yeah, Benny, Benny the Bull. Plans, Benny right? the Bull is yeah. going to close the deal with Tracy yeah. McGrady. Right. So it's been a, so. I mean, I think like in terms of like an overall like narrative for the season, I think they're trying to be that team on the rise. So then, okay, we can't get guys based on just having cap space and being a big market. You'd think that would be enough, and that they would have improved in the past two years to get to that point. Last year was a disaster because not only did it wipe out that year, but it kind of put their their starting position back in terms of being able to woo these free agents. Now this will be the year where they kind of get that buzz. They're more like the Brooklyn Nets or the Sacramento Kings, though the Kings are not a free agent destination, but they had that buzz of like a young team that's on the rise. I think getting the 33, 34 wins off of a 22-win season looks pretty good. Um, I'm not as like thrilled in that, you know, this is the Eastern conference. I don't know how much of this team is talked about differently if they were not, if there were no conferences or if they in the West, I mean, if they were competing against, uh, other franchises like New Orleans and Dallas who have higher, higher end younger players, like, would they still be seen as like this up and coming team? But the fact that they're in the East means they can kind of sniff the playoffs, uh, 33, 34 wins isn't going to sniff the playoffs, but it'll at least mean that in March and April next year, they're not giving away games or at least like playing for something. And I think yeah. that's kind of like the most likely scenario versus the best and worst case scenarios, which we'll probably talk about too. Yeah, I'm a little higher. I'll go with 35 wins. I went over the 33 and a half uh, as it was a couple of weeks ago uh, on my pod with Danny. So uh, I think when I look at their offense and defense, you know, I, I am worried. Again, I think this team has a lot of variability, as a, a lot of these young teams do and, and as these kind of new teams do as well but I, I when i went through it i had them is uh you know slightly below average defense i think i had them at 17 uh, overall i mean that would be a massive step forward obviously right. and i had them i think as like the 22nd offense i could very easily see those flipping but ultimately when you look at it you know who's the best player on this team right i mean they brought in some depth pieces that are anti-young like that's great but you know you're not getting above 
much above 35 wins with you know Zach Levine as he is right now as your best player if he if you even want to call him the best player and so he's got to take a major step forward I think he could take an incremental step forward but to talk about them really being in playoff contention I'm not quite willing to go there yet with Markin and Levine I think Markin is stagnated to some degree I haven't been particularly impressed with what we saw from him mm-hmm. in, in preseason either to to make me change that prediction you know uh so I'm uh you know I could kind of see him around 20th on both ends you know uh and 20th best team in the NBA that gets you around 35 wins but yeah I think they could easily go either over or under that 33 and it wouldn't shock me if they make it to the playoffs there are some projections like Hollinger today right yeah he said 40 wins in the playoffs and yeah I mean a lot of these teams that are in that range are not I mean Indiana has high variability Orlando Detroit I think there's certain areas where the Bulls are better than them and I think if they are their if they're if they don't make it, it's because Otto Porter is their best player. If they do make it, it's because Levine takes another step and becomes like that that go to scorer. He actually help he'll get them more wins than their Pythagorean record would even suggest because he'll steal some games late. That'll be nice and yeah, and just an overall like buy in from the team into this whole boiling culture because I think that it's just like it's like a real like powder keg. I really think it can go either way to where you know they if they start out well and kind of like. It manifests itself in the good play and they're shooting a ton of threes and they're scoring, you know, 70 point halves and everything. Every, everyone's feeling good about the pecking order of Zach Levine taking all these shots and they're winning games. That's going to be great if it goes bad. And again, Levine was the guy who is the most like vocal anti Boylan player. And if he sours on Boylan, that, now you've lost like your possible best player and then it all kind of spirals. And, and I think it could really go, it could really go bad again where they're in the high twenties, they get the seventh pick in the draft and we're just, we're back next year with the same thing. Yeah. Uh, and you know, obviously the, in, an injury on the wing as well. I mean, I'd say, you know, ceiling 41 wins floor 28 wins would, would kind of be my thought there. Uh, what about you? No, I think that's, I think that's right about where I had him too. I think, um, it, and again, we don't want to speculate on someone getting like a significant injury because that's that's definitely fluky. Right. But I think injuries to Markinen, Porter, Levine. I mean, these can probably happen where yeah. they Carter lose too. weeks. Yeah, yep, Carter lose weeks at a time. And the depth is better, but it's still not it's not great. And it's especially if key players like Levine and uh, Porter, especially. I mean, Levine for his shot making and Porter for being an actual small forward. If they lose those guys for stretches of the time, I mean, th- th- then they're in like real trouble. And again, I think this has a, there's a potential for this team to spiral if they run into some problems. Yeah. All right. Well, this was a, a lot of fun. You guys know where you can keep up uh, with uh, Matt's work uh, at Bulls Blogger on Twitter and uh, bloggable.com, uh, the, uh, perhaps the seminal uh, team site out there. I mean, really just one of the first that ever existed and uh, acerbic anti-management and anti-coaching. <laughs> no you're actually it, it was fun having you on the show because uh, like sometimes uh, online you're you almost kind of like play this caricature I th- i'm sure you got to do that intentionally of just like you know uh play, playing up some of management's foibles and, and i mean i it's hilarious when you do it i really enjoy it <laughs> but yeah i mean uh, yeah right and, and actually that yeah, so as we talk through the actual team this year i think there's a lot to be optimistic about um but yeah i mean overall like the franchise i mean there's plenty of reason to not not be optimistic um i'll just plug a piece i did over the summer on bloggable about the bulls 
basically using this rebuild to be on the cheap and gain cash considerations and trades. It's pretty galling that the, the third largest market in the NBA and one they have all to themselves, they had a ridiculously low payroll and took in a bunch of cash and trades, didn't send any out, didn't accumulate a ton of draft picks. The rebuild is going okay because they've drafted very well. Now, how much of that is luck? Um, you know, I'll give them credit for some of their picks. Um, so it's actually going okay, but it's not, it's not like a really, it's not, it's not been a great rebuild. And I, you know, there's a whole thing about why they even needed to go into a rebuild in the first place. And yeah, so like big picture with the franchise, I'm definitely more down on, on the Bulls. But in terms of like the 1920 season, I think the Bulls might actually be pretty decent. So that, I mean, and fun to watch. So that'll be nice. Yeah, I, I do think they'll be fun to watch. I like White. I like marketing. I like uh, Levine in particular. So yeah, it's, uh, it'll be a fun season. Uh, from this group um all right well thanks a lot man i appreciate it and uh all right team previews are done we're gonna be back now uh danny and i are gonna do the season preview uh but before that make sure you listen to the new podcast that that season preview will be out on monday uh make sure you listen to the new podcast i'm gonna start it in our feed but we're also going to be having it in its own feed where it and it'll only be in our feed for a little bit we're gonna switch it over on the locked on podcast network hollinger and duncan john hollinger and i are doing a weekly podcast together that's gonna be a ton of fun we really hope that you guys will subscribe rate uh, review share it on social media help us get that off the ground uh the way you've helped support us uh with this podcast so uh listen to that that's gonna be out on sunday night uh we'll talk to you all then thanks again to everyone who listened to these team previews especially if you made it through all 30 you definitely deserve a gold star fear not you can catch up through the weekend but more importantly i want to encourage you guys to check out the hollinger and duncan nba show The trailer is up already. Please search for it. Subscribe. We're doing a Twitter mailbag on the first show. Please ask your questions in response to the tweets that he and I have both been posting. And there's not going to be a Sunday night episode of Dunkton. Traditionally, we're going to run the Maiden episode of Hollinger and Duncan that night. So again, please listen, please share, give us some reviews, whatever you can do. It's a, a critical time for us trying to get this podcast off the ground. And we hope that that could become as much a part of your lives as Dunked On has been. Thanks again for listening. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every basket, every game, every point, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a three-pointer at the buzzer to tie the game or a player that goes two for two at the foul line. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only. Must be present in Virginia. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply.